How's everybody doing? Uh, we have a soundboard now that's going to be super annoying, and I can't wait to abuse the shit out of it uh, in 2022. I hope everybody's Christmas or whatever you celebrate was all good. Uh, I hope everybody is looking forward to a great 2022 that will be way better than 2021. Um, I can tell you personally, I am ready. I'm ready. 2021 was really hard. I feel like 2020 got the bad rap, but 2021 was really just a overall kick in the genitalia. Um, (laughs) anyway, uh, this is a mashup episode. We have a couple of the best of the year, including an episode from Josh Malchak, uh, Delilah cup, uh, who else do we have? The girls have Kaylin Thorian uh, as their featured episode. Colby Lang from Coffee and Van Chats. Uh, and of course, Patty Rock, uh, Patty O'Connell um, with The Pursuit, um, Mr. Adam X. Um, there's new stuff all up on the site. I feel like how quickly I transitioned that. Um, there's all, all new merch on the, sh- on the site. There's more stuff coming. Uh, there are some super, super limited teas uh, coming uh, on January 10th. Uh, those are going to be rad. I'm going to put them up for pre-sale probably January 6th or something like that. Uh, if you have an online order, it's shipped out it's on the way finally. We've got the shipping system down here. The shipping system being like I ship stuff out of my hall, my like front hallway. So I've got that all figured out. Uh, website, you're going to see a lot more blog post style stuff, a lot more... Uh, there's recaps that Charlie uh, Charlie Walker has been doing for quite a while now. So if you're interested in learning a little more and kind of getting a, a I don't know a readable recap of the episode, Charlie's got you covered there. Um, but yeah, we're continuing the collective thing. We are going to keep this thing rolling as much as we can, uh, four to five episodes a week on the show on the platform. Thank you guys so much for listening. It has been an absolute honor um, to host this show uh, for the last however many years, but especially this year, I feel like stuff is kind of starting to come together and, uh, and I appreciate you guys as always. So um, before we get into those shows, we have bills to pay. So I am going to tell you about a couple of our sponsors. Um, First being Woodchuck Hard Cider. Uh, This year marks Woodchuck's 30th anniversary, three decades of creativity and innovation in cider making. Um, And I mean, they, they mean the shit when they say like creativity and cider making, if you're thinking cider, think differently because they have everything from mimosas to Persecco to rosé to like they're they're all over they have everything um so hit up www.woodchuck.com um and you can ship out you can ship cider like hard cider straight to your front door the mimosa i'm telling you like is is the shit like that's where you start um I'm like reading the copy that they sent over now just to see really like, so he's going to continue to work on getting a code, um, but currently can't have a code for uh, alcohol on the internet. So anyway, um, shout out to Matt and VT cider and Woodchuck hard cider. I mean, they've been great to us and it's been a real pleasure working with those guys as well. Um, and the product is amazing. I mean, you can only say so much of the products not amazing and the product is as good as it gets. So, uh, psyched on that stuff. Once again, check out www.woodchucksider.com, Avermont Company. 
Um, additionally, we have another Vermont company as a sponsor these days, and that is Darn Tough Socks. Darn Tough Socks makes the absolute best socks, period. If you have a pair, you already know this. Go buy some more. Uh, they make everything from a hiking sock to a running sock to a cycling sh- sock to a chilling sock to a lightweight ski sock to a heavy snowboard sock to... They make a lot of socks, <laughs> and uh, and they've got a great crew of people over there, and I'm very excited. We have interviews coming up soon with Jake Blavel and uh, Michelle Parker. So I am psyched to share um, a sponsor with those guys. Obviously, they're sponsored for a very different thing than I am, um, but I'm I'm psyched. This has been uh, – it's been amazing, and it's very cool to be working with another Vermont brand. Um. <sighs> But yeah, let's uh, let's basically just jump right into this thing. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. Listen to your favorites. Pick out your favorites. Happy holidays. Happy New Year's. Uh, I hope everybody is doing well. And uh, let's make 2022 even better than 2021. I will uh, talk, to, talk to you next year. Ha ha. Bye. Asama dudes. You know what that sound means? It's another Monday, and this is another episode of Big Stick Energy, brought to you by myself, Tori Anderson. You can find me at Tori A. Alina, and my co-host, best friend for life, Renee McCurdy, at Renee McCurds. This episode today is true and dear to Renee and I's heart, because it's exactly what we have been struggling with for the last year. And to talk to the guest today is awesome, because it gives us a bit of hope and a little bit of clarity on what the next steps might be to mitigate burnout. And coincidentally enough, I am doing this intro by my lonesome today because Renee is currently on the hustle. She works as a full-time nurse in Vancouver. And uh, yeah, so she she's on the hustle and fighting the burnout because that's the dream, baby. Gotta work hard to play hard. So this week's episode, we are interviewing <clears throat> Kaylin Thorian, Sorry, pardon me, had a bit of a bubble in my throat there. Uh, Kaylin Thorian, which is super freaking rad. This chick has played in so many typically masculine spaces. She is a partner with uh, Harley Davidson. She is into fishing. She is skiing. She's doing so much and has a really cool perspective on growing up in traditionally masculine spaces. Um, always feeling like she wanted to be one of the boys and then eventually finding a lot of empowerment in that feminine aspect, but, you know, still like loves hanging out with the boys. Like we all do. It's not really about like her versus him or X versus Y it's about community and it's about support and finding that middle ground, super freaking important. But we touch on a lot of different things in this episode. You hear a shit ton of my sound effects and my accents and, I want to apologize for that just right out the gate. Um, there's a little bit of ADHD moments in there. I think I drank like 18 cups of coffee before we did this episode, but overall 10 out of 10 entertainment value. And Kaylin was a pleasure to have on this episode. And I hope we get to shred with her in the near future. I don't want to spoil too much stuff, but if you've ever experienced burnout, your mental health is tanked, and maybe you just don't feel like going skiing from time to time, this is the episode for you because dang, we get into it, and honey, you're not alone. This is another episode of Big Stick Energy, dropping in three, two, one. That was an intro. And now, Caitlin's going to introduce herself. Do you want to give everyone, like, a quick rundown, you know, the XYZ ABCs? XYZ? Hi, friends. Uh, I'm Caitlin Thorian. 
I'm a semi-professional sort of skier uh, based in Idaho. I also ride for Harley Davidson, do the motorcycle thing, and a little bit of the outdoor thing. So I do some walking and some fishing and some stuff. And I'm currently with these lovely females here to discuss the ski industry. Females, skiing, gear. Females. Females. <laughs> so how and when did you get into skiing? Renee was telling me a little bit about, um, you know, like you had a pretty ignited start into the industry. Like you were all of a sudden like, I'm going to do this. And you just developed your skills so quickly. Like when did that happen? And what was that like for you? Yeah, I had, so I had a couple years under my belt skiing um, before I graduated from high school. And then pure tunnel vision. I was like, I'm going to be a ski bum at Alta and take a year off before college. Going to go do that. And, you know, literally I've been skiing for about two years total. Um, so moved to Alta, became a ski bum, flipped burgers, washed dishes, like did the whole thing and just skied, you know, every day, every day and followed people that were better than me, you know, followed the boys, followed the girls, you name it. And I, never thought anything of it. There was never any intention that this was going to become a career. Um, a, because I didn't have the proper upbringing to be a professional skier. I wasn't a racer. I didn't compete, didn't do any of that. And then B, because especially as a female, it's super hard to even think about becoming a pro skier. You know, the slot, there's one or two in the whole industry versus a couple dozen. And so that never was on my radar. And but what I do know is that I love to ski. And so I just kept skiing, kept skiing, and I kept working at Alta. I was a dishwasher, did the whole works, and would ski all the time. And then went out one day, I went out um, with a couple pro skiers at the time, and they happened to have a photographer, Ian Coble, with them. And it was very casual. They're like, hey, do you want to come join us and just shoot some photos for shits and giggles? I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds fun. Went out, Ian Coble got some shots and it actually was able to allow me to create kind of a portfolio. And like, I did okay for my first round, like did okay. And, and so I put together a little portfolio and I just started cold emailing everybody, every single company, every single photographer. And my favorite one to this day was I emailed Scott Markowitz and was like, hey, Scott Markowitz, like my name is Caleb Thorian. Here's like three photos of me skiing. And I would love to work with you someday. Like if you ever need an athlete, like give me a call. And, you know, he wrote back very quick, like, hey, thanks, appreciate that. Never heard from him for a long time. And then all of a sudden, bam, one day there was the email. Someone dropped out of his shoot and he needed someone last minute. And he hit me up and happened to crush it with him. And then it just started to snowball, no pun intended, like, got more photos, did all right, got more photos, did all right. You know, they coached me, they helped me. And before that, you know, I started going out with photographers like every week and that started to lead to more sponsors. And that started to kind of, you know, create an effect, a ripple effect of like breaking my toe, just a little toe into the industry. By no means was I getting paid. Um, that's a whole nother <laughs> section of my life, but I was able to at least kind of get my foot in the door and uh, that, that sort of started it. And then I had to do a lot of seasonal work. So we were talking about earlier how a lot of women, even some of the top tier have to have second jobs. Um, that's definitely what happened to me. 
And so I was, I was getting product from companies, you know, maybe getting some travel budget here and there, but I still had to work. And unfortunately my work was conflicting with my ability to travel. And so I figured I was like, I need to get a summer job of some sort. And it was either fishing, like what McKenna Peterson does or firefighting. And at the time, I didn't really like fish and I was really scared of the ocean. So I figured <laughs> finding forest fires was probably the better move. <laughs> and so I applied for a bunch of forest fi uh, firefighting jobs and got one. And then did a couple summers of that where I was able to make enough money over the summer to pay for my winters. And that really helped kind of push myself to the next level and get myself like really out there, could say yes to everything. Like, hey, yes, I can go to this trip. Yes, I can do this thing. And I was able to actually like start building some sort of clout within the ski industry and, you know, off it went. So by the time you kind of felt like you just worked through the summers and then you were actually able to go on these trips, like you already had sponsors at that point. Yeah, I had really low key sponsors, you know, classic, like, hey, we'll give you a bunch of product. Um, but for the most part, either you got to pay for your own trips or cover a lot of your costs or, you know, do it that way. Occasionally you get everything paid for, but you're still taking time off, you know, at least with that summer job, I was able to save up enough and then go on fun employment. We call it the government ski team. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, do that. So that helped a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was able to, to go on these trips with my sponsors that were flowing me product, but I still wasn't getting paid to ski yet. Um, it was still very much like I had to make my own money, but maybe not necessarily out of pocket all the time. It's kind of how it went. Yeah. Better than nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Was like it, it was cool. But, and, and, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of like pay your dues. And, yeah, and, I think there's a know, gap I, too, even like between just like getting gear and then getting the call for anything as well. Mm -hmm. It's like constantly like proving that you can do the next step. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do this, and do the next step, and you almost have to do like you said, where you just like make yourself completely available somehow with whatever mm -hmm. sacrifices you're making, so that when they do call, you can be like, yeah, yeah, yes. I can go because I've talked to. A number of female skiers that feel like they've missed out because for school or work or whatever they had to say no and then they're left there finally done school and they're like oh crap well i mean it's passed me by now so and i've heard like, hit it when it's hot <laughs> yeah yeah and hit it when it's hot and it's awesome if, and i recognize that because i was like okay i because in previous seasons when i was working at the resort which was great but like you you're working you know, every day, five days a week, um, and you can't just take time off. Um, I realized, okay, if I'm going to make this really work, I have to figure out a way to where I'm just not working or obligated to anything during the winter. And so that means extreme work in the summer, um, which is great, but like not everyone has that opportunity or has that desire to do that. Um, and I've talked to numerous women who are very skilled in their sport but they can't seize the opportunities because they have to do their job. And then you go take a 180 to the people on the other side of that story. And they're like, oh yeah, they're not dedicated because they, they didn't want to take the time off to, uh, 
to do this trip. You know, if they truly wanted it, they would have done it. And I'm like, so if someone truly wanted it, they would have been okay with getting fired from their job and not having any money, but you're not willing to pay them. Like, how does that work? (laughs) So I don't know. It's, it's kind of a twisted cycle and there's, there's a way to maneuver through it. And I managed to find that one little sliver, kind of one little fine line, but not everyone has that opportunity and it's, it's, it does get frustrating. You get caught in this flux where you're good enough to where you get product. You're not technically good enough to get paid. So you're caught in the middle, but you're expected to seize every opportunity. And if you can't, you're not professional, but if you do, then you might not have a job. So it gets gets a little messy in the middle there. (laughs) It does. Yeah. And that like, I think that, on the athlete side of things, I know that I personally have felt with like a lot of personal shame when I can't meet commitments, but doing everything all the time, I am so burned out and I'm also broke. It's like, if I need to work full time, but then I'm taking off time to do these ski things. And it's like, I'm putting so much extra work into this, but I'm not getting paid. It's like, that's kind of where burnout comes in and you feel Mm -hmm. bad for like failing or if you like made a commitment and now you have to set boundaries because you're not doing okay. And maybe your mental health isn't okay. And it's just like, it's kind of this negative cycle where the industry really needs to pivot. And there's actually a lot of companies that are starting to recognize that. Like I've had meetings Mm -hmm. with some uh, previous sponsors where they're like, we want to pivot to a paid model. And one sponsor that actually cut their entire ambassador team because they're going to move to like a single paid project model, which I think is great. Because it's like, rather than product, like I can't, you know, like this season I'm selling a bunch of my gear again because I want to go on like two heli trips. But it's like, I have to do that because I'm in school and everything still. So I totally agree. It's like that kind of that weird spectrum. And it's really hard to figure out also when to ask for money. Like, when do you have value? When do you have worth? When can you quantify Mm -hmm. it past product? Which I think is something a lot of women struggle with. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, we're we're told to be humble and meek and, you know, kind of quiet in the corner. And I was very much that way in the beginning of my career. And it actually took um, a really wonderful woman, very uh, business-minded female. She, you know, I was, I was just starting to kind of get some money from some companies, but I was always super shy to ask for, for anything, first of all. And then when any sort of negotiation would happen, it'd be like, okay, no, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. Yep. 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 That'll work. That'll work. And she literally pulled me aside. I was like, bitch, know your worth. You know, it's amazing the difference when you just go into a meeting with a different vocabulary, with your, you know, shoulders back, head high, strong, strong, confident female energy. And you go in there and you're like, nope, this is what I want. This is what I deserve. This is why. Boom. And you just lay it out. When you come in with that kind of attitude, even if it's the exact same shit you're saying, you just happen to change the vocabulary on it. All of a sudden those numbers will double instantly. And, and I witnessed that firsthand. She told me that I tried it the next meeting I had, boom. They're like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. I'm like, wait, really? You're agreeing to this, you know, in my head? Yeah. Holy cow, that worked. Like, we're just told to be like, okay, yeah, that works. That's fine. Okay. Instead of like, all right, here's the deal. This is how much I get paid. This is why, this is what you're going to get in return. This is my offer. Take it, leave it. Bye. And the difference is huge. Yeah, it's almost like you're 
meant to be grateful for what you have and like you should just be happy that you are getting what you're getting is kind of how mm -hmm. I felt a lot of the time you're like oh well you know you should just be glad you're getting something yes that's exactly well said. yeah and I think that the like typical again jacked up on my freaking class shit right now but patriarchal model for the industry <laughs> is that you only have value if you're performing like a dude, if you're offering similar content assets as a dude. Like, And right now, there's actually a huge shift societally where industries are looking to invest in underrepresented groups, right? And so it's like quantifying your value. Like that stuff doesn't really pass anymore. And mm -hmm. um, we talked about in a previous episode how we're sick of looking at videos of white dudes sending the same shit and landing switch and pow. It's like, we want a more powerful, inspiring narrative. That is more important right now. So I think a lot mm -hmm. more people in those underrepresented groups have more value than the typical white dude who's shredding hard. And I also think that typical white dude that's shredding hard is not taking that very well, which we've seen in the comment section. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you can't blame them. It's like, oh, it's <laughs> not going to be spoon fed to you anymore. Guess what? You're actually going to have to compete with people who have more to their life than that. And don't get me wrong. It takes a shit ton of skill and a lot of balls or vagina to do that <laughs> but it's it's like guess what there's more to this industry than that and I even saw there's that with to... talking to my yeah 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 oh, like even talking sorry. to my parents like god this was like almost 10 years ago or something we were at a ski premiere and I was like oh guys we got to see like the most recent TGI premiere and I like dragged them out to it this is over over 10 years ago right before skiing became a slightly more story-based um you know, before like Sherpa cinemas and all that came out, um, it was purely ski porn and took him to the movie. And they're like, yeah, Caitlin, we get it. Like, that was really cool, but I can't relate to any of that. And, and I was like, what do you, you know, what do you mean? They're like, I mean, it's impressive, but I, you know, I'm a, you know, at the time my mom was, you know, 55. She's like, I'm a 55 year old woman. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, <laughs> like, great. Like I'm excited to go skiing, but I'm, I am more excited to see, you know, someone my age ski powder than someone, you know, hucking themselves. And we can all agree to that. Like, I am more interested in people really creating interesting stories, whether male or female, doesn't matter. But, you know, maybe finding more to this world than just the pure extreme. Because yeah. the extreme is what drove me to a burnout. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that can relate to that. It's like, because once you can't measure up to that, you start to lose your worth and your own like self-esteem as a skier, whether you're in the profession or not, you know, it beats you up a little bit. But I like vibe with that on such a deep level after this most recent season, like I'm Same. sure we'll get into it, but like, Fuck. yeah, <laughs> let's, mm -hmm. let's go there. <laughs> let's dip into burnout, baby. We like, miss we and I honestly, like, I do think that there is a place for ski porn. I said this, I think, even, like, earlier oh, yeah. today to someone else. Like, there absolutely is always going to be that place for ski porn. But it, we just need more of a relatable alternative as well. Something that actually yep. is relatable to the everyday skier, everyday boarder, people who have life experiences. They are weekend warriors. They go to a job and then they shred on the weekend. They have life experiences. They have life struggles. And they go and they find skiing as a result, as a release. Or maybe skiing is, for me, this past season, it was like almost like the worst thing I could have done in some situations. Mm -hmm. But then I tried to go skiing and it just made me feel worse. 
but no one is painting that story. <laughs> True. I know the feeling, babe. I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes you more miserable. And that's the worst feeling in the world when it's the thing that you love. You know? It is. Like yeah. Being in a bad relationship, you're like, why? I love this, but I want to punch it in the face at the same time. <laughs> I know. It's funny because whenever I get into that headspace, if I hate this, I suck. Why am I doing this? Renee always tells me it's just skiing. And then I'll tell her it's just skiing. And it's hard to yeah. remember that when you're doing it. Like we put so much value into performing in an industry to give ourselves value. And it mm -hmm. just like, at the end of the day, it's two pieces of wood with plastic on the bottom and you're skiing down frozen water. Mm -hmm. It's illogical to begin with. It is illogical. <laughs> it's like if you go up to a lot of the shit that we slide down in the summer, you're like, that's like a little violent. Okay, cool, 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 cool. It's just like, yeah, we're kind of a little bit sadistic, aren't we? Adrenaline mm -hmm. chasers. But um, yeah, burnout, super fucked up. I think just jumping back to the narrative of uh, ski media changing and what people want to see, I think that you know, that off factor. And this is where I think the culture is shifting. And that's why like womb tang is popping off and you see all these movements that are trying to boost representation is that that like send it bro culture only appealed to white, like 20 year old dudes. It was like, it was kind of that inherent internal vibe where it was like, we're going to push ourselves almost into a dangerous field. We want to do the gnarliest stuff. We want to listen to like X, Y, Z, like all of it was kind of through the male gaze. And now as you see, people coming forward who don't fit that narrative, the narrative is shifting, which is super freaking mm -hmm. cool, but it's more about growth and it's about determination. And it's about literally making wine out of freaking water. It's like, mm -hmm. what did you do to overcome challenges? And who are you on a deeper level? Because just depicting that Narbar Henny Harlow athlete just doesn't have any flavor these days. It's pretty freaking vanilla, um, which is great. Yeah. You do you boo boo. <laughs> But I like somebody with a narrative, somebody that's fought for something is determined, like that shit's inspirational. And when yeah. you're trying, like we can all appreciate it. Like, you. sorry. Yeah. And when no, you're trying to chase it as well. Sorry, we're like all like so into it. <laughs> but when you're trying to chase it too, you're trying to chase that like ideal and that and pressure yourself into like, I need to do this. I need to go better, get better. And you just like your whole off season, you're just focused on skiing and only skiing and what you're going to do that next season. And you're planning it all out. And then like one thing goes wrong and it can just like flip it all upside down, or you just end up spending all of your time shooting photos. And then you just get to a point where you're like, I just need to ski for myself. Like I haven't skied for myself and I don't even know how long. And you like kind of lose it a little bit. Yeah. That, and and you nailed it. You hit like all all the proper nails in the head. Like, you know, don't don't get me wrong. I was raised on ski porn, and there's a big reason why I'm sitting where I am today is because of just good old classic ski porn. I loved watching all all the heavy hitters. You know, go after it. Eric Horlovson, Mark Abma, Inger Backstrom. You know, Sarah Burke. Like, just getting after it. And it was amazing. And it did it did drive you because you're like, maybe someday I will get there. But then you reach a point where you're just not internally wired for that kind of extreme ability, you know? And, and when I was getting paid, well, I still am, but you know what, when I was, you know, kind of purely getting paid to ski, I really started to beat myself up because I knew deep inside I was never going to reach that. It's not because 
you know, I, I didn't have the physical ability. Like I, I, I was, I'm built for it, you know, da, da, da. it's just mentally, I just wasn't wired to quite push myself to put my body on the line quite as hard as they did. And that to accept that was so impossible to the point where it drove me to burnout. And I got so fed up with myself and so mad at myself that it made me hate skiing because I couldn't match up to that level. And since I couldn't match up to it, then you know what? I decided the most opposite. I'm going to completely turn my back to it. And that's how I'm going to resolve this problem. And it's unfortunate because, you know, some people might be like, yeah, I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to work harder. But I knew it just wasn't in here to quite get to that level. I was never going to be an Angel Collinson. I was never going to be a Michelle Parker. And now, now, after going through multiple years of that kind of like depression, I've settled with that's okay. You don't have to be that person. You don't have to be that kind of skier. It's more important that you're just a skier and stick with what you love. Just because you don't necessarily throw yourself off a massive cliff doesn't make you any less of a person, doesn't make you any less of a skier. You're just taking a different path. You're taking a different line. And that realization, I think a lot of athletes struggle with because we're forced to be like, you're only allowed to be the top of the best. You have to be the most extreme, otherwise you're worthless. And that's something I had to battle with for the last few years. And now going into this winter, I've finally made peace with, and I'm happy. I'm excited to go skiing again. And that's amazing, you know? <laughs> that's something that I feel like I really had to come around to last winter as well. And like on a different scale, kind of entirely but I felt like in a lot of ways I was like destined to like make my break like I had so many things lining up for me and then I'm sure we'll get into it in a later episode that is where I can actually like flesh it out but I was involved in a backcountry fatality and it caused me a lot of anxiety and then I just got to a point where every time I was going skiing I was just anxious and then I couldn't ski very well and I was in an appointment with a therapist like in tears, like, I can't ski. Why can't I ski? Just tell me how I can ski. Because I was struggling just to ski groomers, like left, right. Like I couldn't do anything anymore. I was just yeah. having such a deep mental block. And I was so angry with myself and so frustrated. And I wasn't having fun because I would like had myself stacked up against like me in my competition results and how I was skiing when I was hitting big airs and skiing fast and able to keep up with people on the free ride world tour. And when I was skiing with those guys and like, that was my mm -hmm. standard. And then now I'm in the situation, which is like entirely situational, but I had points where I was like, I should just quit skiing. Like I should just quit skiing altogether. I don't deserve any of these sponsors. And yeah. it's like that mentality you get into where you're like, well, I'm not that good. I don't deserve anything I have. I should just quit while I'm ahead because yeah. what am I even doing here? And it's mm -hmm. re really like sad that you get to that point because of what you're yeah. comparing yourself to. And just like yeah. had to reframe like what is skiing to me and like how do I define success in skiing and how do I define fun in skiing? Because mm -hmm. – for me, I like shaped fun so much wrapped into performance 
but then if you're not performing, you're not having fun. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now that like maybe will reflect on how they ski and like what they think about skiing too. Because as soon as you make skiing about performance, you think you're having fun until you're not performing and then you're not having fun. Yeah. yeah. And you, you, know, and you right? nailed it. You, you exactly totally it. nailed it. Yeah. And it that doesn't was, have that was to be huge, that way. Huge, especially with social media. Like, it, you know, it's one thing if like, okay, perform on the few days you're going out to film, but with social media, it's like every day, you know, I, I was expected to be up on the mountain. I should be skiing and not only just noodling around, like in my head, I was like, I have to be shredding and, you know, someone would take a video and if it wasn't perfect, I'd be like, no, 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 like can't, can't use that. Cause I didn't look my best or, you know, that line wasn't gnarly enough or that hit wasn't big enough or I didn't land that quite well enough. And if I didn't, then it was like, okay, you know what? It's all a wash. Like I'll just pretend like I didn't even go up today. And that's insane. You know, like how about, Hey, I actually had a really fun day of skiing, but the second I chose to like get content for it is when it got serious and when the fun sort of was lost, like, you know, uh, people like Katie Burrell are doing a great example of like kind of making fun of, hey, it doesn't need to be, you know, full send all the time. Like, like, let's let's poke fun of that, to be honest. It's OK to maybe go get up at 1 p.m., take a couple runs and then go get a beer. There's no shame in that. You know, the fact is that you went up. Um, but yeah, like the constant pressure of like always need to perform, like you were saying. And if you weren't performing, then you weren't doing it right. And it wasn't fun. You weren't doing your job and like all these things. And then you just get caught in this cycle of like, I might as well not ski because you know what? It's just not fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. When Renee and I were talking about um, some of the topics that you mentioned today that you wanted to talk about, it made me think about how I validate myself as an athlete and working in the ski industry since I was 14 years old and then moving into um, working with brands and you know, doing professional shoots and all that kind of stuff over the last five years, I've realized that every time I mention what I do in this industry, I have to quantify it by the number of years that I've worked, like the type of shoots that I've been doing, like, it's like that I used to ski race, it's like, I have to talk about why I am skilled in what I'm doing. And it made me think about if like guys have to do that, like, do they have to validate their experience or their ability? Um, if they're talking in like that type of setting, like it's like quantifying your value is important when you're working with brands, because not everybody's going to have that sendability. Like, where are you bringing equity? But how am I evaluating myself as an athlete and what I'm doing and what is valuable? Is it the progression that I have personally every day on the snow? Like you said, Renee, or is it like that I'm matching up to industry standards and expectations? And it was like, it really made me pause and think about um, where I'm placing my value. And I know that this year I struggled with the exact same thing. It was like, I got super depressed through the pandemic and isolated, um, living at my parents' house. Cause I wasn't able to see anybody else. And it just became really difficult to get to the hill. And then when I started not meeting like my content kind of quotas or, um, wasn't getting shots that I was super stoked on, it became, I became like lightly avoidant and the same thing. Like I just didn't want to go skiing anymore. It was like, I didn't yeah. find fun in it. And then and like it kills I, your confidence. It does kill your confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then I realized mm -hmm. that I actually got way more days this year skiing for the soul than for the gram after that point. And those are the mm -hmm. days where like I went to my car and I felt good. 
because it was just me with my headphones in and I was feeling it out with my girlfriends and it wasn't about getting the shot, nailing the turn, like doing the perfect freaking safety grab, which I've never been able to do in my life because my legs are short or <laughs> like trying new tricks and, you know, charging as hard as you can up the freaking track, like the ski skin track, because the people in front of you don't have exercise induced asthma. So mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it was more for the joy of it. But then it also made getting back into working with sponsors difficult, like daunting the amount of work that it takes to mm. do that. I thought I was getting dropped by everyone this year. And then they Same. all got in touch with me and they're like, no, you're good. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, yeah. I was like so sure I was buying all my own shit this year. <laughs> I honestly mm -hmm. think like through school, my grades have dropped a little bit. And, you know, like I was like, man, this is going to look bad on my resume. But then if anybody gives me fucking flack for trying my hardest and not doing like as well as I was through a pandemic, psh, that person's got issues and I don't want to work with them anyways. It's the same thing yeah. with ski brands. Like how can you expect anyone to be a hundred after the last year? It was like a collective yeah. global trauma on many levels. Yeah. Last year was a wash and the outdoor industry did just fine. So if they want to please. Yeah. It's like the outsides, yeah. the outsides that sounded really mm -hmm. bad. The outdoors is one of the only places people are safe. So like gear sales are through the roof right now, which is totally. sick. And that's why I think like these types of movements and like elevating these conversations also have more impact because there's more people entering the outdoors who maybe haven't felt like they belonged previously. So there's more mm -hmm. identification there, which is a dope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Caitlin, when you were going, when you were going through that burnout, did you feel like, um, I guess like what I'm trying to say is there's, there's a mentality that like, if you go skiing, you'll just feel better. You'll just feel better if you go skiing and people are so quick to just push you to keep going skiing, but mm -hmm. no one is there to say, Hey, maybe you just need a break and that's okay. And you can take a break from skiing. And it's okay to take a break from skiing. Everyone's just like, yeah, you should just go skiing. You'll feel better. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And that's because skiing was initially my outlet and my medicine. That's how I first started. I was in high school and, you know, total like lost little teenager like many of us were and um, had no I, sense of identity, was trying to find myself, was trying to find an outlet. And skiing happened to be that. And so skiing was you know, basically saved my life when I was a teenager. And so the assumption is, even if I am technically burnt out on the career of skiing, skiing should help me, you know, find the solution because it has in the past. And the fact that my go-to medicine, the guaranteed 100% every time will pull you out of the black hole medicine wasn't working. If anything, it was making it worse. That was terrifying because then I felt lost. You know, it's like losing your religion, your sense of who you are, your entire identity, the love of your life. It's a bad breakup. It's like losing your religion. It's everything was all of a sudden at, you know, at the forefront. And I had literally no idea how to get myself through this. The only thing that really helped was my motorcycle. And that kind of became my new, the two wheels became my two skis. You know, it was sort of my new, new outlet, um, but it's not a cure-all because I still wanted to come back. I still wanted skiing in my life. It's not like I wanted to say goodbye. Um, but you're exactly right, Renee. There has to be a moment where you actually do just step away. And you just cannot. You have to leave it for a little bit. 
And to accept that is exceptionally hard because it's who you are. And, but I had to do it. And the first year of my burnout, um, it was about a two year process. So when I left my sponsor at the time and the rest of the winter just kind of was on my own, I think I skied like three or four times for over a span of like three months and just didn't want, didn't want anything to do with it. And it was the worst feeling in the world. And then the next winter, like I'm going to do it for myself and had really, you know, a lot of good support, you know, backcountry came into my corner, but they were like, just do your thing. You know, we, we support you no matter what smart will the same way. And knowing that I didn't have that pressure allowed me just to ski for myself. Like you had talked about, which is something I hadn't done in years. And don't get me wrong. This is the world's tiniest violin. Like I love my job was amazing. You know, is, was, is amazing. Um, but to go out and just take a day of skiing and for once not think about, I should film this. I should document this. Is my GoPro on? Maybe I should take an Instagram da, 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 to just go skiing and ski for how long I want. The runs that I want didn't matter. Oh, guess what? I didn't jump off a cliff today. Ooh, didn't fucking matter. It's okay. You know, I skied flat pow all day and I had a blast, <laughs> you know, like that finally felt good. And I could feel that little spark kind of slowly igniting and, and accepting that like it's okay like we were saying earlier not to perform um was huge and like what do you actually love in skiing and for me it's hanging out with my friends skiing really fun lines whether they're hard or not and then cracking a beer at the bottom at the end of the day it's a simple formula and i just had to do that for a little bit <laughs> and it, it pulled me out yeah this actually made me think about a funny uh, hookup story that I didn't really understand at the time when I was <laughs> 20, I think, but I was living on the West Coast and I got drunk at this party and it was like a 1950s inspired party and I look freaking cute. And I ended up hooking up with this dude at the end of the night. And the next morning I woke up, my friend was like, do you know who that is? I was like, no. And she was like, that's blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, and she was like, he's a pro surfer. I was like, word, okay. Sick. Sounds good. It's dope. He's really cute. So that's nice. Um, but then like, he was so freaking nice, like such a sweetheart. And we ended up like hanging out for a little while afterwards. It didn't turn into anything, but he opened up to me about how he felt about his career. And at the time, like that was before I kind of started my career in the ski industry. And um, he was like, I don't love it anymore. He was like, I'm not happy. He just said, I'm not happy. And he was like, I should be happy. I should be so fucking happy. I'm living the dream. Like, this is what a lot of other people want. And I just like, I didn't, I couldn't really empathize with it, I guess. And I think that's what a lot of people see when they look at our Instagram accounts. Like I know in a group project that I had um, for class last year, this guy in my group was like, you know, a lot of people just fake doing cool shit on Instagram, but you're out, actually out there doing cool shit all the time. And I was like, mm -hmm. I guess I am, but I take it for, I don't know. It's the, the burnout really crushes that passion, which is something mm -hmm. that's difficult to navigate. So I think I finally understand what the mystery pro surfer bro was talking about. I finally understood it, <laughs> right? That's, oh, that's a it. flashback <laughs> from my young 20-year-old past. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. But it sounds like you're finding your flow. You're finding your flow again. Yes, finding it because I'm finally going to do what I want to do. Um, so I have these projects this winter that in the past I was like, oh, it's not hardcore enough. It's not extreme enough. 
or I had pitched it and it would get rejected. And so I, I thought there was no clout to it. And I'm like, oh, this isn't legitimate enough. But you know what? Now I'm just going to freaking do it because I know it makes me excited. This is the most excited I've been about winter for the last few years because I finally get to do these things I've always been wanting to do. And I don't give a shit if no one thinks they're extreme enough or cool enough or hardcore enough or any of that. I get to go finally experience what I want to experience in skiing. And that is like... Oh, the rebirth, the rebirth is happening. And I'm so pumped. I'm so pumped for it. <laughs> I think yeah. that's something that everybody can take note of in this episode is to like learn how to redefine your metrics for what success looks like and what for what happiness looks like in this industry. And part of that is getting rid of the male gaze, thinking that that's the standard for success and like just really mm-hmm. honing true to yourself. Because I think that's something especially women forget especially women, because we have to perform on a whole other level, including like BIPOC, LGBTQ+, like there's so many other systemic discrimination, uh, you know, social justice things that they, that we have to work through as well. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like one, one thing that you mentioned when you were signing up for uh, an episode, like scheduling, when we prompted you with questions was that men get treated as athletes and women get treated as spokesmodels. Um, do you maybe want to speak on that a little bit? I feel like we maybe dove into it a little bit in our non-intro, but. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I, um, you know, my, I'm really grateful for the people that brought me on early on in my ski career and gave me a lot of great opportunities. And the initial opportunities very much felt like uh, an athlete. And I was brought in as a, as a true skier. And it was really, really cool. And I definitely knew I, in this trip, um, you know, it was very much a mountaineering focus trip, very off the grid. Um, I was more green than the rest of the group, but I was eager to learn. And I felt like I had a very positive attitude throughout it. You know, never complained, um, you know, did my thing, held my, held my weight. And uh, so I was really fired up. And then as my career continued on with that, that sponsor, it just slowly, I started to become less of an athlete and more as like a spokesmodel. Mind you that sort of coincided with the fact that social media was really taking off then too. So it became more about personality, storytelling and all that. And I happen to be good at that, which is something I really am happy for. I love talking to people. I love telling stories. Um, But I was never given the opportunity to just be a skier. I was always brought on trips to be more about the personality in front of the lens. And I started going on trips that I was really just not interested in. I was like, this is not what I want to do. You're you're bringing me to what ski resort to talk about what chairlift? Like, I wanted to be a pro skier so I could go heli skiing in Alaska, so I could go ski pillow lines in British Columbia, so I could go ski deep pow in Japan. I didn't sign on to talk about a chairlift that's run by some major corporate conglomerate. Like, this is, you know, so I'm sitting there, like, lying through my teeth, trying to keep a happy face, and that's what was expected of me. And that was like the last time I really could actually do that. I was like, I, I can BS some shit, but the little punk rocker in me is like, you are a sellout. You need to go. And so, you know, that's just, that's just where it was like, well, dude, why? And, and even the, the producer pulled me aside. He's like, well, what do you want? Like, what, like what, what do you want from us? I'm like, I just want one chance in the five years I've been here to be able to go on a real ski trip like to go skiing. I spend more time in front of the camera talking about stuff than I do actually skiing. 
So like, go, oh, but that's what you're really good at. Like, we really, you know, you got a great face for it and you have a great voice for it. And like, we really like, like to hear your stories. I'm like, that's cool, but I really like to ski. So I just, I just feel like unless you're like 1%, the top of the top of the top of the top, you are become a spokesmodel. You're lucky to get one shot of you skiing. Where with men, even if you're not the best of the best, like you get the opportunity to even go out and they're like, hey, we brought on so-and-so and we're going to show them the ropes and it's going to be sweet. I'm like, cool. Someone take me and show me the ropes. Just because you don't think I can do it doesn't mean I don't want to do it. Like, give me a chance. You know, I never felt like I got a chance to truly like showcase my abilities as a skier. And that was really disheartening because that's what blew my confidence away. It was gone. I was like, well, maybe I'm a shitty skier. And then that's where the burnout happened. Just escalated. <laughs> You're not a shitty skier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I just. Want I know I don't have man. money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have money and anything and all that stuff, but I can tell you this. <laughs> Thanks. Whenever Renee and I feel like we're shitty at anything, our like pep talk is like, okay, you are a bad bitch. You are the baddest bitch in all of the motherfucking land. You have the biggest sticks. It's like we go off and it's absolutely ridiculous, but it gets the hype very high and then you do way better. So. Mm -hmm. No, I love it. Good. You got to hype yeah. each other up. Yeah. That's actually my drop-in mantra. Anytime I'm dropping in on my mountain bike or my skis, I actually just like do like three deep breaths and then I tell myself, you're a bad bitch. Mm -hmm. And then I drop. Yeah. That's like the that's the sequence is like mm -hmm. deep breathing. You're a bad bitch. Okay, let's go. Yeah, let's go get it. Yeah, let's go get yeah. it. It's like that. Uh, there's that reel, the sound. What is this? Like today we are being bad bitches, not sad bitches. If you're going to be a sad bitch, go have a nappy nap. <laughs> Do like X Y Z. And I'm like, man, I just need someone to tell me that every day. Every day. It's like remember who you are. I think that we often forget to acknowledge and appreciate where we started and how far we've come. It's always seeking mm -hmm. that goal. We're like looking forward, but we're not really looking back to appreciate how much work went into it. So mm -hmm. mm, big team. No, you nailed it. Big team. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you nailed it. Um, yeah, and like I was saying, kind of, kind of jumping back to it, it's just, uh, you know, the more you treat women like spokesmodels, the less female athletes you're going to get. And because the second you tell a woman her voice and her face is more important than her abilities, she's going to really start to believe that. And 100%. Of course, you're, you're going to start to, to lose the confidence. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's what we need, especially in a sport where you feel like you're being judged extra hard as a female. You know, every mistake you make is twice as bad as when maybe our counterpart makes it. And so you put that on top of someone already telling you, you are less than mm. you're going to start to believe it. And definitely. Yeah. It seeps in. You I know, feel we like might be strong bitches, but it will seep in oh, yeah. <laughs> because we're strong because we have to fight through all of that bullshit. Like, mm -hmm. it's like when somebody's like, wow, you're so like mature. I'm like, yeah, it's trauma trauma it's like I had, to, I had to show up at a young age okay it's like I had to like go to therapy and figure my shit out it's like yeah I'm emotionally intelligent but it's because I got fucked up 
Um, <laughs> but I also, I feel like you have entered so many like masculine dominated spaces, like a, like riding for Harley Davidson, uh, being a firefighter, like all of those types of roles are commonly associated with like masculinity and male mm-hmm. gender traits, characteristic norms, like heteronormative everything. And it's like, um, yeah, I think the the strength to push through there and assume that space is remarkable. So freaking dope that you're doing that and that you're on this podcast mm-hmm. telling other chicks that it's worth the battle, right? And by oh, you yeah. claiming that space and also through your social media following, hopefully you inspire other girls to keep fighting through it. And I know that's part of like what Tang's been about is not being scared to post that photo of you progressing. It might not be up to those standards of the ski industry for X, Y, Z, but like you fucking did it. And that is so dope. And trying oh, hot. Okay. <laughs> you always got to try, man. I mean, you'll, you know, when you ultimately male, female, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, when you pursue happiness, you'd be surprised the sort of tricks you can pull out of your hat and the, the sort of, you know, different answers and solutions you can find. And yes, I, I've been a tomboy since I was a little kid and I've been in male dominated jobs, sports since I can remember. And I love my boys. I love, I love my men. I love my boys. I love my crew. I love my brothers. Like they're huge. Um, I wouldn't be here without them. And I'm, I definitely consider myself someone that does well with guys. And actually I feel sometimes a little more awkward around females than I do guys. But at the same time, I've definitely felt even me being, you know, more one of the boys, one of the, the cool chicks that can like hang with the dudes. Even I feel, you know, put down and I feel less than from that. So I can only imagine, you know, women that are definitely more, you know, hyper female that are more within a feminine circle than myself feeling that even tenfold. And, and so ultimately we're all in it together. And there's a lot of men out there that understand it too. A lot of my boys, a lot of my brothers get it. They understand where we're at, but there's a lot that don't. And it's really good that we keep addressing that, you know, and, and by no means bring down our male counterparts, but bring them with us because we need, we need this whole circle to work together because otherwise we're going to get nowhere. Yeah. hundred percent. We actually have so many guys that love Wumtang. It's like, they vibe with it so freaking hard. And I was like, y'all just picking us up right now. And it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like it's so freaking Mm -hmm. dope. And that's like, um, you know, my, uh wonder one of my brand partnerships they're the great but like they have this narrative called standing on the shoulders of the past and it's learning what Mm. didn't work and using that to evolve pushing forward and they're doing it in the aspect of sustainability with their product development and innovation but what we're doing too is like we're learning that that male gaze masculine sphere that the industry is operated in is no longer functional just straight up it doesn't work Mm -hmm. and i know that like i i had a similar experience when i was growing up um i was a hardcore tomboy loved violent movies with my dad like wanted to skateboard (laughs) mountain bike ski like my dad always said i was the son that he never had and I felt really uncomfortable with my femininity, but then at the same time, like in the outdoor industry, that's who I was taught to be. But then like at school and in like regular social context, I was taught that my appearance is all that mattered. So I was caught in this middle ground of wanting to be masculine, but then also being taught that, you know, like I have to look a certain way. I have to dress a certain Mm -hmm. way. Like I shaved my head for cancer when I was in grade six. So I was misgendered for a year. 
And I didn't hit puberty till a very late age. So it was like this constant pull back and forth of who I thought I had to be. And the ski industry and like a lot of the masculine industries that you are working in, they do tell us that masculinity is strength and femininity is not, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. So over the last couple of years, I used to only feel comfortable with guys. I used to feel proud that I was one of the guys. And um, I used to feel really uncomfortable around girls also because of the amount of bullying I experienced from other girls and pushing into that femininity and like being proud of my sexuality and um, because sexuality and femininity are often seen as synonymous as well. Um, It's like not shaming myself, X, Y, Z. Like if I want to get cute, if I want to wear mascara skiing, it doesn't take away from my athletic ability, but we were told that you have to be more masculine to be taken seriously or to demonstrate strength and like not to talk in a certain way. And like that is vulnerable and weak. And that's the way that we have been positioned, but it's a, to take it back is empowering. And then also to see so many guys respecting it and uplifting us as well is also really inspiring. So thank you Mm -hmm. to our womb tang brothers out there. You guys are helping. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't actually (laughs) figured that out yet, but. You're going to figure it out. I don't know. Wounding brothers. <laughs> it is rad though. Like guys will respond to like memes and stuff and be like, oh, or like when I, I when I post like DMs that girls get, guys will message back and be like, oh, that's bad. And I'm like, yeah, this is this is what we actually deal with. Like you say mm-hmm. that you don't know anyone that does it, but like every girl sees this DM and they got one. Yeah. 110%. Oh God. All the time. I kind of wonder what some of the DMs they get, if they ever get like any just really bad DMs from chicks, like out of curiosity. I mean, we went up I mean, to- I'd love to know. I, w- I would really yeah. love to know. <laughs> I think- Hey, we- babe, your skis, you ride a 186. What does that say about you? You know, or something like, you ride a 196? I mean, your skis are long. You know, what does that mean? I don't know. There's got to be some good ones out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think one of the biggest, this is like big stick energy to the T, was when I was standing in the kicking horse gondola lineup and I had my like 107, like 175 skis. I'm five foot four. I'm like 161. Mm-hmm. They're way over my so head. Yeah, yeah, they're they're up there. And this guy, and they were like matte black and dark purple and I freaking loved them. They're beefy. And uh, this guy walked by me. He was like, um, are those your skis? Like really like quietly. And I was like, yeah, they are. And he was like, big skis are sexy. And then he just like walked away. And I was like, thank you. Thanks. Wow. That's like, that's like when a boy is like, fuck, you got nice turns. I'm like, talk dirty to me. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, or you stomp that. You shred. And especially when it's not like uh, pre-interluded with like a, yeah, there's like an easy You're way down over there and then you have to like show them up and then they're like bite their tongue a little bit. It's like when they just like come in with that, you're like, mm, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, I got you. Because guess what? You. He's probably the one that's going to end up having a beer with you later in the day. <laughs> guess 100%. what, guys? That's how it works. <laughs> I know. That's like with my uh, my current boyfriend, we went ski touring on our first date and I like low key like going skiing because then I'm like, this is where I feel like hot girl, hot girl self. This is like my hot girl shit. Um. And I like want to flex there a little bit, but then like 
sometimes you get a little too juiced up and then you like definitely eat shit. And I definitely oh, yeah. knocked off a very big cliff that day. So <laughs> and he probably yeah. was more turned on. He was like, yeah, yeah that was awesome. <laughs> it was like my epitome of stunt nugget. Short dancing can take a hit. Although I probably shouldn't take a hit anymore because I've had a lot of concussions, but it's fine. I'm okay. Hey, I'm okay. <laughs> Here's We're my fine. noggin. I am. Who needs brain cells? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't I, be a rite of passage. It is. <laughs> Yeah, we do we do that <laughs> oh okay I when we were talking about um privilege so like men having that privilege not being aware of it and then pivoting to like our uh you know like seeing our experience and validating it and supporting it there was this really good line that my professor said in my class today and it was like um, unearned privileges are not merit-based. These privileges only exist within a stratified or unequal society. People who benefit from unearned privileges often don't, sorry, often do so unknowingly. Their advantage, which is inextricably bound to others' disadvantage, is unrecognized. So men getting an up, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, mm -hmm. that's just like such a truth bomb. Like I read it and I was like, Damn. I was like, they don't even realize because they've never had the yeah. experience. Of course. No, it makes absolute sense. That's why, like, you know, white people in general just don't under, like, will never understand racism, will never understand anything like that. You know, just like yeah. men won't really ever understand misogyny. Mind you, men have their own thing to deal with. You can't shame them too hard. They're supposed to be strong and masculine and they can't cry and, you know, they can't have emotions and, and so on and so forth. But, though. That's another yeah. part of the patriarchy. Yeah. Hey, guess what? If we change it all, you guys benefit too. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. If you have privilege, of course, you're not going to recognize it, you know? Um, yeah. It, it makes total sense. <laughs> I know. And it was like, this includes male privilege, cisgender privilege, white privilege, heterosexual privilege, and class, which is economic privilege, also able-bodied. Like there's so many mm -hmm. different aspects that we don't even consider. Um, mm -hmm. Freaking bananas. Society, when you actually get into like how society is constructed and the associations that you have about your identity, your value as you operate in like macro and micro cultures, it's, it's really freaking weird to see how you've come together as an individual. And I think this podcast has done really well at highlighting that and sharing those experiences. So it's like mm -hmm. people listening to it are like, damn. I didn't know it was that by it. It's like, yeah, no, oh, yeah, bruh. it is. And I think no, for the girls and, and, too, like all the chicks are like, oh man, like I feel that way. Like I also feel that way. And I think that's why people vibe with a lot of it. And like, there's a lot of dude bros that are like, I, I don't get it at all. And it's not for them. And I but they still support. Fine, but <laughs> but yeah. there's a lot of people who are like, wow, you said what I was thinking. Yeah. Totally. And, and I recognize my privilege too. Like I, you know, I'm blonde hair, blue eyed, like, you know, I, I, I do well in front of a camera and that a hundred percent helped me out. You know, would I have gotten some of the opportunities I did, you know, starting out, I was more brought on as like a ski model than a skier. And those opportunities allowed me to create a portfolio, which allowed me to get sponsors in the long run. But, you know, without that, without that leg up, I may have not been able to, you know, kind of burst in the industry that way I did. And, and I recognize that privilege and, you know, I'm grateful for it. Um, but, you know, it, it definitely, it only goes, it takes you so far. You know, there is a time when you're actually asked to be tested, but, you know, recognizing it, utilizing it, and then using it for the greater good is, is 
that the least you can do when you have privilege in your corner, you know? Um, So yeah. Yeah. I think the fact that you recognize that is really important too. Like, um, sorry guys, I'm all hyped up on my feminist class right now, but those, uh, those standards like blonde hair, blue eyes, those are called Western, uh, beauty standards. Um, Mm -hmm. and what those mean is that through this kind of patriarchal lens, uh, that physical appearance of women is oftenly, is often depicted in visual popular culture. So like in the media products, toys, all that kind of stuff as being attractive. And it's like, as women, like white women, if we can meet that standard, we still feel the pressure, but we don't experience like the full spectrum of Mm -hmm. discrimination for women that can't meet that, especially when that's depicted in like white privileged sports, they feel even more other than. So like having, you know, um, a member of the BIPOC community wanting to enter that space, they don't see themselves as an athlete, especially when athletes for women are depicted as ski models, not having athletic value, but Mm -hmm. rather appearance value, which is part of the problem, right? And it's like, that's why we hold ourselves to such higher standards, because it's like, we've never seen a chick doing these things. It's always been dudes. It's always been like XYZ. And then apply that to like someone in the BIPOC community, somebody in the trans community. Like, it's just like, you see how deep flawed this industry is and it's really freaking cool to see people recognizing that privilege um doing what they can with it and yeah talking about it and also the level of support that people are offering and compassion and like having the courage to say yo I was wrong about that like Mm -hmm. thank you for teaching me something new and I'm going to take that into new interactions and new investments and new postings and all that kind of stuff. Cause I've seen that so much this year. And that's the kind of shit that makes me feel inspired to keep grinding through the hustle when I'm not making enough money, but damn, I'm passionate about what I'm doing, but I'm burnt mm-hmm. out. And I think that's how we all feel right now. <laughs> so, yeah, no, yeah. totally. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, two versions of it. It's like, Oh, you know, you wouldn't be where you are today if you weren't, you know, cute or blonde or any of that, or, Oh my God, from, especially when guys, it's like, man, if, if I was a chick, these are like, you say, you know, middle of the pack male skiers, like, oh, if I was a chick, I'd be the best skier in the world. And it's like, there's just, there's so much more to it than that. You know, jumping back to like, oh, the only reason that you are where you are today is because, you know, you happen to be cute. I'm like, you know what? Fuck you, motherfucker. You know how many emails I've sent out? How many rejections I've got? How many freaking times I've, I'm on the phone. I'm on my computer. I'm hustling, hustling, hustling. I'm constantly trying to get my sponsorships. I'm constantly trying to renew my contracts, constantly trying to get paid. Like, yes, this was a foot in the door. Not going to lie, but it doesn't maintain the door staying open and you have to keep working your ass off and you have to actually prove yourself to a level that you're worth it. You still have to be a businesswoman. You have to be an entrepreneur to make this work, especially nowadays where your talent alone does not carry you in this industry. You have to be the full package. You have to be an athlete. You have to be a spokesperson. You have to be a personality. You have to be a storyteller. You have to do everything. You have to be on top of the social media. You got to create your own content. You got to do all this. Like there's, there's a lot more to it than people think. And a lot of people think I just skate by being like little influencer Kalen. It's like, no, dude, I wake up every day trying to figure out, all right, how am I going to make my next move? Where is my future going? Because it's so unpredictable. And yes, we get privileged, but just because you have privilege does not mean you still don't have to work somewhat hard, especially as a woman, especially as a woman, especially as a person of color, especially the LGBT community, you know, like it's, 
Ugh, it's so frustrating when people say that. I'm like, oh, you're only there because you you're cute. It's like, fuck you, dude. Fuck you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you. You know where a lot of those privileged dudes that don't realize they're privileged are taking that argument is that like mm-hmm. there's not as much competition in women's skiing. So that like, like they feel like their skill levels, they have to constantly push that adrenaline, like super risky development and progress in their athleticism. And they feel like women get it because of their looks. So that's where they're fucking bitter because they feel like they're putting their asses on the line, but they don't realize we Mm -hmm. are also putting our asses on the line every day, like mentally, Mm -hmm. emotionally, like the amount of shit that we have to put up with and deal with being devalidated and objectified is really fucking difficult. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, somebody appreciating you for your appearance and not what you bring to the table as an athlete, intellectual X, Y, Z is objectification. It is. Yeah. I have to ski hard and then I have to take my helmet off and be like, oh, that was a beautiful line. Oh, my God. Mm, So fun. Maybe if if my hair is off my hair is running that way, all I'm going to hear about is like, ooh, she looked like shit after she skied that. Yeah, exactly. Go on, get Go on, get Go on, get it. But uh, Mm. yeah. We still as – oh, sorry. Go, Renee. It just makes you also feel like you need to prove to these people that you are not just that pretty face, that it's not – you're not getting this just because you're a girl. Like, you're actually good at skiing. Mm-hmm. And because I feel like I had a, kind of a similar story to you kind of, Kaylin, where I started skiing later on. So I was always trying to prove I'm good at skiing, not I'm good at skiing for a girl or I'm good at skiing for someone who's only skied for six, seven years. I'm just straight up good at skiing. And that's what I want people to know about me. So you're mm-hmm. constantly trying to prove that. And yet people just want lifestyle shots from you. And you're like, oh, this hurts. This hurts so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. Five years I was with my last sponsor every single time. It was like when I was with the team. All I could think about it was like, I had to prove myself. I had to prove myself. I had to prove myself. And of course I wasn't better than those guys. Are you kidding me? Those are some of the best male skiers in the entire freaking world. Like to, you know, yes, I could kind of like keep up, but of course I'm not going to keep up with them. And so I would absolutely destroy myself internally for that. And it just, it ate me alive. It absolutely ate me alive. So they'd be like, oh, we're going to go skiing. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to like go. I got something to do. I got a phone call or whatever because I was too embarrassed or too shy or too scared to be less than instead of thinking like, hey, maybe these people just want to ski with you for fun and just go have fun. They don't care. You know, it might not be, you know, they're not, they're not necessarily judging you. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but internally we are so hard on ourselves because we think that and because we're conditioned to think if you're not doing your best and if you're not keeping up with these people then you're not worthy of your position Mm -hmm. like talk about a mental fuck (laughs) oh definitely I actually think that this year like when I stepped back when I was depressed from content and just focused on skiing was the first time that I experienced like I don't give a fuck I'm gonna ski that it's like I rolled up, my beats are playing, I was super pumped up and I was in the flow and like everybody's lined up on this like white horn one and I was like, there's like a four cliff back to back and a 360 jump at the end and I was like, I want to ski that and I just, I skied it and I nailed it and I mm-hmm. didn't even think about like performing or doing XYZ, it was just like I saw it, I felt the passion and I did it and one thing that I realized is the more that I dipped into that headspace um, throughout like this season was that there were girls who were coming to ski with myself and my friend group for the first time who were experiencing what I used to experience. 
like, oh, like I'm not good enough to ski with you guys or like, I don't feel this or I don't feel like, you know, like oh, I just didn't ski that that well. And you can hear them talking about themselves that entire time. And like, I do that too, 100%. Like had a filming mm -hmm. like commercial shoot at the end of the season where I called Renee in like full panic attack because I felt like I was skiing like shit and I was letting everybody down. But um, like holding that space for other people and making sure it's like a safe space is something you constantly like, yeah, it's it's really hard. And I think that's something that Wumtang has done a really good job of um, and that like everyone in our community has done is making sure everyone feels welcome. Mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah, everybody needs to know you're not alone. We all feel like that no matter how mm -hmm. good you are. It's like, it's yes. hard to be out there when you're held to these standards, but. Yeah, and hey, you have skis on your feet. Guess what? You're a skier. There you go. Mm -hmm. It's there okay. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We are all skiers. Yeah. You're a skier. I'm a skier. We're skiers. Okay. Big stick energy, baby. Collectively. <laughs> um, I think uh, this has been a dope conversation. I feel like we've hit so many important things, and I think we dove a little bit more into some topics that we've brushed on in past episodes, which is awesome. And <laughs> The concept of burnout but we um i think we unfortunately got to wrap it up because we're guilty of talking too much sometimes i don't know yeah, why i just course. went southern there but i did um <laughs> uh, another accent from tori <laughs> i wonder if somebody can make like a bingo card for all the episodes of how many accents i have <laughs> there'll be a reel someday of like all the different accents yeah I mean, it's all recorded somewhere we hit batman yeah, hey, western right mm -hmm. i don't know what oh, it yeah. is but I like my, it. The more I drink, the more my Idaho slang comes out, especially when I'm in Idaho. Idaho. It's like, Y'all no matter where I'm going to get it. That one got like, really. <laughs> um, anyways, whew, put that away. Um, Caitlin, do you want to take this opportunity to, you know, plug any sponsors? This is kind of your, your time to shine, close it out, tell people <laughs> where to find you. Yeah. Hey guys. Uh, appreciate y'all listening in. Um, but yeah, you can find me on the old Instagrammer. That's about the only place you'll find me because I don't do Facebook. Um, but it's at Kaylin Thorian. And yeah, come follow me along, you know, whether it's moments of introspection, moments of goofiness. You know, I like beer and I like poetry. It's sort of a whole hodgepodge. Don't ask me for my playlist because it's too weird anyways. And uh, yeah, big shout out to uh, Backcountry and Smartwell and Harley Davidson for supporting me through the highs and lows. I really appreciate it. But also to the community out there. You know, you guys are great. Without you guys, I wouldn't be sitting here. I think a lot of us wouldn't be sitting here. And, uh, you know, let's keep the, the social world positive and full of stoke. Let's keep this winter full of stoke. Let's support our brothers, our sisters, every person of color, every person, regardless of where they're going in their life. It's all love because two skis are two skis. Snow is snow. Let's keep it like that. That was freaking beautiful. Remember, guys, it's frozen <laughs> water, plastic, and wood. And variable two training. skis or two skis. Don't get too excited. It's just freaking skiing. On that note, yeah. flex that big stick energy. Have a great week, everybody, and we will see you next Monday. Hello, hello, hello. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and we have, um, I feel like I say this all the time, but it's one of my favorite episodes. They're always one of my favorite episodes because you get to talk to the coolest people ever. Josh Malchek is on the show. He is uh, over at Season Equipment. He is taking care of like their media, their website, that kind of thing part of the team that includes austin smith and of course eric pollard and uh but previously he was at line skis and full tilt for a very long time he made a lot of things happen there including uh taking care of the 
traveling circus budgets and figuring out like how to market that material um, and honestly figuring out how to make line work in a lot of ways and same with full tilt um he's one of my favorite people uh, to come on the show he is an absolute marketing genius he both adam sourwine and i were super blown away just by how easy he is to talk to i mean he is like as easy as it gets to when it comes to getting people on the show and having a conversation with them um we kind of jump around a bit but overall i i'd love this chat and i hope you do too um you can find more info on josh in the show notes and you can also check out season equipment at season eqpt.com and uh yeah that's the gist um be sure to leave us a review on itunes if you get the opportunity it helps us a ton it is the metric that i care about the most probably um so if you could leave us a five-star review both adam and i really appreciate it and one more time we have uh, a bunch of new shows coming in september so i'm excited to share those with you shortly um yeah more to come um next week we have mike powell coming up this tuesday and that is a good episode even if uh we might be a little smoked in it so um that's it that's all i got for you guys enjoy the episode with josh malchek and i'll talk to you guys later bye who are you what do you do? Tell people a little bit about yourself, and then we'll uh, we'll take it from there. Who am I? Okay. Not philosophically, just who are you? Who am uh, I? What have you done? What's like? What's what the background? Done? If you if someone needs to look at your LinkedIn, right? Yep. They get a LinkedIn. Josh wants to be friends with you on LinkedIn or whatever that wants to be what's a connection. Say in there? Good question. Yeah. What is it? Well, Josh Malchek. You'd probably first ask if you're just reading my last name how to pronounce that. Mm. Malchek. A lot of consonants in there. It's Polish. But 36 years old, and I'm from the East Coast, Connecticut. Originally, we're sitting here in my house in Seattle, Washington, Fremont to be more pointed. And then, um, what else? Who am I? Oh, yeah. What I do for, for work. I'm the uh, brand director <laughs> brand director for uh, Season Equipment, which is a, uh, a new snowboard and ski brand that has uh, come into existence as of October 2020. And previous to that, I was at Line Skis, which is part of K2 Sports, and also Full Tilt Boots uh, for 12 years or so. Started when I was really young. Yeah. So I want to do a little bit of backup. I don't want to just focus on, like, your past and all that stuff. Oh, I want yeah. to talk about what's Put going forward. on now. I want to talk about some stuff that's, like, current and all this jazz. But I want to know, like, you you did a shit ton for Line and Full Tilt. I think that's putting it lightly. Uh, I'm sure you feel the same way. Uh what what did you do there? What what exactly was your job, and what were your duties kind of as you progressed in the company? Because it's a I know that's kind of a long winded question, but it's what did I yeah exactly. what did you do is essentially what the question <laughs> is. If we really want to dumb it down, I was kind of like for those twelve years, I did a lot of the same thing just with a different job title at some points, yeah. you know. And uh, begrudgingly, I'd sometimes be like, I'm the highest paid, you know shipper in the world of of product to some team rider in austria or something like that but um i started as the intern well i actually started as a local hotshot rider in uh in the east coast but i wasn't very good and no one can pronounce my last name so i quickly went into the back end of uh snow sports and realized i should just get a job in the industry in order to afford to pay for it and um so intern with jay leventhal when um when line was based in burlington vermont went to uvm Worked at Ski Rack for a little while, which was pretty funny. And the Meathead Films, I was an intern, which is pretty also hilarious. And then uh, I was hired as the marketing coordinator and team manager 
in 2008. So the first economic downturn of my career uh, right after that. So 22 years old and um, did that basically working with the team, doing a lot of weird digital marketing things and basically being the guy in the office in Seattle while working with Jay Leventhal who lived in Vermont. So did that for a while, new job title, marketing manager, brand manager, and then what's, it seems like seven or eight years ago now that Jay left line skis in full tilt boots. And then I became the brand director, which was in the world of K2 sports was kind of like the de facto, like last rung of someone who is brand centric in that, in that world. And isn't, um, multi-brand centric, I guess you'd say. It doesn't yeah. work for all the brands at, at KG Sports. So oversaw those those two brands for, what, six or seven years. And in that aspect, I, I know I haven't answered what I actually do this entire time. Hey, man, I've, <laughs> just, I'm just here to prompt. I'm just here to prompt. I'm just, I'm just keeping the uh, the high-level things here. But, um, but, yeah, the titles are there. But what I would do in, on a daily, yearly, you know, seasonal basis is – Oversee the the general brand vibe, you know, taking you know making sure that we're staying consistent to what you know the line skis and full tilt boots brand you know tenants are and and how we looked. Graphic design, new product uh, product explorations, working with the engineers there, and just basically everything it was a small crew. So it was like it was a lot of just where are we at with this or how do we get this into the states quicker than it is right now or a lot of like push and pulls and and internal marketing of our, our little brands inside of K2. It's a pretty big um, big umbrella of stuff. And so a lot of internally, I guess, internal education of like the cool things that we were doing and the potential that the brands had to mm. try to unlock more funds to, to make more stuff or, you know, to do more cool stuff. So I, what's, it's got to be so hard to manage the look of a brand from the outside, like to put yourself in, not just in the shoes of one other person, but in the shoes of the mass market almost like you want to connect with all these oh, people. Dude. And I, I give you a lot of credit because line and I've been at the shop since I was a little, little kid. And I just remember line being like this constant up and down. And then it hit this like huge thing where it was like people, all people wanted was line and full tilt, right? <laughs> it didn't matter what else we had on the wall, even Debello for a time. It was like, nobody cares that Debello's here. Nobody cares that this brand is here. They want just your brand. And that's really hard to do to make people like the brainwash kid. And I say brainwash in a nice way, but you brainwashed a bunch of kids into thinking that line and full tilt was the fucking coolest thing that's ever existed. I talked uh, full tilt easier to explain because line line has a lot more history and a lot more like I don't know, just more vibe to it, I think. But full tilt was kind of and I, I don't give myself much credit here. Jay Leventhal's branding positioning genius that he's I, a genius. I yeah. got to. To work with, so um, seeing how he positioned Full Tilt, um, basically from the get-go of not like calling it the line boot or something like that, because it was called the line boot. You know, in the back end, everything is was run by the the line Full Tilt guys, but in the for consumers, it's line skis and Full Tilt boots. And like, yeah. you, you, you know, you, it's not hard to figure out the connection there, but like, it's promoted as its own independent brand, and that was pretty genius because then we opened up our I guess, stable of people we can work with or things we could do to everybody in the industry. Yeah. As opposed to just like line skis athletes. So like, that's why Tom Wallace, who was on Scott at the time, Seth Morrison was the number one guy. Mike Hornbeck was like on the thing. We just were giving away boots like crazy. And it was just, it was a, the best of both worlds at that time for, for full tilt because it was, it was reintroducing a boot that was a winning 
formula and that everyone knew from the 70s and 80s and like people the whole story of full tilt or rightly flexons is like i kept these things alive forever and like seth morris was like the antithesis of that but then it was reintroducing it to an entirely new generation that had no idea what's going on it yeah. looked totally different and then all their heroes are on the damn boot yeah. so they're like well tom walsh uses it this guy uses yeah. it like and it was like I think I remember reading on some forum one time, they're like, Fulltail's just like this giant marketing department and they got all these people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I love that because there was, there's, it was, I was in the marketing department. That was yeah. The whole thing. But it, it felt like that <laughs> because it was like you were hitting things that were so specific, right? I just remember in my head, I like have that Seth boot, like with the like plaid graphic on the front of it. And like, it, I just remember thinking every year with the Fulltail boots that whoever's doing this and deciding like how this is going to get pushed to people has figured out what kids want on new schoolers, right? Because that was the outlet to sell boots. That's yeah. where people decided whether well, colors, shit was no hot else. or not. And, you know, we were in the market. You're looking at the market, and it's like, yeah, boot companies weren't, like, acting like shoe companies. Why don't like, they? I still think they don't do it enough. Well, because stores like, like, not maybe like you guys. Are not like us. Don't we buy all play? of them. We buy everything. We buy the whole line, A to Z. But I like the You have other colors. things that, like, fit other people's feet, though, too. Like, it, it is, it was so weird, like, a lot of boot guys would give us so much shade because they're just like, you're just, I got to put these boots on someone that doesn't even fit their foot, but they like, the customer's always right, oh, so totally. I got to sell them something. Oh, I can't tell you how many 28.5s <laughs> I've sold to a kid that's a 25.5 because he wouldn't shut the fuck up and yeah. was like, here's my money, exactly. take it, right? And I've heard the story, like, oh, turn them away, man, be better than, I'm not better than Or that. like I'm a store would show up at the trade show booth and be like, well, I guess I have to carry your boots now because every kid walks, <laughs> every kid under the age of whatever with a tall tee, comes in and it, like demands them and it's like having consumer demand is dude and it huge. wasn't just consumer demand it was walk in have full tilt yes or no if no turn around yeah, it wasn't amazing. conversation it wasn't can i get you when somebody comes in and they ask for a k2 boot a whatever boot you can put them in something else when they yeah. come in and ask we don't sell atomic when somebody comes in and goes oh <laughs> you know an atomic boot i'm like Ah, oh, fuck atomic. This is like, whatever. Sorry, Immediately. Getting you're getting a salmon, you're getting a K2, and they never don't, like, they leave with a product. Almost always. And that actually uh, ties in, or that's a good good segue into the success of that comp- with line also. it's It was creating consumer demand, talking to actual skiers, or yeah. marketing to actual skiers, as opposed to, you know, shop buyers and stuff like that. Whereas most established brands, their business, they're a manufacturer. So they... Their business is, and Line and Full Tilt were manufacturers also. They sold yeah. to specialty retail, and then they sold to the consumer. But we had such a um, consumer-facing marketing power with, like, all these athletes and everything like that. And do you remember, I don't know, how old are you again? 26. Okay. So you don't remember when, like, Line, like, had the most insane pro team in the world, like Skogan and Mike Nick and... Barely. Like, I was a kid. I remember being kid in the shop. Okay, so, like, like see, it was, like, like the sickest kid. pro team yeah, ever. Totally. And, like, and Jay was spending money like crazy. And then at that time, they, he was, like, out of business, like, yeah. bankrupt. So they had to, like, he, he fired everybody but Eric and uh, Ashley Battersby. Yeah. And, like, and that was it. And so the – where am I going with this? Basically, the strategy there was to start going grassroots and start, like, just floating skis to a lot of people and getting a lot more – yeah. consumer like get that grassroots um <sighs> buzz going a little bit more and those kids that's who turned into like lj strenio and will weston and these guys and so having that um i guess just focusing on that end consumer a bit more than the like instead of the retailer instead I think. of the retailer was was definitely the 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 things that really set us apart to like you want that person to go in and demand a product as opposed to like being sold something 
and I because think, they don't need me. Yeah. That's why I loved selling full tilt so yeah. much at that time because it was like they don't need me at all. Mm-hmm. I I'm not better than anybody. I I think if I can do my job with no work, I'm in. Like I don't yeah. I, if my job is functioning well, and everything's working, people are coming in, they're buying the product. I think that's an amazing yeah. thing because and they want it, right? Like some I go and I buy a shoe. I bought the shoe that I wanted. Nobody told me like the yeah, shoe exactly. fits the shape of your foot. It's like I know what I want. That's I want dunks and I want them in this color. And this is exactly what it is. You guys were the first company yeah. to me to do that. And there's a ceiling to it and there's risk too, because For it's sure. like it is fast fashion. And it's like if you don't have your your finger on the pulse of what's going on, it yeah. you can miss. Whereas I'd say a larger percentage of people walking into a store, like a sporting goods store or whatever, do need the the retailer. Uh to kind of guide them through what they want because it's yeah. like oh dude i went skiing like 10 years ago i have these shitty skis totally yeah and then they look on the wall and this is foreshadowing to what we're talking about with right. season in a little bit here I look on the wall and they're just totally overwhelmed and they're just yeah. like dude what are all these crazy colors what is magnet traction what is this what is yeah that? What is this? yeah and so having having a yeah having brands where like a kid was already pretty knowledgeable about what was what they wanted to buy definitely helped us grow at those times. And there was years, the, the early years of full tilt when, you know, I was like 24 or whatever. I remember we would, we were growing a hundred percent. We yeah. was, we were a hundred percent more stuff. Like, and there was like three or four years. And then like, we started getting a little bit more bold with our graphics and then like actually categorizing these things. I mean, we were basically taking one mold and making like a model yeah. line of like 10 things, totally. which yeah. is crazy. Like I remember somebody got so mad at me. I, I don't know who they worked for. <laughs> But we had a story on ESPN's, like they used to have a ski blog. Yeah. And it was like a pretty well done uh, media thing. And it was a full story about how Full Tilt's new boot has rubber soles. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only difference. And someone's like, this is a story? This is news? This is not news? And I'm like, yes, it is, because it's Full Tilt. And no one cares about it. <laughs> it was great. So it was, it was a great like PR thing. And we had so many athletes and my final thing at full tilt was pretty funny. It was kind of like a spite sale. You know, the booties, you like the booties, the, like, yeah, the, that's the, the best product full tilt's ever created. Exactly. That thing. Yeah. So that thing is great. Like we, um, ride snowboards, a, a sister brand of ours, brother brand, cooler brand, snowboard brand. Uh, <laughs> they made, they made these booties and, um, the, the, the engineer there, I'm like, dude, can we, these are so awesome. Can we please like knock yeah. them off or whatever? Yeah. And they're like, sure. And I was like, okay, well let's just give them away the first year. Then we made them that bright, mm-hmm. bright yellow. Got them, dude. And, uh, they're so warm. They didn't breathe at all, but like they were like, oh. but if you're standing outside, it, it, like all the reps love them. Cause they're like standing at their rep stations or whatever. Like, yeah. And it's got an inch of intuition foam on them. But anyways, <laughs> Long story longer, um, you know, we had them, and then finally we threw – we couldn't sell them for legal reasons for a little while, and then, like, kind of worked through that, and then we're like, okay, now we're selling these things. Yeah. And and the the CEO right now at, at K2, great dude, came from the footwear industry, like Converse, Nike, yeah. like big-time stuff. He's like, those things are so ugly, and they don't breathe. They suck. He's <laughs> like, you're never going to sell any of those things. And so I was like, shoot, I got this huge stable of, like – of people wearing boots i've never really asked them for a favor and i'm like let's try to see how many of these we can sell in like one day yeah. and so we you know we built you know built the we had the 1.0 booty and the other booty and then like on like september 15th of like 2019 or whatever it was like that was like booty day yeah and i basically hit up every single person i've given a free pair of boots to in the last 10 years and was like hey i've never asked for a favor before but can you like reshare this just today and and that list was like bobby brown and like henrik harlow and phil yeah it, it was literally like a 
we had, I think it was like 5 million organic impressions or whatever. And so that one day, we sold like a thousand of these things off the website. <laughs> it, it was, it was kind of just to prove the power of that full tilt like consumer. And they're like crazy good. It's, it's amazing to see like Jay Leventhal has done such a good job of his brand like year eight or whatever. I mean, he just sold a thousand pairs of skis like last weekend. Yeah. And because he has a very, very um, loyal consumer base. And yeah. For, for a good reason. And, and I never really tapped into it with Full Tilt until the booty yeah. situation. <laughs> no, so. it's crazy, man. That thing is so good. I like was, that's the first thing from Full Tilt that I was like, I have to have this right now <laughs> and I need to sell so many of them because it was immediate. I put it on and I was like, oh, oh God. And I remember somebody at the, when I got so them, ugly, they were awesome. like, it <laughs> smells so bad. He's like, I showered and then I put them on right after and they smell for six years. Like it, it was like, <laughs> And it's true, but now like 32 is biting you guys too. Like oh, they've dude. got a full lineup of the exact same boot, looks exactly the same. I had a I had a large um, product line expansion that was like a full boot, like snow boot thing, and oh, like dude, make high heels, dude. make everything, like make whatever you want, man. Like I'm I'm in. Shout out if uh, Tom Petrowski or someone in the boot department at uh, K2 Sports listening, I would love to be a consultant for. No, just do it at season. Boot things. Do it at season. Forget <laughs> them. Forget them, dude. Just move on. Just move on. Do it at season. But yeah, they, uh, it's it was a fun fun little project because it was just like it was very interesting to see like oh let's actually try to sell these and it's sweet i'm glad everyone gets them yeah and yeah. from the get-go we said we sell these off our website direct and that's it and like yeah. all the stores like fuck it we'll just we'll buy them too and so yeah it it's it's one of the, we've definitely made products at k2 like one of my best friends is the finance director there that are, we're just like total dogs like yeah or like dumb products like a line traveling circus watch yeah and we had like 500 of them in the warehouse being like what's up with this watch like the traveling circus watch turned into like a term yeah of like just a product that was so stupid that why the hell do we even make this thing yeah and at first everyone thought that's what the booty was going to be and then we sold them all so yeah no the streetwear is getting better i mean i know you're not there anymore i'm like giving them compliments like you're still there but it's like the streetwear is better now because before it was like i am a skier i am a skier for your baby i am a skier for a t-shirt <laughs> I sold a, a lot okay but yeah and then it died and then for five years you guys were still like you're a skier and you're gonna remember it dude <laughs> it, was, it was never really the highest uh priority of uh, of the line skis full tilt boot world but um but yeah. when you have a cult following like that you can do that kind of shit and like if k2 did that they wouldn't just k2 the brand did that it wouldn't sell the same it's yeah. not the same thing but if i want to wear a full tilt sweatshirt or sweats or fucking socks like yeah you're wearing full tilt socks right now dude the stuff is comfortable it looks right, good right. it's simple like it's that's that's what people look for i think <laughs> in streetwear and full tilt's got that clout and it looks like you're doing the same shit with season because that hat's cool these are very the shirts yeah, cool we're, we're like, going timeless here um, so anyway, let's talk about what season yeah, is. What's let's new. move forward yeah. a little bit here. So that was a decade of my my young adult life, which was great, and I I I owe that place my my career and and all the beautiful things I've I've done in the world. The place owes you a lot too. I, I yeah. think that's fair to say. And uh, I I got nothing but the when I left it was pretty funny because that was it was the I'd always say every year oh this is the sickest product line or whatever but it was it was the best product line I, I I'd ever been a part of what year was what product two years launched? ago it was when it was when like the vision 118 came out yeah that was the best the line ones. for yeah great looking graphics everything's clean the designer at the time was um this guy charlie who, who we really like kind of honed in on some certain branding elements and things like that and it was just super super connected and um yeah i was pretty hyped so yeah i was like to go out from a career on like a good note is like really rare it's and, hardly or, ever happens yeah and it's really hard to like leave your childhood dream job. Like the 16 year old me was like kicking myself in the nuts of being like, why 
am I quitting this job? It's so comfortable and I know it really well. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's too hard to say now, obviously, but like, is that a job that you look, you would go back to ever? Or are you just like, you're past that? It's not what you want to do anymore. I don't know. You, I never say never on anything. So it's like, yeah. it's not like I, the exact job. Like the reason, the reasons why I, I did leave were it was, there was an opportunity I couldn't pass up of just doing something completely new. Yeah. And I had been doing the same thing for five or six years. And I would, I could have continued to do the same thing for, for forever. And, and they would have just went on travel the world, do, do the things, uh, develop some new products, like use all the, the great toys that K2 sports has like full on production facilities and really push the, push the meter and use, use some big budgets and things like that. But, um, yeah, it just got kind of stale and there was a very unique opportunity that was presented to me that decided to go. I, it was just pretty funny. That was January, 2020. <laughs> Weird timing. Like, Hilarious. Oh, pandem- pandemic's time. coming. Let's uh, go to a ski brand that doesn't want to sell skis. So my no question is, Josh, tell me. <laughs> tell me. Tell me about season. Tell me about the philosophy. And tell me why why it is the way it is, I guess. Who's involved? Give me the... Okay. Give the, me the... the give me breakdown? The, the two-minute breakdown, what the brand is. I've never actually, like, practiced this because... The beauty of season is there's no, um, you know, giant sales meetings with reps yeah. and uh, showings and things like that. So yeah. I don't really have that like full, you know, elevator pitch down. But like I've been living and breathing this brand for the last 18 months. So it's it's been uh, it's it's coming into a lot more clarity for all of us in this. Mm-hmm. But so basically I'll start with um, jumping ship from previous career january 2020 did not know that there was a pandemic coming i mean there was a little yeah there was a bit going on yeah no one no one let us know but uh (laughs) it's fine but um it's a the brand itself is um a an amalgamation of eric pollard who's a founder professional skier line skis visionary all these you can look them up icon and um and austin smith who's a an iconic snowboarder also in in bend 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 oregon and um and then in partnership with the Evo uh, retail store and online behemoth that, that Evo is. And uh, we've, we've had that connection for a long time. They live right down the street. Yeah. And Eric's known Bryce Phillips for a long time. And then we have a partner in Switzerland, a, a Swiss family, that, that deals with another part of the brand. So it's, it's kind of this like triple three-headed beast that um, everybody is basically focusing on what they do best. And so Evo is... Uh, our skis and boards are only available in Evo stores currently and then direct to consumer through our website. And then, um, so they're very good at selling ski- skis. They have a great vibe. They're a community organizer. I mean, there's just so many events and initiatives that they do. They're, they're, they're a very large company, but they're also like still, ski- I mean, Bryce Phillips skis more than anybody else lives at the past mountain biker. Dude lives life. Yeah. And like, and they're, they're, their give back programs are like pretty legit and like very, very, um, they're amazing. I, they're what I look to. Like (laughs) I, I'm a hater like through and through. I like look at other shops and I'm like, I can do that better than you. You don't deserve to be here. I look at Evo as somebody who is doing things correctly. Yeah. Somebody who's doing it the right way. And uh, a group that like has it figured out. They have a system. Yeah. Like they have it. I mean, it's a good partner. So partnering with them was just, that. that's a no brainer. It gave me a lot of, um, I mean, a lot of, uh, gave me pause of being like why am i quitting my very comfortable job that i really love um but then the partners that we were working with and the people that i'm working with really made me it made an easier conversation but yeah so working with eric and then evo and then the swiss guys and then um our engineer is andy hitchon who is a uh, I i worked with way back in the day he was the engineer for line skis like 
12 years ago, something like that, good friend, uh, grew up or grew out of that role and then started running all of K2 Sports' uh, development. And then he went to Armada Skis for a long time. So he was Armada Skis, basically one of the smartest hard, good, hard goods developers that there is. So he's on the he's on the team. Eric's on the team. Oz on the team. And uh, like I was saying before, we turned the mics on. It's like Andy is engineer. He is... What is that? Right brain? Left brain? Left brain? I don't know. I don't know. Really very engineer. Either, so, yeah. he's, he's organized. Yeah. <laughs> and he's organized. He's organized. He knows how to make products. He knows how to get them from factories around the world to a store to someone's feet. Eric is visionary, creative guy. Mm-hmm. Doesn't do many Excel spreadsheets, which is totally great. Don't want him in Excel spreadsheets. You know, can really see the, the higher level of knowing what he wants to do. And then you got me, who's like middle brain, who is um, the reason why I exist in this uh, trifecta. Can you hear that kid out there? That was... So where were we? What were we talking about? I have no idea. Moderator? Don't look at me. Oh, God. We were talking about uh, season equipment and where we're, where we're at these days and um, in our, our group of people that we have. So basically, it's yeah, Eric Pollard and, and Austin are are the front-facing founding members of, the, of this, uh, this group. And then our partners are Evo and then a Swiss family in Switzerland. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's this cool trifecta where we get to me and eric uh get to kind of focus on the the brand side of things and build the brand and, and what we want is in product obviously and then uh evo takes care of distribution finances things of that nature nightdecker guys take care of european distribution and then also some product um product development too. I, I really like that you guys are taking the approach where it's you're all doing what you're good at you're yeah. taking your position because so many companies in the ski industry are I'm shipping, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and these are my jobs, right? Like, this is where I'm, this is where I'm at. I do everything, right? Sound, and I'm sure there's still a lot of that doing everything thing. I'm not taking away from that. That That is what this industry lives on, is people doing more than they're supposed to. Customer service, uh, the phone number on the website went to my cell phone for the first few months. That's what I mean. That's exactly <laughs> so. what I mean. But you're an extru- like you're a very talented talker. You're a very good communicator you're the right person to do that if they call eric i can't imagine that conversation's going as well right if they're like i don't know if i like to ski that much eric, i mean i i don't know eric but i can't he's, imagine he's gonna be like oh he's great how can i change that for you, you know like <laughs> it's it's funny we're all kind of hands on deck which is cool we're we're partnered with which with some larger entities but like it's it's a 100 independent small brand yeah and um and when this idea came up to, to create a brand, it wasn't like, let's create this exact brand. I got the idea. It's done. It was just kind of like, where is this going to go? And it's been a really beautiful, um, I guess you could say organic process to come to where we are now. Because as it started, I mean, these things have been, and I can't speak for Eric that much, but because um, he's basically the visionary of this thing. He brought me on. Everyone's like, oh, damn, you left line and took Eric with you. I'm like, no, no, he was he was going and he he you know, wanted me to join him with this thing. Yeah. And, um, smart. So, because he didn't want, I'm, I'm the middle brain guy, you know, I'm I'm the one who's like, who's commercializing his, his ideas. And we've been, we've been collaborating on that stuff for the last 10 years of of our lives. So he kind of trusted my ability to take what he's creating and then make it into something that someone can understand on, on, in the world or commercialize it, I guess you would say. But, um, yeah, the, the, where we've gotten to now, I mean, there was just a lot of iterations. And in the brand, we did want to take a step back and look at the industry as a whole and say, okay, no one needs another another brand. There's so many good ones out there. Like, what 
what are we going to offer or what are we going to, how are we going to differentiate ourselves in a way that is uh, unique and, and gives a pretty good value proposition of someone coming into or choosing us. And uh, it, <laughs> with launching a brand with Eric Pollard, everyone kind of thought there would be a bunch of trees and clouds on some crazy ass shaped skis and no snowboards and things of that nature. And then we come out with starkly black products, skis and snowboards promoted equally. And it really threw some people off. <laughs> it's my favorite graphic of all time. I just want to say that like I've been asking and any rep that I've ever worked with can probably attest to this. I think that every ski should be black all the time. I really do believe that. And maybe it's a little aggressive. Maybe not every ski should be black. Like I know Fisher does the pink ski and I'm supposed to promote, but like everything should be because it's not about the graphics so much in a lot of ways. It's about what the ski does for you, but yeah. not getting old. And you have that blank template. You can do whatever you want to your black ski. It's just, it's your black ski. You do what you want with it. And those aesthetics play into the, um, you know, and, and Eric's obviously, if you've read his book or things like that, I mean, he's he's made over 45 different ski models and they're all different looking. And it was this every year, what's going to be a new graphic? And, you know, it's that fast fashion situation of like, and it's cool. They're all beautiful. And a lot of other companies do it really well. And you see great graphics every year. But um, yeah, in order to come into the market and really make a, a difference and and to kind of play into our our main brand tenants i'll get to that in a second um was to to go this way and and really focus on like the shape of the ski and then just small nuanced graphics or small nuanced branding hits on it. if you look at the skis there is yeah. there's laser etching there's there's inlaid uh different colored sidewall situations clean. there's a little it's very clean and there's there's a there's a lot of like uh, discovery elements in there too but so that the look of the snowboards and skis is directly in line with our one of our brand tenants which is longevity and so well let me back up we have three brand tenants we had like 10 at first it was just like style and this and community and diversity and all these like there was like a lot going on we had a big 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 um you know very analog mood board we still have all that stuff in in the office but um but yeah there was just a lot of what do we want to focus on and we've we've boiled it down to the three things and it's equipment simplified equipment in common, and equipment longevity. And so I'll start with simplified. If you look at our product line, it's the first year, it was only three skis and three boards. And I, I shouldn't have said only there because we intentionally made it only three skis and three boards that have the same name and have similar shapes that are made for the conditions that are good, but they also transcend categories. So like it's the arrow is built for hard snow and excels really well at hard snow, but can also do everything else. Like when, when products get too, I guess, niche or specific, then it just creates like this quiver thing. And there is quiver people. People love quivers. And, but we wanted to really simplify the equation because what I was talking about before, someone coming back into a store or getting back into skiing, we want to do them a service of simplifying the equation of being like, oh, I don't have to like do research on like 40 different brands. Like K2 has 50 different models or like DPS has like 35 different models. Of skis. Mm. It's really, really confusing. And I'm sure they're all great, but no, they're, they're not. <laughs> Don't do No, 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 they're not. Okay. I'll let you be. Continue, continue. <laughs> There's a lot of great skis out there, but the nuances of differences are just so minute. And then it's like, 
And this is what I did for 12 years of my life. I said, yeah. last year's product line sucked. This year's is amazing. And next year's <laughs> going to be even better. And then it's like, well, what changes? Like, well, the colors. And there's like a three millimeter difference in the side cut. And then we have this new thing called like yeah. bingo, bango, like whatever. Or THC, THC, dude. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all pretty good. But um, but just a lot of marketing bullshit and all that stuff that was, that was just basically ancillary. Like you didn't really need it. And so we wanted to really simplify the equation. So that's where the equipment simplified really came from. And then in common, you know, it sounds so silly that like, you know, there's there's like a war of skiers and snowboarders or whatever. But, you know, that's how it is. Snowboarders yeah. came in to the game much later and people got mad because they were cooler or something like that. But anyways, there there is brands out there that make skis and snowboards. They're larger. Solomon, K2, all that stuff. But they all kind of pretend that they don't. The other one doesn't exist. You know, K2's getting a bit better. They got the same website. I think Sean Pettit's saving the world. Sean Pettit's saving the world. He's really bridging gaps there. But um, yeah, with with Eric and Austin and, and just us in general, we're just like, dude, that's just silly. And it just it starts with promoting skis and snowboards on on the same level and not like putting one in one place or whatever. Eric's a skier, Eric's a snowboarder, Eric's a surfer. Like I've snowboarded since like fifth grade and but skied since like one, but I'd be more labeled a skier, I guess, because I ran a ski company for a long time. But, um, but yeah, that, that in common, and, and it goes deeper than that. It's guy, girl, young, and old. Like, it's, it's not like... It's not gender specific. Yeah, not gender specific. Like, gender neutral product is what skis and snowboards should, should have be. been forever. Yes. Like, yeah. and it's, Thank you. it's all this kind of funny, like, not, yeah, it's bullshit, I guess, where you're just like, yeah, the Pandora is the sick day. And yeah. it's just got a teal color or whatever the trending color is and smaller sizes and so it's like you don't i don't know there there was really no reason so to bring that all together just one simplifies the equation a lot more and then also just kind of celebrates that like it doesn't matter what's on your feet or what color you are what gender you are whatever it's 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 a it's equipment that's why season is called equipment instead of just like skis or snowboards how are you going to make money okay that's my question (laughs) you knew it was coming how are you going to make money because you guys are preaching longevity, which I think is amazing. And I think it's important. And all of this stuff is really great until you can't pay your bills, right? Yeah. Like, and I think we all, you have investors. What happens <laughs> if the dollars don't make enough sense for them, I guess, because that's, that's got to be oh, yeah. a consideration in a business. Uh, at the end of the, it's the stuff no one really wants to talk about. <laughs> Everybody wants to be like, we love being simple. We love being clean. Look at how it's made. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But if you go under, yeah. none of that fucking shit matters. No, there's a lot of there's a lot of brands out there, the smaller startup brands that you see out there, and you're like, how do they make money in it? And the funny secret is they don't. It's just like yeah, backed by yeah, some super rich. Yeah, daddy's dude. from Saudi Arabia, and he <laughs> like spent instead of buying a Ferrari that yeah. week, he owned a ski company. And yeah. It's an art project or something like that. And you know, this is this is definitely not based as a as an art project. Or something that's just like, let's see what happens. There's a lot of um, strategy to it. But um, yeah, like offering something totally different that is like, don't buy the ski again. We're not saying these things are going to last for 15, 20 years. The, the construction of, this, of the skis and snowboards are pretty similar. And we're, we're using, you know, known, one, we're using two of the best factories in the world uh, in um, Dubai and then in, in Austria for the skis. But, and so they're, they're made well, but they're not like you're going to buy one forever. We want to have people to have a, a bit more of a quiver, but we feel that there's a market for this. In 2021, it's a, I wouldn't call it a trend. Yeah, it's a trend, but it's a good trend of minimalism and like not having this like giant 
closet full of skis and, and having mm-hmm. to worry about it or feeling like the skis you bought two years ago are suddenly so old news because they have like some weird graphics on them, clowns or something like that. And, and so... Or feeling like you got cheated. Like you mentioned that before. It's exactly. like you're saying... You didn't say cheated, but I'm saying cheated. It's like you are like, oh, it's way better. This Buy this new one. Last year's was shit. This year's... <laughs> exactly. It's like every year. It's like, I wonder how customers don't remember that, but they don't somehow. They still like, they want what they want. I think there's enough skiers and I, there's, there's probably data out there to... to prove this i'll just pull it out of my ass but it's like you know most people don't buy a new pair of skis every year there is those people for sure that are like what's my new ski and i'm just i don't know those, those people, people are annoying are. though but they, those people are <laughs> annoying and they get them for free or discounted or on a pro site every year exactly like, that's the one that buys it every year with cash money full price almost doesn't that is like the anomaly of the yeah. anomalies you know and uh, i mean we just feel that the market's that you know staying small of of what and being humble not like buying cyber trucks or as a fleet vehicle or something like that um is <laughs> it's a start that is you know, minimalism kids I, I have um, <laughs> i have many many years of uh working with very small budgets uh and mm-hmm. and trying to get as much um as much out of it as possible but yeah as as to answer your question well i'm never gonna answer your question of how we're gonna make money exactly but um but basically we just we just feel like it is it's what we feel like is what is needed in the snow sports industry. And so we're hoping that people feel the same way and, and yeah. having a, not, um, going to trade shows, not, not doing the whole, um, you know, manufacturer route of things, having a fleet of reps and all these things where yeah. you're diluting your, your margin to a point where it's like, no one's really making, everyone's making a little bit of money, but no one's really making any money. And you have to make volumes and volumes of skis or snowboards in order to actually make yeah. some money. So we're going to keep the volumes down and then hopefully the margins can stay where they are and then find those people that, or kind of just educate people about what we believe in and then hopefully they come. And this first year was really impressive. We were very, you know, I'll be honest with you, it was like, wow, this is, I'm unlearning everything that I've done in my yeah, entire you're marketing. Career. I was just going to ask you, like, does it bother <laughs> you as a marketing guy who's like, I got to create these things to make people love them. And now you're like, how can I take, it's like the Bruce Lee thing, dude. It's like, yeah. you're just like, the perfect way to do it is you're just like taking away as much as you can to perfect <laughs> the art. Like, and that's what this kind of feels like. Not that I think it's perfected it's yet, exciting. but it's like, I you think guys are doing this thing that's so simple, it feels like. Simple is the hardest thing to, to make happen. Like it's insane. It's, it's also the hardest thing to sell because then you go, how do you buy? Like, how do you, why am I buying it? Why am I spending a premium dollar <laughs> amount for this? Right. And I mean, you guys have done creative things Where's in your one, graphics? right? Where's the graphics? Where's the, how do I know it's like Eric's behind it? I want to see his name. <laughs> on, you know, it's like that kind of thing it does matter to some people, but you're working around to it. Some, but we, I think the, the, the community at large, we want to celebrate like, yeah. And that's one of the things that the biggest fears of this brand were like oh no like i don't want this to be just like a a line 2.0 and like that's what a lot of people kind of thought it was going to be when people got wind that we were making a new new brand and you guys put out a fishtail ski immediately i mean probably but the fishtail is just it's just a good shape i think for a powder ski (laughs) i agree we talked about this before (laughs) it should be more it's not the pescado it's a very different animal very different beast that goes very fast but um (laughs) but the uh yeah that world is very interesting of like who I don't know who, where was I going with this? I totally lost. Can I ask you, do you think the model is broken? Like the way that ski companies sell to, whether it's retailer or to consumers? Because I think in a lot of ways, 
reps are now not super useful in a lot because they've gotten used to just cashing that paycheck, walking in. I need the yeah. here's what I get. Or right, just forwarding their order it's to very, customer service and say very put it in few. Or, and then like you don't hear from them for whatever. And I'm I'm sh- generalizing. Obviously, there's a few reps that are doing creative things, promoting, making money. There's I can name them on one hand though. You know, like it's it literally, and they know who they are. I've said this to them, and <laughs> and it, it, you know I apologize if I'm offending anybody, but. I don't know that it's the same. It's not as needed as it used to be, and because you have the internet, you have a abil- you guys have an ability to market on your own. Yeah. With the internet, and you, you don't necessarily need a rep to go in there and be like, "How about fifty skis instead of 45? <laughs> you don't you don't have that because and people may not know this. Like that's how people buy skis as a shop. You go in there, you talk to a rep. They decide whether they want to sell you first, and then they give you pricing and the yeah, whole deal. Yeah, the whole like, The whole clear. deal is annoying. It's tedious. It's overcomplicated. It basically needs to be: here's the lineup, here's the opportunity to ski them, here's the opportunity to get to know the people you're buying from, and write the order. That's how it yeah. should be to me. It should be as simple as possible. No haggling and stuff like that. No haggling. Like I want ten percent. I want twenty percent. It should be consistent. It should be nice, and it should be like you buy this much, you get this much. And I think that part is is true still, like with the current rep situation. But I guess I'm just that model can't work forever because companies are now selling direct. Companies are now doing what you're doing, where you have Evo, you have a guaranteed order every year. Right, I mean, to a certain extent. I yeah. mean, you have a company that is now supporting you and is a partner in this and wants to be like, they're going to buy those skis and they're going to now try to put them on people's feet. Like they were running that promo where like, you get a free mount if you buy a season ski, right? You oh, yeah, get, I never got into this. You never got, longevity. Yeah, Sorry, that's, in the tuning thing, that's where we it's were, a right? huge, I mean, in it's that, different. that tenant of longevity, like I was saying before, like our skis aren't made with like solid steel fucking top sheets or something like that. Like they're not yeah. going to like just never disintegrate they're if, not you, if you ski for um you know it, you know 50 days a year for 10 years they're gonna degrade at some point but offering a free standard tuna evo for life of the product or um discounts off of any sort of uh equipment like repair service yeah is one of those things we could lean into with our partner yeah. It's like, what, what's that kind of like a legal bait we can fish with in here? And and that was one of them. And they have great turn, tuning service centers. Yeah. And we're like, it's a part of our brand. This is what we care about. We really want people to hold on to their skis. Mm-hmm. And so we had that opportunity to use that. And, and I think having that, creating that relationship with the store, or with your with your equipment in general, like you just, you should always think about how do I fix this before I just get a new one? Like for years, I would buy the five dollar H and M T shirts and stuff like that. And when they got too stained or whatever, I just buy more. And I'm just like, dude, why don't I just spend a little bit more money and get something that's a bit better? Or like, if something breaks now, it's like, how can I fix it instead of how can I actually, you know, get another thing? Because it's when we launched with with that as one of our main things we care about. Like we had a story on Outside Magazine, and the title was like, "This company wants to sell you less skis or whatever." And and it is. It's not a bite on, but like we definitely would reference that that New York Times ad that Patagonia said that says don't buy this jacket, and it's like just yeah, it's it's for life, and and we to have that just overarching idea is I think just good for everybody to just kind of acknowledge, yeah, you know? and it's it's not it's kind of turning a mirror onto the industry of being like yeah, it is bullshit that there's just a new graphic every year because there's a new graphic every like because there yeah. has to be because you need something new to sell because you need to discount stuff in the in the springtime to have the new stuff to make room and then it's just a giant cycle and that that, that consumer cycle 
to me really um, is gnarly. I don't know. It's this this brand is kind of in my in my arc of my career in the snow sports industry is really on point with what I want to be doing right now because it's like one I want to give back to the industry in some way. I'm, mm. I'm no longer like I, I I took from the industry for a very long time. Like my, my parents were teachers, you know, in no way were we poor, but like you know, money was tight. There we had five kids in the four kids in the um, family, and like. I figured out how to get into the industry by working in the industry and I traveled the world and I did a lot of cool stuff and I met a lot of cool people and that was great. And then this next chapter is more like, okay, let's, let's try to design this brand to actually have some stability and sustainability in the, in the actual um, world. Yeah. It's kind of a rant right there. Good rant. It's a good rant. That's approved. I, I, it's just a crazy idea to me that somebody wants to sell us. It's, but I like the honesty. It's, it reminds me of that that ad that Digi did forever ago, where he's like, "Okay, this is one star. This is the campaign." There's a lot of people in snow sports. Like everyone's like, "Oh, skiing is dying," or "Somewhere is dying." It's like, well, climate change is killing it, or very changing the the landscape for sure. But like, you've been to a ski area on a weekend. There are so many people there. There's too many people that want to ski, but not enough people that give a fucking shit to actually do anything, though. That's the thing is, like, actually take steps to be better about yeah. how it's effect. Because, like, they're all like, oh, we love skiing, we love skiing, we love skiing. But how long is skiing going to be here if everybody just, like, crowds the, the veil lift lines and, like, I don't know, just posts it on it? It's like, I wonder if people actually mind waiting in lines anymore they're like happy that they get to post it on facebook and get a bunch yeah, of clicks like it's, it's interesting it's it's great to see a lot of the new like i live in a pretty major city in the united states seattle and they're skiing within 45 minutes away from here and like so quality pass is amazing you see a diverse amount of people there and like yeah and with the changing i guess population of seattle because you have a lot of these tech workers coming from all these different places they they want things to do and they're just like let's go skiing and so there's a lot of first year skiers up there and yeah. it's it's beautiful to see, but their their path to like getting to that point is just pretty rickety. You know, like they're mm. they're either renting stuff and they're like in the basement of something. They have this crappy equipment, and yeah. and uh, you know, they also you also see a lot of like these unbranded like goggle and helmet situations. Zionors, dude, you see so many yeah. Zionors. And, and from you're Amazon. like, where is that? And it's like, oh, that's the number one goggle on Amazon. And so it's like, and that's their consumer thing. And so. That's not supporting the industry very much, and that's really sad. It's not. And so, if we can, <laughs> if we can somehow reach that community of people and give them a good um, experience in the first place, I think we should celebrate that a little bit more. So, a beginner could ski a season ski, right? Like that's that's what yep. my that I think is a big thing to mention as well because there's so many companies that make expensive skis that if you put a beginner like if you put a beginner on a k2 disruption uh they're gonna ski into a tree line and never come back (laughs) you know like they just won't be able to control that type of thing no they're pretty um i mean i wouldn't call them uh they're not beginner beginner skis skis, i'd say intermediate to advanced but like the the shapes of of the skis and snowboards you have snowboarder listeners on this podcast maybe sure. i don't know Absolutely. yeah we definitely do i hope so we love snowboarders i like snowboarders i, so. I was wrong. a snowboard yeah. ski brand and um <laughs> but the the shapes of the thing are they're very like i said before they transcend categories so it's like you can actually get on something and, and make a, a pretty easy turn so. yeah no i i i'm i'm glad you guys are doing it i think it's i think it's great and i just i don't know it 
I'm interested to see if you guys actually make money. That's what I'm waiting for. And I still <laughs> like, too. I want it. I know you are too. And I'm sure Eric is. I'm sure Austin is. It's, I, I want to see if it works because I think this model has a lot of merit. I think yeah. there's something here. And I think uh, it's, it should be more of this type of thing, right? Because there's so much vanity in the ski industry. Yeah. If this you get to meet simple. the rest of the folks that are, that are involved at the, at the level, Austin and Eric and, and Andy, it's, it is, it's very, um, yeah. It's interesting having a brand that's like a non-marketing brand. It, it, there's no like thing that we're like, this is the lightest material in the world. Or like, we're the only ones with this material. Or like some sort of weird like angle there. It's very cut and dry and very simplified, like I said. Because everyone that we're around, we really want to simplify our lives in, in some way. I guess it's the, someone said like the Marie Kondo of the yeah. ski brand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It I mean, does if that's bring what you it is. joy to have like, and it's brought me joy of being like, well, just mounted up a Nexus 183 is like, I don't have to mount up next year's because of a different graphic. Like at line, I I never had the same ski every year. I was like, well, I guess I got to ski on the new stuff now again. And so it was always this like churn. Yeah, it's almost like a like you're a dork if you're skiing last year's stuff and when you're in the end. I feel the same way sometimes. It's like if I don't get the new one, yeah, what are we doing? It's like that's also not great. Like yeah, that's I'm gonna not like. A- repair my stuff as long as I can and then when I'm done with it I'm going to give it to somebody who can't afford a pair of skis and then say here here you go there's yours and try to make them last as long as possible yeah and go from there I want to use the tuning situation at Evo because it's right down the street and uh yeah it's a, it's a good feeling I think of 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 that that world and I live I don't know you're sitting in my tiny condo here it's pretty simple and uh yeah and you're a psycho by the way we should talk about that for a second like how (laughs) this place is so clean and so organized and you're upset about i'm gonna take a picture of this wire and it's going up as like your episode cover i bet like and he's like upset that this wire is showing and it's the cleanest wire cover i've ever seen in the entire world he doesn't like it all right well we'll drill a hole in the wall i can't even like i can't i don't know dude it's insane (laughs) i but i think that that speaks to what you're doing at t like it's the same idea like it's the exact like it's you're looking for that no, Dude. and it's it's celebrating everything too. It's it's it basically, you know, from the get go, yes, it's founded by a pro skier and a pro snowboarder. Yeah, but it's not a this is a pro skier and pro snowboarder's brand. It's it's basically more of a turning the mirror onto the people out there enjoying going to the mountain, no matter how they slide down the hill, sideways or forwards, or backwards or whatever, young or old, guy girl, black white, whatever, yellow brown. You got all that stuff going on, but. uh yeah, it's, it's celebrating basically everybody is, is the whole community aspect of the thing. On that kind of topic, like one of the biggest pushes that I try to make on the show is like getting more people into the industry. Like how do we get people actually interested in working? Because uh, you know this is like, it's hard to find good people. It's hard, yeah. but there's good people out there doing other jobs, right? How do you get people involved in the industry? Like if you were talking to a 16-year-old... Why does a 16-year-old, other than he loves it, because that's a shitty answer, and anytime <laughs> anybody gives me that, I'm like, it's not enough, dude. I love riding roller coasters. You love a lot of things. <laughs> I love riding my mountain bike. Okay, do I want to be a mountain bike? I don't. You know, like, it's just... It is that question you should ask them, too, is like, do you love it enough to hate it at times? like Totally. Every, like, there's days where I'm like, and I told you this in the beginning, it's like, I fucking hate it here. I hate this skin, <laughs> but I love it. It's my, it's everything I have. It, I owe everything to it in a lot of ways. Yeah. So why does someone get into it? How do they get into it? And what's that path look like in 2021? Because it's different. Definitely different now. Then when you started, even when I started, like, I mean, I was lucky enough to grow up in a shop. Like, this is like, I was born into this in a way. And... Not everybody has that even remotely. And I definitely, every year, I find it harder and harder to find people 
to work in shops, to be in the industry in general. It's like the yeah. guy who replaced you replaced you at Lineful till it's 24 years old or sitting in your office. No, I don't know Steven if he's does. actually, I know, I know Stephen does. I know, but Steven like, I'm kid. just saying like, Connor's there, he's 24 years old. He's into the industry now because I'm only bringing him up because Adam just talked to him. And it's just, he wanted to do it and there was a pathway to do it. You yeah. brought him on, yeah? Like, is yeah. that? He worked for a rep, but he was like a pro, well, he was a competition, competition, competition skier from Connecticut, actually. Well, yeah. Uh, from, I'm from Connecticut. Simsbury in Canada too. But um, yeah, that path is pretty, um, that's the path these days. And it's, it's a weird path. I, I wish there was a, a better way, but for anyone who's, uh, you know, in college, I always love talking to people. You can always email me, Josh at season EQPT.com. Um, I would say, yeah, you just do everything. How I got to do it. I just did everything for free. Or like, I would just, people don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> no, they don't. Like, I know that was kind of old school. Where it, was, it I think it's just like, do what you want to do and see if what sticks. And cause there's like, there's multiple paths in the snow sports. I mean, there's, there's engineering, which is actually go to school and be an engineer and then get a job. There's not that many jobs as engineers in yeah. the industry, but you have to be smart and have actual credentials. Yeah. That's one. And then you get the sales guys. I don't really know what the sales guy does, but yeah, that's like the rep world. <laughs> That job's going away. We'll limit, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll not mention <laughs> that job. And then, like, the marketing branding world, you know? I I try to think of, I don't know, I'd, I'd say just, yeah, like, be on top of all current trends. Marketing and branding is basically relationship management and just, you know. Everybody I've talked to that's successful in this industry has a way of connecting with people, right? You have it. Uh, like, I bring up Digi all the time. Digi has it. Powell has it. So many of these people, they're just... They want to connect with people, right? You mm. were so helpful to me. You're like, okay, this is where you go. This is where you have coffee. This is where you ride. This is where you do this. Here's an interview. Like, I was a recreation management major in college. So like if you're having fun, I you know, I want to make sure everyone's having a good time. You know? Yeah, I think that's so important <laughs> though. And it's because everybody's so in their phones and in their own head about stuff now. It's like you miss out on that in a lot of ways from yeah. people who are trying to get it. You you don't understand the fact that it's... I guess it's, it is networking. It's oh. so small. The industry is just so... Like, you know everybody, right? Everybody knows who everybody... You might not know them personally, but you know who everybody it's is. It's very weird. Yeah. There was a few years ago, in one of my last trade shows, and I'm just like, oh my God, every fourth person that walks by, I know them personally mm -hmm. in some way. And I'm like, that's a problem. Like, totally. this is such an insular... I go to OR like this with my shirt over my head, like <laughs> eyes closed, like nobody talking. It's like a very insular thing. And, and in the last year or two... I think America finally did wake up and realize, oh God, this is like the most weirdly, what do you even call it? I don't know. Racist. We're just racist people in some way. <laughs> and like, and it's just, in the snow sports industry in general, it's just so, I mean, there's so many barriers to getting new people it's into the whole thing. expensive as shit. It's expensive shit. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of issues. And, uh, and so in order to open that up, it is to intentionally, not just promote the same looking person the entire time. Don't have a team of 16 white dudes that are all from Aspen and Steamboat or whatever yeah. there is and celebrate like normal people <laughs> and celebrate different people. Yeah. And go from there. That's a total tangent of how to get into the ski industry. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, <laughs> it's all right. We want, this is what, I don't know. Like this is a podcast I think is like where you just It's a conversation like, podcast. Well, yeah. Right? It's, we just talk. I don't have loaded questions. I didn't do any notes or. Right. Very much research. Like I knew. Of no, you, the getting in the like... industry is tough. It's just it's a small industry. Be prepared to like not make much money. 
and do a lot of different things. But like, if you enjoy that stuff, like, you know, some people I've seen at from working my previous job, you know, they, they really wanted this structure and they're like, well, there's no project manager for this and I can't do this or whatever. It's, this is a big company. It should be like this. It's like, if you're not going to use what you have at hand and like, you know, code it how you, how you want to, then you're never going to make it here or whatever. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I would laugh that I'm boxing up a bunch of random stuff at eight o'clock at night in totally. downtown Seattle. But it's like, I wouldn't rather be, I don't know. It's, it's no, it's the do. industry. It's like you do what you have to do, and I think that part's important to mention because, like, everybody just thinks that you just get handed the keys to the castle yeah. one day. You know, like, one day, I'm going to be 40, and somebody's going to give me this job <laughs> at the top of season or K2 or whatever. It's yeah. it's just not like that. The thing that sells it for me and that sells it to my friends or sells it to people that I work with is, like, the experiences that you have the opportunity to have yeah. in this industry are unlike a lot of others because you can be... I can sit across the table from uh, you or I can sit across the table from Pollard or Chris Davin, like real people. That, yeah, you made it, it happen yourself. I want to talk, this podcast, I want to talk about you even more. I want to learn more about you. I don't know. This is a different, yeah. It's, it, but I mean, like the important thing is you get to just sit across from somebody that you looked up to as a kid. If I wanted to talk to LeBron James, I could not do that. You know how many times that get you, how many people have to talk to different people to get a message even to him? I wanted to talk to you. I message you. Yeah. I want to talk to Eric. I email him. You know, I mean, like this is, that's what the benefit of this industry is. Is like if you want to be part of it and pour yourself into it, you can <laughs> yeah, do no something. In the industry, there's people. There's like important people, but it's like you're important in a very, very right. weird way. Right. It's like, like how, I was on a trip with Wall, Tom Walsh a long time ago, and he's a pretty important guy in the snow sports industry, and people know him, and there's definitely super fans everywhere. And yeah. It's European tour, but he has this amazing self identify or realizes he's like, I'm very important to like a very small niche of people in the world. Yeah. Like you can just talk, walk around, you know, he can walk around Seattle. No one knows who the hell he is. Or yeah. Whatever. Totally. Or, oh yeah. It's, but yeah. it's the same with everywhere or it's the same with every kind of, who is it? Tim Howard, the, uh, U S men's soccer team. Goalie. Yeah. He's like from Pennsylvania. Yeah. And like, he can't walk down the street in Europe without being mobbed. And he could just like walk down the street in his hometown. And no one knows who he is. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it's that's what that's what I think the beauty of this whole thing is is it's it's really it's really cool. Um, so what's what's the plan for season next? I guess that's that's it's my least favorite question, but it's always the question I kind what's of going end forward on is, is like what's well, what do you do? Like what's the plan? What is you know you guys have learned some things I imagine in year one and yeah change year what's, one was billed as a soft launch year pretty right. much because it was one global pandemic hits. We developed three boards and three skis in two factories overseas that and deliver them in 10 months during a global pandemic. If we weren't based next to Mount Hood, it wouldn't have happened. We, we basically lived on Mount Hood, skied out, like we got prototypes, we're able to ski and, and test these things and actually qualify them to, to sell two people in, yeah, less than 10 months. It was basically first prototypes came in March. The world shut down in March. Um, skied there, did, did, did a few rounds of uh, prototypes and then they were available in basically November. And so that was like, okay, so things, our timelines were very tight. Like what we were able to accomplish in, in that small amount of time was pretty shocking to me and, and everybody else. And, and we always need to take a step back and be like, Oh my God, I cannot believe we actually did this this quickly. Cause usually it takes yeah. three or four years of working on something forever. to launch it <laughs> correctly. Yeah, but we were able to really make it happen because our team is very, very small and 
can move fast and we've we're all veterans in this world and so yeah this first year was definitely a soft launch year you know figure out how to make a website i'm now a website coder these days shopify is amazing great you want to do ours we need a website so it's all i can tell you, that'll be a whole different podcast josh is <laughs> josh is crappy back-end coding i don't <laughs> care dude and uh but it worked out great and having you know having a founder who's a videographer filmer artist and has a great vision it, it all comes out great because we had content like crazy mm-hmm. but um yeah that first year was figuring out how to present a brand in in the light that we wanted to present sell a few of them and get some early adopters which we're so thankful for these people that that bought it because it was just like it was a big matzo ball i mean last year at this time of year it was just like we were building something that no one knew existed and it's like i had some total anxiety freakouts being like this is the weirdest job in the world like it's all based on if you people like you or not <laughs> And a lot of everything. people. <laughs> I can't tell you how many. You asked how I got this going. It's like I got a couple people to like me. Yeah, and then you that's just what have, this whole industry. Sometimes I'd love to be like an engineer. So I'm just here, like press this button all day and just do that and go home and then enjoy yourself and pay for skiing. That'd be it's so much easier. Yeah. But um, but yeah, first year learned so much, and it's it, like I said with Line, we always marketed towards the consumers to drive consumer demand into stores. But I've never talked to so many more actual skiers in my life or snowboarders like personally in one year because like there was no there was no like large customer service thing there was no reps there was no whatever so like i actually got to talk a lot which was really like motivating to me to like really get back into that i kind of feel like i'm a bit disconnected from the snow sports world because i haven't really been talking to all the people i used to be talking to does anybody like shun you no, there. Nobody has been like. Mm, <laughs> they're just like. I'm not gonna give you anything anymore. Like I'm not really gonna talk to you. I'm not gonna tell you how we're doing. Well, I've been kind of busy, so it's like hard to like actually reconnect with people. I went skiing in Mount Hood a few weeks ago, and it was so awesome because it's like I don't know. I've been going there for like 13 years, and it's like you see all kind of the same people, same yeah. like lifties. I saw like Parker White. I saw Liam Downey. I was like super hyped to like just see the homies. I'm like, oh yeah, because I've been kind of in a hole for like the last. <laughs> Well, we all have too. I mean, yeah. it's been a pandemic, so we're totally shut down. But um, it was really nice to reconnect with some people and uh, and start doing that a bit more. But going forward with season, we do want to highlight a lot more of um, yeah, people's stories, like in some of the some of and starting from the Mount Hood region. And yeah. we have, if you see some imagery, there's a lot of uh, consistent faces in there that we um, we've been shooting with, and and that's that's out of you know, a strategy of, of trying to like have a lot of different faces and different people as the thing. It's not just Eric and Austin in, in all the pictures and, and Lena Stoffel, who's one of our um, ambassadors in, in Innsbruck. Um, and so we definitely have their stuff, which is like high end imagery, but then also a lot of other people's things. So we want to tell a lot more stories of those people and honestly just get the brand out there a bit more. And um, mm. we're going to launch two, uh, three new products this year, three new hard goods products this year. Uh, a twin ski called the Kin, which is awesome, by the way. It's like a stiffer, um, like 96, 98, mid-fat. Is that mid-fat these days? I guess That's the, that's what you buy. 95, yeah, that's, 96 that's is buy. the size. Yeah, it's yeah. like 96 to 98 um, wasted uh, fun carving ski. Yeah. So that'll be cool. And then on the board side, it's a twin board. So like we have a twin board, twin ski, not full park ski, whatever. This is definitely an all-mountain thing. It's kind of like a... If you had to compare it to other things like Sakana, a bit more stable, a bit more like um, on the edge. 
and a twin tip obviously and yeah it's super fun and so that one will be coming out in september and then on the board side we'll have a split board because everyone split boards now and people need split boards <laughs> and they're pretty awesome and it'll be black and it will be the only split board you'll ever want to buy in, your, in the rest of your life austin said it was the greatest split board he's ever had and he hates split boards so that's very good and then yeah the, the kin snowboard so and then some poles and things like that but as far as product product expansion um season bikes season kayaks season <laughs> no. uh, surfboards sups what's Where, up dude no i mean the 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 brand name certainly lends itself to a, a it's lot, a good name a lot of thank you it was it's a very uh, good name yeah eric one day we were back and forth what was it gonna be this that the other thing like just doing like that insane name i naming gives me what PTSD. did you throw out what were you stuck on like what was the top <sighs> three where like, you're like reason and you know, there was i don't know what uh, there was there was just some like there was a lot arrow like some some of the the product names some of the product were, names were like throwaway names that's good though name. because you can still use they're them good still, names. They're yeah, like, they're this is names. good in a certain way but like not really arrows yeah but I, I think season's great and season and then we put the eqpt at the end there because like we're just like there's no way we're gonna one we can't buy season.com it's, you can if you want it's forty thousand dollars but um <laughs> i'd rather not <laughs> and uh that's not as much as I would have thought, actually, that it was. Yeah, I mean, maybe that was maybe money. it was something else. No, I was thinking it was season. That's a lot of money still, but I don't know. But yeah, that whole world was tough. And so in my world, I knew we're coming up with such a speaking of the name, it's such a um general term that's used ubiquitously throughout the, the industry. Yeah. And so and that's where it came that's the reason why it's called season. We we're the only people that kinda like reference like a season that we actually like. Or like, what are you doing this season? Or like, because most normal human beings are like, I just have to make it through the season. Oh, fuck. I'm in, it's the winter season. I hate the season. But in our world, it really connects us all and be like, yeah, it's, it's all about the season. And season so, started. Season's ended. Yeah. Season's really kicking off. Everyone's like, talking about yeah. the season. So it's just like this great word. And it's it's six letters. The S's and the E's look great, all lowercase. And we finally got to that point. But what I'm getting to here, the nerdy <laughs> part of things is SEO, yeah. which is really hard. And so like, I was like, how are people going to find this thing? And so... The Google machine out there. I loves, saw you tweet about this, and I was the like, "The Google machine loves, uh, you know, quantifying things, and and if it's a real thing, it'll float to the top of like Google search things." So now, if you Google season skis or season snowboards, were the first thing because I I did a lot of um, PR PRing, I guess, in in the early part of this. Like my strategy here was like set the hook, make sure people know this brand exists, and then tell the story, and then. Use all the back end Google. I think you guys have a great opportunity to be a storytelling brand too. Like you can tell Big time. that. I mean, like I mean, you have the right people, you have the right method, and you have the right type of brand look, where you can be like, "Here's our blog post. Here's you guys could fucking open a coffee shop if you want to do." It's that kind of thing <laughs> where you'd be like, "Here's a magazine. Here's a coffee shop. Here's art. Here's whatever." Yeah. It's like it's complete in a way that is very weird for this industry, but it's very. It's cool. I think it's cool shit, man. Like I'm, I'm. That's what I want, or that's what we're. That's what we're going for. Is like, yeah. it, you don't want to be too cool because <laughs> too cool is too cool is, is niche. It's douchey. It's whatever. Yeah. It's like, wait, I have to wear this. What's that? You actually had the podcast. What's that helmet that everyone that they make that that meme? Ru- the, not Ruark. No, the um, white ski the whites. <laughs> They always make one of that one helmet. Oh, meme the whites. They do. Uh, <laughs> it's like this stupid. They put it on everything, and it's pencil. just what camp. Oh, camp. The yes, camp. camp. Yeah, 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 yeah. I never knew what a camp helmet was before I started following those guys, and that shit is so fun. I love the internet. I love the internet for stuff like that. Yeah, it's when people like. I don't know. 
comedy is ski comedy. It's mean comedy is crap. It's, it's garbage, dude. <laughs> it's so it is garbage. Funny. I too people think I love memes for some reason because I'll post them and I'm like, I don't give I, a shit, dude. I want to get to ten thousand followers and get swipe ups, and as soon as we do that, I don't care about any of you. Dude, I don't the care memes about memes. Are me so funny. They're I love going, memes. They're they're middle trash. class fancy. Come oh my on. god. There's so many, but they're trash. It's like, but it's not like I'm identifying with a meme. You know, it's like I I get. But, it's all the but same you comedy. are, yeah. Like the com- I mean, it all goes. I'm a giant Seinfeld fan. I can like recite every yeah, Seinfeld yeah, yeah. in my head, and it's just it's all real life. It's just like totally. It's just they're like flipping a mirror on yourself because everything is funny. And like when it, when you suddenly become too serious, and that's a, a like a gate of ours. We don't ever want to be like super serious, and we don't want to be like this slapstick brand that has like all these crazy marketing words yeah. and whatevers and bananas and butts and everything. But uh, but yeah, like nothing is. Nothing should be that serious. And so, like, I want to have that mirror and turn it on ourselves and just show every part of snow sports because it's fun. It's yeah. all super fun, whether you're, like, the hot shot on, like, that's getting first light or the dude showing up at 11 o'clock, beers in his hands on the, on the, uh, on the chairlift. Like, we want to celebrate all that stuff. And you were getting into being a really good storytelling brand. And that's obviously, like, we have one of the best storytelling guys in the world, founders, Eric, yeah, who wants totally. to – He's told his story a million times, and he'll tell you that all. Like drawn from here was amazing. There's like all these. Yeah. Everyone knows his story, so we don't have yeah. to tell that anymore. Everyone knows Austin's story. He's got a big van <laughs> and uh, fire truck and everything. <laughs> it's cool. It's super cool. But there's so many other cooler stories out there. You know, we there's a yeah. few of our the people that have kind of come on early that just have like the sickest little stories. Like this one consumer in. Um, in Park City, he's like a, a PSI level something snowboarder, but he's also like a flight attendant and like I love that. And shit. he's got like a world record in like um, skateboard uh, things. I'm just like, and I just saw his order come through, and I was just like, thanks, because I see every order that comes through. Like, yeah. And I was like looking into him, I'm like, dude, this guy is super interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. how do we tell his story? Or like this person that just, like this guy in Japan that like does this thing. I'm like, how do we tell these guys' story? So it's like. There's there's a, a a glut of these of these amazing like cool little things that we can we can go through. It's just time and and it's gonna take a few years of compounding interest of yeah. the interest in our brand and it's getting there. And we're our, as long as our sales and everything kind of match what we can do and not go out of business. I think uh, you'll be in good shape. It's a good idea. But I would love two years consecutively of like normal years. I don't know what a normal year is anymore post COVID. We're not post-COVID. We're in COVID still. No, we're re-COVID. We're re-COVID. Uh, hopefully after re-COVID, um, we can have a year-over-year comp of being like, okay, are we like all the like normal business functions that we're doing, are they making sense? And are we growing? That's our the thing is nobody knows. I don't know if we're gonna do well next year. I don't know if we're gonna do well this year. I don't know if it's gonna the snow be... sports world, yeah. Like yeah, is like it gonna this... shut down again? But like the problem is it was completely shut down last year and it was open and everyone skied and snowboarded. Do I people know. the thing is is do people are people still gonna give a shit? Like the people that are new, do, are they gonna stick? Because there's I sold so many new skis to people this year, like to people who had never skied or haven't skied in twenty years. You'll have a percentage of people sticking, I think. I, which is I great. Agree. I think and like I think... the snow sports industry has been elevated 10 years to in the future yeah not that the pers- participation has been changing since the 80s like it's been literally flat since the 80s like there's That's been so, yeah. i know all these like funny little facts because recreation management major i yeah. really studied the snow sports industry as a kid yeah. and um but yeah it's it it definitely got so many new people into it which is, but it hasn't grown because it's like like you said we're marketing to the same people we're marketing to mm-hmm. 
white in, guys in the population has changed. that have money and it's like there's so many people that i know that would love to go slide around and just don't want to buy a lift ticket the idea of paying for a lift ticket even is hard to sell to somebody you're yeah. like you gotta go it's 170 dollars to ski at Vale for a day or whatever it is uh it is whatever to rent it's whatever to do this you gotta park you want to eat food that'll be 400 oh, like it's like it. it's so insane to be like you're a skier. This is how you do it. You have money. Like it doesn't need to be like that, no. but people make it like that. And and to connect those dots is really hard. And so it's it is. I hopefully can use that special skill set that I have of connecting all those dots of being like, okay, what are these barriers? How can we take yeah. away one or two of them at least? And people and don't then, know how to start. That's one of my yeah. biggest quarrels with the ski industry. Is like when I learned how to play basketball, I learned from day one. I I was taught the process of playing basketball. I was taught. You're Even from the West weird Springfield, though. I thought everyone plays basketball. Everybody that's the does. That's yeah, I know, right? but whatever. But that's the point. Is like, <laughs> I have an idea of how to play basketball, whether it's baseball, basketball, soccer, these kind of things. But as a skier, you don't necessarily have that guidance unless you raced. Yeah. You don't have a. This is what's cool. Or you. Or you. I was just dragged together. them out. I didn't even like skiing for the first ten years. Me before. neither. Like when I, I like skiing at fifteen for the first time. Like that was the first time <laughs> I was like, this is dope. I want to do this all the time. But it's because of other things. You're like, your friends are playing sports, yeah. like organized sports. How do you get somebody that wants to go play uh, basketball, take him and go put him into skiing? Yeah. There's so, I mean, in, I've had this conversation a million times, and there's never a solution that we can like bring up or whatever, because it's always like, this, this is how it sucks or whatever. There is some really smart people out there that are hopefully uh, like scheming on what that is. My friend Annette Diggs, who you should get on the podcast at some point, she's, she's away. Um, this weekend, but uh, she runs this very um, specific, it's called Edge Outdoors. Look it up, Edge Outdoors. Um, and it's for BIPOC women and trans women to go skiing, I think. It's yeah. kind of like the focus, and then you know it's a little bit bigger, but she is, one, she has like a full-time job and then does this on the side. She must have 48 hours in a day. The lady is the hardest working woman I've ever met in my life. Yeah. And and then she's a PSI level one or two. Like, she works at Stevens Pass from Memphis. Like, moved here and was like, dude, this is the hardest situation, like, to actually do this whole thing. And she did it herself. She, she went through the entire process of actually going skiing. She's a good skier. And, and is always learning and, and growing. And then wants to open that up and, and take some of those barriers away to people that aren't being spoken to at all. Yeah. And so I'm just like, Phew. and so I like to call her all the time and just be like, well, what's going on? Just talk all the time. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, but it all has to start with like, everything starts with a, um, what is it? Just, just an acceptance of shit that's fucked up. Yeah. Or, and then being like, okay, this is acceptance the is the start. And you're like, yeah, like look at it, see it, <laughs> and then go yeah. from there. So I kind of, it's hard though because you got like a and I'm, I'm including myself when i say white guy like even though it may be not the same but it's hard to do that when it's like you're like oh come on over like come ski like it's just i don't know you don't want to feel like the token black arab bipoc yeah. like you don't want to feel like the token person there but we need people to go and make <laughs> everybody else feel more welcome yeah. So that's the struggle that I have meant because in one, because I know what it's like to be singled out and be like, I'm the only Arab that I know that's other than Ahmet and Garai and like, like <laughs> it's like, I don't even know if they're Arab, but like, it's hard, man. Like you don't want to be the token single person, yeah. but you also need to be there. So someone else feels comfortable. Exactly. So it's like, you're asking someone who has been singled out to now take responsibility 
for asking more people huge. to come, yeah, which is know, crazy. Dude. Like, it's such a crazy idea to yeah. think about, but I don't know. And so, I guess you got to just kind of focus on what you can, what you can control, what just you can do. And yeah. so, getting back to season, we just want to celebrate every single damn person that's out there and, and just really try to make a more unique look of our outward marketing yeah. as opposed to just a bunch of white dudes from yeah well the intermountain west <laughs> well i hope you guys sell a shit ton of skis i hope it goes thank well. you um, i mean it's and that's it's been really fun and it's challenging and it, it's it'll be completely challenging at some point but um yeah it's we're, we're getting through it and um I'd, i like to uh hope for the best and see what happens there's a lot of like little like logistics and global supply chains and all the like the nuts and bolts things. Those are very those are always overlooked a lot sometimes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, we need to actually deliver things when people are thinking about snow sports. You can't just thing. sell them. You need to actually have them, make them, do all mm-hmm. the things. So yeah. It's, yeah, there's there's every part of a. I've learned so much in the last year or two, and I'm sure I'll learn even more in the next two or three years. So it's uh, pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, seasonequipment.com seasonequipment.com I was just going to ask you where can people find you <laughs> where can people find season the internet just um, google my name I guess google Josh Malchak I'm sure people will be able to spell that with no issue at all yeah, exactly. um, and uh, no no problem so we do own season dot equipment there's a dot equipment as a um, I don't know what they have using, what a dot com is called or a dot yeah. org but there's a dot equipment so you have that as well got that one yeah wow. it's a great deal congratulations let me know when you get season I, I need out of bounds i need just out of bounds that's what i'm gonna go look for after this and see how much it's gonna cost me to buy gotta be out of bounds expensive. yeah it's gotta be too much money but way more than the podcast has otb i mean i guess everything three whatever it's been an interesting conversation <laughs> i'm glad you guys came here though thanks for <laughs> of course this. um season equipment season equipment on instagram right oh, yeah. what's it's the social eqpt eqpt yeah it's season eqpt that's what i want to make sure people get for everything so it's and our, you know, yeah, it's uh, it's all growing from now, and just it's very small. If you message us, you probably get myself or only a few other people. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, we can keep it that way for a little bit. I do like inter- interacting with with consumers and hearing the good, the bad, the ugly, or whatever. And, yeah. Um, not just the good. The good is just boring to me. I think it is. And then yeah, get out there. We got to get more people on these things too. Yeah. For sure. Because demos, I mean, in your world, how many people do you sell a ski to that they've never skied on? Like, do demos... Not good skiers. I don't sell them to good skiers if they haven't demoed it. Right. Good skiers want to know, or they know exactly the shape they want the ski they want ahead of time, and that's the only time they buy, really, without demoing. But gotcha. people that are good need, need it, especially a new brand. Like, it's hard, because you can hook somebody on a brand that they've never heard of before if you send them out on a ski. Like, that's... Whenever I bring in a small brand, oh, it's yeah. the first thing we do is we mount a demo on it, I ski it. And I take somebody out and I switch with them or whatever. You know, yeah. that's what we do. It's like we take a couple and we just go make la- – it's it's the rep treatment for a customer. Totally. Um, that's huge for people, like having a demo yeah. day and like you going out and skiing getting with getting someone to switch is so hard, man. Like people are like, no, I'm a vocal guy. No, I'm a Razzie guy. I've been a Razzie guy. guy forever. It's Real like, why guy. are you? They don't know who you are. But Josh <laughs> is reading your email. So that's a reason to buy skis, I guess. It is nice. It's nice to be close to the consumer, that's for sure. But, you know, but – and, and create something that's a bit more, yeah, less confusing. Yeah. It's just a confusing industry these days. It is. It's a confusing, yeah, and, all the time. And you, you can't break down, you can't recycle a ski. <laughs> the biggest thing, even ones that are made with recycled materials, you can't recycle, you can't break it down. So there's just a lot of, um, there's a lot of parts to it. So the best thing you could do is 
keep your shit long as possible. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. Buy our stuff once, and then twice ten years. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Thank you so much, Adam. This has been great. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Bounds Network. My name is John Kroom. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review as it really helps out a lot. And uh, yeah, share with your friends. Um, if you haven't already, do that. That's uh, that's much appreciated. But uh, other than that, let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode. And that is with Colby Lang. Colby Lang was a teammate of mine on the Team Pursuit team and uh, the Team Pursuit program. And uh, yeah, we ultimately didn't qualify for the Olympics. So we kind of parted ways and then COVID and all kinds of other things you know he went on to do bigger and greater things and then uh, recently reached out to me when he was going through some mental troubles health troubles etc and uh, we got to chatting and uh, yeah he was having a real time of it and uh, I was pretty shocked to hear that because I mean he was practically living the dream living in Girona living in Spain and uh, yeah but uh, it's not all bad, so don't, don't feel the need to you know tune out of this episode so soon yet. But uh, we get to sit down and we get to chat about uh, some stories in the past, and we also get to sit down and we get to chat about mental health and those and how he's doing so much better and his goals for 2022 and beyond. Um, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chester on the Out of Bounds Network. I'm sitting here with a uh, teammate, good friend, Colby Lang. How you doing, man? I'm so good. How are you? I'm so glad to be here. It's great to see your face. No, this is awesome, especially being that you know we've been trying to do this for a very long time, and I haven't had necessarily have had the time to make it work, and neither have you. And so to finally get on the podcast is pretty dope. So anyways, for the listeners that don't know who you are, to, you know, kind of give us, give us a little backstory on who Colby Lang is. How do you find yourself in cycling? Because you kind of have a cool story. Yeah. Okay. Well, Colby Lang, that's me. Um, real quick, just to step back once. It's not because Kroom didn't have time. It's because I'm very expensive to get on podcast. <laughs> yeah, it I took to, a while before you could afford it. I had to, yeah, I had to talk to like several different agents and agencies just to get even in contact with you again. So, but but I'm glad we can make it work. I'm glad that my people, me, could talk to your people, which is like a staff of fifty. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be the best hundred billion you ever spent. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I started off as an alpine skier. Um, and so, like, I, I grew up in Vail, Colorado, which um, plenty of people know is, like, a great place to ski. Uh, that's what it's famous for. I went to a ski academy. My dad's a professional alpine ski coach, and he's worked for various national federations and private programs and on the World Cup and with Olympic and World Championship athletes. Um, and so from the time I was little, I was, I was hell-bent on being a professional skier. And then, were you ever a uh, professional skier? Like uh, in technicality, or like, because you know how, like, in cycling, we call ourselves professional cyclists before we're ever actually professional cyclists. Yeah. Um, 
like you were so young. I mean, I met you when you were like 17. So like, how do you, yeah, how would you I have mean, categorized yourself? You, I, I could, uh, yeah, I could say that. I mean, I had sponsors, um, that, and basically I was super fortunate that I did enough support that ski racing didn't cost me anything, um, which is a huge step up on, yeah, yeah, it's a huge step up on, uh, on the majority of people. Um, and I was pretty good at one point I was ranked second in the world for my age. Uh, and I was national champion, um, won a bunch of races. Like I, I, I was good. Yeah. But I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't making a living. That's for sure. And that's mm-hmm. actually funny because I'll fast forward and it kind of explains the difference between, uh, the state of ski racing and cycling at the time, at least. Um, but, uh, yeah, fast forward, I, I've always loved ski, or I always loved cycling, um, would do it basically as much as I can, which ended up being like two or three months a year, a little bit in the spring, a little bit in the fall. Um, but, you know, when I did that, I took it seriously, and I trained hard, and uh, I, I tried to get the best out of myself, because mostly just that's my personality. Um, and then typically, I'd always be skiing in uh, Europe during the summer yeah Europe and New Zealand this year or it, it was 2015 the trip was pushed back a little bit and so I was going to be in the U.S. for U.S. junior nationals for the first time ever and it was a drivable distance away it's in Tahoe and we're like oh yeah like why not let's give it a crack we'll go like sounds kind of fun um especially because I knew I liked cycling and kind of wanted to get more into it um went there and actually won the time trial and so I was I was really keen on like that kind of sparked a fire for me like oh yeah like this is something I want to explore like I want to try racing in Europe like maybe this is something I could do um how old were you 15 or was that in 2015 uh, yeah 2015 so I was 16 16 okay yeah 15 16 um it never quite worked out at first um and I was like, all right, like, great. I'll, I'll be a skier. I, I still love ski racing. <laughs> Sounds pretty sweet to me. Um, and then later had the idea like, oh, maybe, maybe we could try the track like velodrome. Um, and I had no intentions of racing ever, but in my own, or particularly in my dad's mind, he was the one that had the idea, but it'd be something fun. It'd be new. It'd be a way to stay on the bike, but, uh, something I can kind of explore without pressure and be interesting and it would probably be better training for ski racing just because it's shorter more explosive efforts something like that um quickly once I started doing that I fell in love and also got noticed uh got invited to a USA cycling camp and this is where we'll compare the states of skiing and cycling at the time but soon after that uh within within a few months after that original USA cycling camp um I had the opportunity to as an 18 year old be paid to be a cyclist on the national team whereas that same year I qualified for the national team in scheme and I was going to have to pay 30 grand to be on the team um so quite the difference um (laughs) at the end of the day I was I was I was over skiing um I built a ton of animosity into it it wasn't fun. I was either sort of relieved if I did well or pissed off if I didn't, but never actually really enjoying myself at the races. 
uh, and so it, it, I would have made the decision to be a cyclist anyway, but um, as an 18 year old that that uh, pay difference also made the decision pretty, pretty simple at the time. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's actually kind of insane. Cause you know, one thing we bitch about in, in cycling is just the natural, you know, pay is so low. Like it's, it, it's, it's so, it's so low and so hard to, you know, get that money together and, and whatever else. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I can only imagine if, you know, I'm just like picturing Jim Miller coming to me and being like, Hey man, you had a really great season. Like, I think we're going to put this program together. Um, and yeah, I'm going to ask all the guys for $30,000. Like yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. That to me would be nuts. Yeah, totally. Um, unfortunately back then it was the norm in skiing. I think it's gotten better now. Um, Unfortunately, I don't keep up with it as much as I should, especially details like that. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough world alpine skiing. Um, I mean, so is cycling, but um, could always could always be worse, or it could be better, or it could be professional soccer players and get paid from the time we're eleven. So I don't yeah. know why we're I don't know why we're messing around with this. But. Yeah, no, I always I always joke about it because it's like you know, like now I have student loans and I have all these other things and and. Uh... <laughs> And like, it's funny. Cause like, I feel like, I feel like college, like I wouldn't be where I'm at today in cycling if it wasn't for college, but I also could be doing the same thing I'm doing now, like with the podcast, with marketing, with, you know, some of the work that I'm doing with no college education. Mm. And so it's really funny to like, think about, you know, student loans and all these other crazy things. Um, but anyways, to get off that, let's not even dive into you know payments and all these other things like you found you found early success in cycling and you found early success in in skiing and that transition kind of happened because you felt like i guess financials right like i'm more or less just summarizing what summarizing what you're saying but um do you ever see yourself or do you ever wonder like do you ever wonder where you could have been if you would have stayed in skiing uh yeah I mean, I actually don't have to wonder that much because I think I, I probably would have stopped eventually. Um, yeah. Like, do you think you would have stopped because you got burnt out or do you think you would have stopped because you would have got priced out? Like, why do you think you would have stopped is kind of my question. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, like I said, thankfully, I I was good enough to the point and had incredible support. Like, I was also very well supported and super lucky for what I received as far as uh, the opportunities I had to sort of make that dream come true so i wouldn't have gotten priced out but i think uh like i said I, I was i was really happy or um content uh when i was actually racing don't get me wrong like i, I still love the act of skiing and the thought of training gs which is one of the events is like great to me and i have dreams about like ripping ski turns and stuff yeah but by the end i, I was just I was almost always miserable <laughs> yeah. and, and I actually had a good year as well. And so, uh, that alone tells you something <laughs> when you're succeeding and like reaching your goals and not having fun. Um, well, but, like dive back a little bit too. Cause like, you know, you talk about, cause like, I still think you're like one of the wisest dudes I know. 
like and you're probably one of the, also the youngest teammates that I've ever had like you're like one of the wisest teammates I've ever had but you're also one of the youngest teammates I've ever had and so like some of the questions you have like I forget your age like you'll ask me questions like when we're out you know in Europe or like when we were you know you would ask for advice or something like that relationship wise or whatever right and I would forget how I would forget how young you were so like dive back a little bit of like what school system that you were in because you were like at a ski school like it wasn't like you were yeah. at a normal high school in Vail which I don't even know if they have those very small town <laughs> but I assume they do but you know what I mean but like you were at you were at like ski high school like where like yeah yeah I went to a ski academy from the time I was in sixth grade and so um what that looks like is the whole idea is to cater to athletics, specifically in this case, alpine ski racing. Um, there's also other sports at my school, like freestyle skiing and snowboarding and Nordic and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it was structured pretty much like a normal school in the fall. And then once November one came around and you could start skiing in Colorado, uh, our schedule shifted. So our school day didn't even start until after one o'clock. And so we trained every morning um, with like Vail Ski and Snowboard Club um, and then went to school from one to yeah five basically. And then along with that, they, like I said, they're trying to cater to athletics. And so like when we we're going on competition trips, oftentimes they'd send tutors. Uh, they had a specific sort of late work policy. So like when you're gone for, three or four weeks competing you're not like failing out of school um wow. and so they're keen to help you with stuff like that uh but i actually think and i appreciate i am very wise far wiser than anyone you know actually <laughs> um that it, it, if that's true um it would be because when i was growing up i was lucky enough to spend a ton of time with my dad and his group of athletes and so from the time I was 10 years old, uh, all my closest friends were like double and triple my age. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. It's like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why I think, uh, and this is a double-edged sword, but I like to see myself as, you know, like a professional athlete. And what I mean, I don't mean like getting paid. I mean, like how I go about it. Um, just because... I was around uh, Olympic skiers and world champion medalist skiers all the time. <laughs> and I saw what it took for them. And that like really inspired me. And I thought they were so cool. And it is like having a group of like super rad older brothers. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that sort of shaped what I prioritized and what I thought was important in the world and what I thought was cool. Um, and so, yeah, basically. And then that was the same thing. Once I started cycling, I was 18 years old and obviously Gavin at the time was, uh, I guess two years older than me, but then the next youngest would probably be you. And then it goes yeah. up to hedge who, uh, was nearly double my age at the time. And so, um, that, yeah, that's which continued I, would, and, I would have said that you two were probably the most level and were probably the most wise on the team. Is it's kind of it's which is weird because, you know, it was almost like you would go to Hedge and Hedge would impart his wisdom 
and then but there was times like in training sessions where we would all be all over shop and you would just say like well dude we should just be doing it like x y and z mm. and where i was just like oh yeah yeah duh colby he gets it he's wise and then you would come to me with some some problem or some situation or i'd overhear some problem or some situation i was like oh shit he's only like 20 years old 19 years old (laughs) like yeah i just completely completely space on it and so that being said you know that finds you now in this program you know you next person closest in age to you was was gavin and then you know myself and you know, we go up the line and like, now we look at all these guys and they're all above the age of 30. They've pretty much retired. Um, where did you find yourself after the team pursuit program? Uh, yeah, well, so I, I also really like the road. <laughs> and so I was racing a little bit on the road at the beginning. And then, uh, sort of the last year of the team pursuit program, I was racing for wildlife generation um a conti team and so that way like i was getting to race in asia and yeah like start doing uci races on the road um and that was awesome because that showed me that uh even though yeah it wasn't uh as high of a level of competition as i was doing on the track like it showed me like oh this is actually something you really like and something you want to do and then in the, in July of 2019, um, at a super dumb crash, and I was broke, there. Kroom was there. It's it quite dramatic. Yeah, uh, very dramatic. I'm still. But I, I broke. I broke two vertebrae in my back, one in my neck, um, a bunch of stitches, and yeah. And so that basically ended my participation on the team pursuit team, and so. Uh, the next year would have been 2020 and I was planning on focusing more on the road, uh, especially with where that fell in the Olympic cycle. And uh, I also wanted to develop that side of my cycling. I think it'd be good for my track as well. Um, lo and behold, uh, COVID came and we didn't race pretty much at all. <laughs> and then, and then I got super lucky, ended up on Hoggins Berman action uh, for the 2021 season, which uh, how did that come about? Like, because I mean, <laughs> you know, if I was Axel, and I'm just like, I, I don't know Axel, but like, I just see him, like, I would see his emails be like over flooded with kids like you and talent like you. Like, they're, you're right on the cusp, uh, and like, you can be something great. Um, and he's got kids all over the world, right? You know, it's not even just the U S and so you break your back and somehow he believes in the fact that you can bounce back from this at such a, yeah, year. you know, I don't know how, how it ended up being me. I sent him an email in, uh, I don't know, probably May or something, just like lobbying a prayer. I, I didn't have any expectations of even a response and sure enough, I did um somehow he knew who I was I think uh when I was younger we had also talked a little bit and it it wasn't the right time but uh yeah he was aware of who I was and I think I had uh some very strong references um Jim Miller for sure I know was talking to him about me um but yeah I don't know I think (laughs) I honestly don't know what tipped him off to be like, oh, he wants to 
uh, have me on the team. Um, it helps I'm American. Yeah. But uh, that actually, in hindsight, um, I wish I would have had a different mentality going into it. Because like you're saying, especially, and I was aware of this, like, oh, how many emails does that guy get? Like, how many really good cyclists my age uh, want to and are good enough and deserve to be on that team? And in my mind, like, almost right away, I was like, oh, like, am I good enough to deserve to be on this team? Like, For how sure. did I even get on this team? <laughs> I didn't even race last year. Like, no one did. Um, but, yeah, I didn't even race last year. Like, why me? Um, and so... Well, in reality, uh, I think part of me believed that I was good enough. I think from, and this is, this conversation will kind of lead to like who I am today. But I think with all the stress of the previous year of coronavirus, and then also sort of underlying demons that I had mentally, pretty much soon after I had signed with action uh, is when my mental health just absolutely deteriorated to like a fine sand. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was, I was, I was super lucky because action was super understanding and um, like they didn't push me on anything. They were, they were, I don't, I'm, I'm missing the words right now, but like, I'm so grateful for the support they showed and they weren't expecting anything out of me and they, they weren't angry with me. Um, they weren't disappointed and they genuinely just wanted to help me back to health, let alone riding well. Um, so that was great, but that didn't stop me from absolutely like blatantly just hating myself and yeah. like participating in really self-destructive behaviors. Thankfully not like drinking or drugs or stuff, but um, I, I couldn't get out of bed. <laughs> uh, I was in training. I was, I was, I put on a ton of weight. Um, I was, I wasn't ready to quit the sport, but I didn't see any other like where there, there, a lot of my misery was from myself just telling myself what a piece of garbage cyclist I was because I couldn't even get out to train. Well, gee, well so, wait a minute. Like, how do you even get here? Like, I feel like, you know, we've talked about this ski kid, right? Who, you know, is super talented. I remember you coming into the program and I remember coaches like walking around in the infield being like, this is the next kid. Like, this is the next this is the next Taylor Finney. I remember, I remember hearing those words be said and, and I don't like comparing athletes to other people, but I, those were the words that were said. Um, and you know, you were, you always smiled, you were always stoked, you know, like you were always, you're always looking for the next thing. So like you finally made it here, you've made it to action. Like, I think this is any kid's dream. And then you feel like, like, like the words that you said, you felt like your mental state almost turned into sand like how do you how do you end up there yeah um well in hindsight there's a bit of a hint of this at the end of my ski career um but uh i certainly uh battle with depression and i also wasn't really aware of 
um, the extent of it and how much is affecting me and what normal was. Uh, but in hindsight, yeah, at least since I was 17 or 18, I've dealt with depression. Um, and I think it's one super normal and super common. And a lot of people listening will uh, have similar experiences uh, regardless of if they feel like they're depressed or not. Um, but for me, it kind of was just waves of like fogginess and like really hard to actually like like yourself you feel like an imposter um yeah it's just basically for me at least I found every single way in the world to beat myself up um I could tell you I had a laundry list of reasons why I was a piece of garbage <laughs> and that was the only thing I could think about and it was just like this constant reel in my head um there's there wasn't a moment during the day where I wasn't aware of what utter disgrace I was to this planet and I could see logically that that wasn't true and I could see that things in reality were like great like I I, I had a great situation um but that almost made it worse the fact that uh it was in quotations only in my head <laughs> like yeah like why can't you just like suck it up like just be normal dude like stop stop being a stop stop worrying but <laughs> i couldn't at all um but yeah i think how i got to that point specifically was one helped by a year of isolation <laughs> with yeah. coronavirus and i mean it gave you a lot of time to think about uh whatever and in my case i chose to think about all the all the negatives in the world <laughs> and um also i think a bit of sort of imposter syndrome which is a common phrase these days like do i belong on this team like am i good enough uh without a year of racing i didn't know like you kind of forget what you're capable of because you're not competing against people like you're yeah. just training <laughs> um and uh as as i was taking steps that in my eyes were making me a worse cyclist. I was beating myself up for that. I was getting farther from my goals. I felt guilty for being on the team um, because I, I had Axel's email box in my mind of all these kids that were more deserving than I was to be there. Uh, and while I never like gave up trying, I was always, I was genuinely trying my best. Uh, in fact, the hardest I've ever worked in my life was periods of time where I wasn't training at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it just, it, it got it got really bad. And like I was working with a psychologist and I had all the great perspective in the world from my parents and from people around me, um, teammates, you, anyone. I was getting a ton of love and people were willing to talk about things with me. And I was willing to talk and talking always helped a bit, but I, I was, I felt doomed. Like I couldn't, I couldn't change my mindset. I was, I was, I was dead set on being miserable. Um, and that didn't change until this uh, June when finally it got worse enough where it was just clear that I should try something um, and started taking an antidepressants like medication. And that changed my life like 180, uh, overnight almost. Um, and since then, uh, partially because of 
the things I worked on while I was extraordinarily down. Um, my life is far brighter than I've ever been, uh, than it's ever been. Like I, I love myself genuinely far more than I ever have. Um, I'm excited yeah. for things in the day. Uh, things don't threaten me. Um, the thought of the thought of anything cycling doesn't scare me. You know what I mean? It's just purely a challenge at this point. And um, to be honest, like on the roads, I didn't have a very good year, right? <laughs> I spent most of it 40 pounds heavier than my race weight. Which is Which, insane. Yeah, I, rem I remember you you texted me your weight and you were almost like, dude, don't tell anybody. This. <laughs> and, yeah. and I was like, I was like, you're lying. Like this isn't, the, there's no way, like you're, you almost weigh as much as I do. Like there's no way that you've gotten this. And it didn't, you couldn't even tell. That was the other thing too. Well, I mean, you could kind of tell, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like you didn't look like me, you know, like it was, it was, it was insane. And so when I heard that, like, um, I, I was, I was, I just couldn't comprehend it. Yeah. Um, I guess you're lucky you didn't see me a person at the time because, uh, I'm laughing at myself. Like, Oh, don't tell people because anyone that would have laid eyes on me in person would it like, it was very glaring. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I wasn't, I wasn't training. I was very unfit. Um, I was living in Girona and I was just going from shop to shop, like binge eating, um, medicating with food was basically what I was doing. Wow. Um, and you can get into the science of that, but basically my case, like the little hit of dopamine, but mostly serotonin that I was getting from food was like the only thing that made me feel something. And while I was miserable doing it and I knew I shouldn't have been doing it and I hated myself for it chemically felt great. Right. Like I'm sure it's no different than any other addiction. Yeah. And so, uh, I was eating a bunch of, like I said, put on a bunch of weight, um, then my life turned around in June and all of a sudden I was sort of free to fly. Unfortunately, I was still 40 pounds overweight and unfit. And naturally that takes time to correct. And uh, I've made a ton of progress since then. Um, like physiologically, I'm, I'm easily the best I've ever been today or well, I've just taken a little break. So probably not that fit right now, but um, I made a, a ton of progress. It is the first time in my life where I've had consecutive months of good training without these huge dips from from in hindsight what what was like mental health um I still have like weight to lose obviously 40 pounds doesn't come off overnight especially if you want to do it sort of smartly but basically the result of that was I didn't have any results on the road and so uh in my case like I'm too old for action next year and um, for the time being while I'm working on it. And there's some things I look up, uh, right now I don't have a road team for next year. Oh, and wow. I'm finding this out on the podcast too. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why I'm supremely grateful for the hundred million that you donated. Yeah. Yeah. For this no, podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We took out a small uh, loan. It's cool. It's yeah. yeah. We're a big company. <laughs> Coffee and man chats. Yeah, I mean, that's why you're live in studio right now. So Exactly. Um, but I, I go through all that. I, I, I tell you that I've had a bad year um, to basically this is an affirmation for myself. But sitting here today, I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of not having 
like my dream contract or my road um, program, like in this shining light of gold, because I sit here today with way more confidence than I've ever had in myself that I'm actually capable of what I'm trying to do. And if it doesn't work out, like I'm also more okay with that than I've ever been. Um, wow. And it's, it's, it, it literally, it feels like an enlightenment uh, for lack of a better term. And it's changed my life. Uh, and I'm so much better off than I've ever been. And like I said, like, like or like you said, uh, I, I think I always used to smile. I always used to like joke and, um, but it's, I'm absolutely not someone different, but someone that is able to appreciate how good I have it right now. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe it's not so much of a mask. Like, uh, yeah. <clears throat> you know, cause I mean, you hear a lot about that with like, I mean, suicides and stuff like that and depression and you hear a lot, like you, everybody's like, we never knew like that person was always mm. super, super stoked. Like that person was always super happy. I mean, I remember when you reached out to me, um, I don't know. It was like May or something like that. And like, honestly, that, that was when I was starting to feel like you're feeling, you know, I was like, mm. I'm in the best place I've ever been. Like, you know, like, yeah, I don't have a national team. Yeah. I don't have a team. Like, but I have this podcast. I have myself, like I have my wife, I have, you know, I have a goal, like a thing that I'm chasing. Like I'm going to give it one more good crack. And, you know, and then you reached out to me and, uh, like, I, I'm not going to lie, like part of like the shitty dude in me was like, man, this kid's bitching about living in Girona, racing for racing for action. Like I have just gotten over, you know, you know, being content with myself of like, I'm, I'm not getting paid. I'm not, you know, I'm not at the highest level that I, I think I deserve to be at and where I want to be at. Um, and it's like, oh, I haven't gotten the opportunity. And it's like, it's, it's interesting, you know, they say, don't meet your heroes. And it always dives back to, um, I always dive back to like, um, some people that I've ridden with in, in, in the past, um, that I looked up to and that I actually did six days with. And, you know, I, I always like, when I was your age, I would always be like, man, I wish I was that guy. And then you meet them, you get to know them. And then you realize like that guy has the same issues that I have just on a grander, different scale, you yeah. know? And you've probably, yeah. you've probably seen some of that even at a younger age when you were like, I want to go to the Olympics for skiing. And then you meet these Olympians who get comfortable around you and you're like, oh, well, I don't want to be like that. Like, I don't want to have <laughs> those feelings. Like, yeah, I would love to go to the Olympics, but you seem pretty bummed, dude. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, totally. Well, um, I mean, to me, like, that's actually the coolest part of what we're doing is I think it's an opportunity to sort of sort it out and learn that like really it's all a joke right like we we ride bikes um we might think we do it for some other reason but it's most fulfilling when we do it for us and no one else right like exactly we're yeah. not uh, like to put it bluntly like we're not saving lives you know what i mean like no. uh, i guess maybe you could eventually get good enough that you could make some real change in the world but there's probably easier and more effective ways to make that change than to dedicate your life to cycling. You know what I mean? For sure. Um, and that's not to say that it's not valid. Like I, I, I'm hundred percent committed to being the best cyclist I can regardless of the result. And I think that's totally valid, but it's only valid because 
I want to. And that's it. It's, it's simply a game we play. And that's the same with skiing. It's the same with the Olympians that I skied with or with the world champions I skied with. It's the same with the cyclists that we ride with, the, like the world champions, the Tour de France champions. Like it's just, it's just a game we play at the end of the day. And um, once it becomes something far more than that, then I think you're missing out. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's the case for a lot of people. I think it's really hard for people to sort of live in this, having this perspective that what you're doing is great because that's what you want to do and that's it um and unfortunately i think it's something that like even i as i sit here feeling great about the world i will also have a period where that doesn't feel right and for sure for sure and i mean we're all we're like we're on this podcast and you know we're you know, kind of giving it to the man of depression and <laughs> saying, fuck you, but you know, we're going to sign off here in 30 minutes or so. And, you know, something's going to pop up or, you know, that team contract that you thought was going to come through, doesn't come through or whatever. And so, you know, it, it happens. And so that being said, like, you know, you, you made a comment that you have no team like for next year for on the road. Um, what is, what is your goal? Like if, if, if like I'm, team director you know what is your goals for next year are you like trying to allot to whatever you can get or like i mean from the sounds of it it sounds like you you know you're looking out for colby right now and so yeah what does colby want to do well i was fortunate enough to do a bunch of track racing this fall and uh it, it reminded me once again because i wish i would have caught on to this uh earlier but every time i step off the track i'm like stoked you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think that says a lot. And the Olympic qualification cycle will already start next year. And so uh, my my main project for the time being is to, uh, yeah, to qualify for the Olympics um, on the track. Uh, but like I said, I do love the tour, or I, I do love road cycling and like, long term the tour de france is like one of my goals you know and like i i got to race in belgium a fair amount this year and i really like that style of riding and i think like racing the classics in the spring would be so cool and something that would suit me if i got if i could do it enough to get good at it you know what i mean um but i also realized that and i had this experience this year uh that if you don't belong it's certainly not a place you want to be. Like, I don't want to be world tour because it's cool to be world tour. I only want to be world tour because I'm good enough to be world tour. Um, and I have the belief that if I become good enough, uh, then, then it will work out. Then I will find my way there. If I deserve to be there, I'll find my way there. And it will be awesome because I belong there. And it's that's something I know I want to do, but if it's something where I'm like teetering on the edge and like, oh, like I, I kind of luck into a contract because of this result or something, uh, I, I can say from experience that that will probably be a pretty miserable experience. <laughs> and yeah. so, well, we've kind of yeah. seen that with, with, with some people and we, you and I know people who have entered the world tour and be like, dude, it is not all it's cracked up to be. Um, and you know, you're pretty much just hanging on for dear fucking life, you know, at every race that you do. And, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's intense. And it's especially like if you're given a job to ride the front all day, you know, for yeah, 10, 15, totally. 20 days, you know? Totally. And I mean, if it's, if that's like the level I get to, then, then great. Like I'm, I'm all for being <laughs> that guy, but I want to be that guy because like, that's something that I'm good at. Not yeah, yeah. because, uh, yeah, not because some other reason of the way that I got there. Um, and yeah, that, that's again, just going back to the experience I had this year in, in hindsight, in, if I feel like I do now and the progress I made, I, I, I now know that I, I was good enough to be on action though. I never had a road result with them that would sort of suggest that, um, but I know from the beginning of that experience, when I'm laying in bed, not riding and eating a lot uh, and miserable, that in that case, I'm not fit enough or like capable enough of a human to be on any cycling team. And that was, it certainly, while that wasn't the cause of my, my issues, it certainly wasn't helping knowing, like having this guilt of like, oh, you don't belong here. Um, that voice was hard to get rid of and uh, certainly not worth any prestige of riding around with world tour kid on, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, no, for sure. Like I, like I said, man, I mean, I feel like people are listening to this podcast and now understand what I mean by like, your wise beyond your ears, my friend. Cause what are you like? You're like 24, right? Uh, 22. You know? See, I told you. I'm, See, I'm, always, I'm, always, I'm always two, two years ahead. So Gav's 24 then I'm 28 man it's it's crazy to know like it's 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 really crazy to know where we all met and where we all started like mm. i think i came into the program your age when it first started and that was the first ever rendition of like a rendition of a, a men's endurance program that i knew about when i started cycling but anyways so that all being said um what's the rest of your year look like man like uh you you packing up traveling you going anywhere you racing anywhere what's <laughs> what's the deal with you i'm packing up yeah. I'm on the road again. Um, no, well, uh, uh, like I said, I'm on a little bit of a break right now. I'll start training specifically here pretty soon, which um, I'm super excited for, which is great. It's a, it's a cool feeling to be rearing to go, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which is a good sign. I'm going to race the track as much as I can this winter. Um, it's, it's a little bit hard to uh, kind of sort it out because yeah, there's sure. not a ton of racing going on and it's hard to get into races but uh i have my schedule through december i'll go over and i'll race in europe some which i'm really excited about and then uh yeah like i said i'm, I'm talking to some road teams and that will obviously shape kind of what next year looks like for me specifically but in general like i said i'm 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 committed to this track project uh and I'm really excited about it and I love racing the track. And so that alone will make it a worthwhile experience to like kind of go all in on this thing. And so, yeah. And we'll uh, take this sound clip, this one sound clip right here and we'll post it in 2024. Um, when you're at the yeah. Olympics in Paris, yeah. you know, yeah, um, exactly. I might, I might have to pay another hundred million or whatever it was to get you on the first time. To I think it. it was in our contract that you could but, use sound clips for oh, okay. Well, cool, man. Well, one question though, before, before I let you roll, um, it's, it's our classic question and, and 
I know you've listened to the podcast a few times, but I bet you didn't take the time to think about this question. But if you could have a cup of coffee with one individual, who would that individual be, dead or alive? How would you take your coffee, and why would you have a cup of coffee with that individual? Uh, I, I want to tell this story really quick. It's funny to me. Um, and Kruma will laugh as well. When you first started this, just because you mentioned that I listen to the podcast, which I do. Uh, <laughs> well, I do. I do. No, I do. I do. I do. But the reason why this is funny is because uh, I texted you one time. I was like, man, like you're doing a really good job with the podcast. And that was purely on me, like seeing your social media presence like seeing that you had a microphone and headphones and like just hearing little clips on your stories and stuff. And I could tell like the quality of the sound and everything was quite good. And I was like, yeah, like <laughs> I just wanted to show some love. And I told you like, man, like you're doing a good job. And to be fair, I had listened to one podcast. I had listened to TJ Eisenhart. Yeah. Um, but you're like, oh yeah, like, thanks. I appreciate it, man. Which one's your favorite? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, the one with Dan Bigham. And you're like, oh, well, that one hasn't been released yet and so yeah you caught me <laughs> oh yeah because i i pretty much i i pretty much uh i released like a little clip and i think i was releasing it in like two weeks and you responded yeah. <laughs> off the dan bigham thing and i was like well i haven't released that podcast yet but i'm glad you enjoyed it um yeah, yeah. and it's well. no it's fine it's really funny because it's like i don't and it, i don't know who my listeners are because like i have uh I have analytics and I look at all the analytics and people listen. Like I see it, like we got on the out of bounds network, like through listenership. And, um, but whenever I talk to my friends, they're just like, yeah, no, I don't, no, I don't listen to it at all. Um, I'm not sorry. And it's, it, it's no hard feelings. I get it. I mean, actually I got made fun of and lost some friends over the podcast cause I got bashed on so hard because it's annoying, which I understand. It's not like I'm turning into a fitness blogger or something. Um, I'm just trying to have fun on a podcast, man. But anyways, now that you're an avid listener and supporter of the podcast and yes. you know, you're, what is it? I, I, and I haven't gotten like a dumb name for my listeners yet. Like, you know how people like call each other, like, I don't know, like coffee heads or some shit. I haven't yeah. done, I haven't done that yet. And I don't think I'll ever get there, but now that you're a coffee head, um, <laughs> you could have a <laughs> cup of coffee with one individual, you know, who would that be, man? Dead or alive. And how would you take your coffee? Uh, well, my snap reaction is LeBron James because he's a stud. Uh, yeah. And no more than that. My next snap reaction is Lewis Hamilton because he's a stud. Um, but if, if I thought about it more, dead or alive, one person, um, you know, a coffee, a coffee date is probably not that long. So who am I going to get the most uh, well, here's the thing. bang I, for buck? This is this cracks me every time. This is the 80th episode of a podcast that I've done. And people are always like, they, they resort it back to the coffee and they go, yeah, I guess if we're having a coffee, it's probably only going to be like 20 minutes or if we're <laughs> going to have a coffee, it's going to be an hour or, ah, this person won't drink coffee. And so maybe I need to switch this up a little bit because it's finally clicked with me that people really looked more deep into the coffee than the actual <laughs> part of the question that I want them to answer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah um but it can be as long as you want man i mean i'm I'm literally saying that you can bring a dead guy back to life yeah yeah well if i uh if i got endless time um th there's this girl named um byron katie and okay. she basically uh 
has devoted her life to helping people with uh, their silly problems, which I'm, I'm calling my problems silly. Uh, but yeah, basically helping people with depression. And she has, uh, she has this incredible background, like very dark and not, not pleasant. And she lives this incredibly happy life because of basically the lessons she's taught herself and she teaches that to other people. I think you could learn a lot if you spend a bunch of time with her. Um, how I take my coffee, this is gonna get the episode canceled, but I've had three cups of coffee in my life. One oh, that's mocha right. That's right. and two black decaf coffees. And so-, so Coffee creamer it is? I think just a few <laughs> coffee creamers. So Colby Rock. has this, Colby has a party trick and that's why we're laughing. He, uh, he puts a coffee creamer in his mouth, like a little coffee creamer cup and he pops it with his teeth. And for whatever reason, we have made that out to be a party trick. If that tells you how exciting our track camps are, cause now that I'm saying this aloud, I'm thinking to myself, well, that's not that exciting. But I remember we used to get really fucking excited when you put coffee <laughs> creamer. <in> your- <laughs> it's very exciting. And I challenge anyone to give it a try. You have to get the right one. Some of them don't make the pop, but it will shock you. It will, it will rock your world. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's my vice. Coffee creamer is my vice. Okay. So a couple of coffee creamers, and then she might end up giving you more advice because she realizes you yeah. have more than one silly problem. <laughs> I um, have. Yeah. But anyways, guys, Thanks so much for coming back and listening to the podcast. And uh, now that we have a new listener, Colby Lang, he will probably listen to this podcast uh, episode <laughs> too. I'll put a link to his social media down in the description below. Also, all the out of bounds of my podcast stuff all down in the description below, the sponsors of this episode. Other than that, we'll see you next time. Uh, we're out. I think I'm just going to cold intro this one. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Hey, it's Mr. Adam X, and you're listening to The Pursuit on the Out of Bounds Network. As always, before we start, I ask that you can like, subscribe, leave a review. Five stars is great. One stars isn't super great, but it's a review, so leave a review. Let us know what you think. This week's guest is a bit of a hot topic right now. Patty O'Connell, you might know him from his latest article... Telemark skiers, why are you the way you are? This guy rules. Uh, I don't know what everyone's so mad about. He wrote a satire article about telemark skiing and how it's dumb, just as skiing is dumb and snowboarding is dumb. So we kind of hash into it, talk about telemark skiing and what it is and why it is. And the article, uh, this dude's super rad. No one should hate him. He has the best mustache I've ever seen. He's got a really, really, really cool like web series going on with cross-country skiing and how it's actually harder than you think. There's nothing to be mad about this guy about. Uh, at Patty Rock, P-A-D-D-Y-R-O-C on Instagram. One final note before we get started. Uh, the audio got a little shaky for a second there, but it does pop back in, so don't stress. Uh, I don't know, I live in a van, so I'm usually just stealing internet from the street. Uh, So that's probably on me. But besides that, the episode's rad. I'm really pumped on it. 
patty rules his mustache rules he's actually a really good human and we shouldn't be mad at him because he wrote a satire article about telemark skiing so here it is patty o'connell aka patio Thank you. Yeah, for it's being cool, on. man. I we had we had like a really good chat, and I'm good to run that back. You know, like um, although now, like now, like what I think is going to happen in the Telmark world now is like it's like when you show up to like uh, um, uh, you know like a freestyle rap battle, and and everybody in the crowd <laughs> is like, "This motherfucker is spitting writtens," you know, like he's he's fucking <laughs> coming with shit already pre-planned, you know, so now now it's just going to be like uh this was just like this was round two this doesn't count <laughs> well that's your intro the most hated man on the internet patio i know just in the telemark world uh patty tell us who you are and why everyone hates you right now well uh i god oh man why everyone hates me right now this see this is like telemark skiers conversation yeah this is gonna be a great conversation to have with my therapist hi everybody my name is Patty Patio O'Connell. You might know me from the internet. Uh, I'm a professional word nerd and chit chatter in the uh, uh, primarily in the outdoor media space. That means I I write, uh, I, I produce podcasts, I produce different uh, multimedia uh, creations. I am a Swiss Army knife of creativity, um, and uh, I'm an Irishman from Chicago, the owner of a robust mustache. Uh, and, um, I, I recently, uh, penned an article for ski magazine, uh, about telemark skiing and people got fired up about it. We could say to say the least. Uh, so the article was called telemark skiers. Why are you the way you are? Yes. Which you could have left it at that. And I think people would have boiled over. Just the blank uh, page after the headline. Yeah. But like, so that came out three weeks ago and the people yeah, are still okay. talking about it. it. Yes. Yes, they are. I know on the internet. <laughs> Why? I, I think you did your job, obviously. You. Like your job is to get clicks and I don't care what anyone else has to say. That's your job. Your job is to get clicks to ski mag or anyone else that you are working for. So yeah. in that aspect, yeah. you home run it. Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. I mean, it did, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but I know that, you know, um, the uh, social media posts that Ski Mag put up about it kind of blew up. So I think it did, um, you know, pretty well. And I'd say that, like, I mean, um, every time I create anything, right? Like I I'm looking to, um, uh, make people laugh and make people think. And I hope I made people laugh and think with this, but I can honestly say that the response to it, especially like the very, um, negative response was, um, pretty, uh, shocking. I am shocked yeah, <laughs> at, I at, the, at the response that people have had to it. I can't believe people care. Like, and like, obviously we're rehashing a conversation that no one knows we had already, but like <laughs> we're sliding down snow. We are, we're literally like it's sledding, but in control, whether it be skiing, snowboarding, right. telemark skiing, sled dog, ski boards, it's dumb. 
And that's like skiing is dumb. Snowboarding is dumb. Telemark skiing is like really dumb. And for anyone who doesn't know, <laughs> I telemark ski uh, a lot, a lot. Like I am a tell, I don't own Alpine yeah. boots. Yeah. Um, that being said, I am buying Alpine boots next year because of Patty's article. And I said it was dumb. <laughs> <so I'm> not- <laughs> Yeah. Now I'm going to get, I'm going to get like hate mail now because, you know, it's like you've turned Adam. now. <laughs> you turned the core, the only podcast host. No, um, I, I am a telemark skier and I telemark ski a lot. I probably had a hundred plus days this year, but I do a lot of touring. And I think originally telemark skiing was this, this ticket to the back country. Right. Totally. And, and now Alpine gears or Alpine touring gear is so far advanced that it's better. Well, yeah. And I, and I think I kind of point that out in the, in the article, but really like, I mean, I don't hate telemark skiing. I don't even dislike it. I think it does like look cool. You know, Uh, I I have tons of friends who uh, telly and yeah, but that's like, like, Oh, well my friend telly. So I can say that. Well, but here's the thing, though, is that like I this this. Yeah, totally. Right. Like I so like I'm a like I'm a, I'm a curious person. Right. And like the, that's the, the, the way I come up with anything that I write about or, or uh, talk about or anything that I create. Right. Is that like I typically get inspired, like when I'm out and about in the mountains and I notice something interesting. And that's where this thing happened. You know, it's in Silverton. And my buddy John is the last telly holdout. Uh, who guides for for Silverton and uh we were shooting the shit before the day started and he was like hey man like let me show you these new uh bindings I got and I was like oh my god dude no way are you clicking your heels in now like John <laughs> are you serious and he was like and no fuck no I'm never doing that. you know I was like okay awesome and so he shows me these new binders that he has where like uh you toe in and then uh they're telly bindings they're like but they like click into the bottom of your soul and yeah ntn uh, that it, right the ntn thank you right like instead of the like the, the 75 mil yeah like a duck it's basically duck bill which was 75 mil and now they call this yeah. ntn and some people call it duck butt because it like grabs on the back but well that's kind of cute yeah, we try i like that i'm we into try. that also the terms that you just threw out there like you might as well be speaking like martian to me i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> uh but like so john is like showing me his new things he's psyched on it psyched and i'm like dude like this is as close as you can get to like clicking your heel in with like still being able to bend your knees like what is going on and then we went back and forth and like he gave me shit about alpine skiing and i gave him shit about his like gigantic beard that like has an owl living in it you know like it's just like this like lovable thing right between he and i and then i kind of was like oh like there's something here right like all skiers no matter your like discipline uh like give each other lovable shit you know and it's kind of this like friendly ribbing back and forth and i was like oh well you know there's kind of this thing of like you know alpine skiers giving tele skiers shit and tele skiers giving alpine skiers shit and it's kind of like funny and so i was like i think there's like something here i'm going to explore this but I want to make sure that, you know, it is uh, perceived as being like over the top and ridiculous uh, and not a serious thing. So I'm going to wrap it in these like absurd analogies and like 
you know, talk about skiing with dinosaurs and people skiing in monocles and skiing during the Jurassic period and things like this to make sure that people know that this is not fact, uh, that this is farce. Um, unfortunately, people uh, misunderstood that, you know, which is uh, a, a bummer. You know, it's difficult. Me. You know, it's, I mean, that's a bummer, right? Because like the whole intention was to be like, you know, like, ha ha ha, this is funny and over the top and ridiculous. And that's why like, you know, like I think those jokes work because they're, or, or what I wrote, I believe work as these kind of like funny jokes not to be taken seriously because they're not based in anything like real. It's not like I'm sitting here talking about like the physics of, uh, you know, Alpine versus uh, tele equipment or anything like that. It's like tele skiers, you skied during the Jurassic period. What are you doing still on these things? You know, it's like, over the top unfortunately people misunderstood that and they took it as like real factor opinion and and you know like what's really kind of uh, a bummer about it is is i would never want you know to someone to think that i'm like putting up a wall or like othering people i try to actually like destroy that most of my more like serious work so um that was unfortunate that was and and i mean the big over the top like response to it has been kind of shocking and and that's a bummer you know, yeah, I don't but, want to make people sad. <laughs> yeah, that's not your goal. It's not ski, no. ma ski mag's goal to make people sad. But I no, think, no, I think what you could have wrote anything about telemark skiing that is if that didn't say like this is the anything you wrote about telemark skiing that was any way negative, people would have blown up because no one talks about it. So anytime, right. and I yeah. think that's what happened. Uh, we're so hyper, not we, cause I don't care, but like telemark skiers <laughs> are so yeah. sensitive because it's like doing this thing every, it's like riding like those off-road unicycle guys. Right. And no one cares. <laughs> right. But, but like, it's so much harder. Like I'm doing the same line right. as you, and this is so right. much harder. And you're just like, nah, you're not an Alpines dude. No one cares. And I like right. maybe the unicycle reference is wrong, but like it's that off-road guy that everyone knows that is like he rips on a unicycle, arguably way harder, but who cares? So when it, right. when when these magazines write articles, it it's oh it's never anything positive about a telemark skier. And I know yours right. was satire, but I think that's why everyone just lost it. And I, I would agree with that. You know, like I listened, you sent me that uh, other podcast. Um, yeah, Free Hill Life. And right. And um, uh, I originally didn't listen to it because I was like, I kind of looked into the host and I was like, oh, this dude's got Telemark tattooed on his knuckles. Like, I bet he, I bet he's like pretty upset with me. I don't want to hear somebody being pretty upset with me. And then you told me, and he's like, no, it's like, it's pretty funny. It was really funny. Yeah. What was your and take on that? Because I thought, like, I thought it was. I thought it was really funny. Uh, and I also like, we've been in contact, Josh and I like, oh, great. Uh, and, 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 which is awesome. And I'm totally, next time I'm in Salt Lake, I'm a thousand percent gonna go, uh, you know, try my damnedest to go, you know, keep up with him and his crew. Um, I'm looking for like a, like a ibuprofen sponsorship. Cause I'm just gonna fall down a lot. I'm sure, you know. You probably got I'm better odds them. with like CBD cause they're just throwing money <laughs> at every oh, yeah, athlete. We, yeah, weed Vaseline, you mean? Everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you have a headache? I, CBD. Oh, your joints, yeah. broken leg, CBD. It's like Tussin of like the 
you need some you need some lilac essential oil for that yeah, thing. yeah, yeah exactly. i think actually now we're coming up with like a really good multi-level marketing scheme for the ski industry so let's talk after yeah let's do that. this after <laughs> but i think so like to what josh was saying it's like to your point i think what's happening and which i like you know didn't realize that i was poking at is like maybe some like tease fatigue you know like for sure what josh is pointing out is that like you know, dudes that he doesn't even know in lift lines will be like, you know, your binding suck, you know? And it's like, whoa, you know. You like, suck. That's, yeah, exactly. It's like, that's pretty like ridiculous. Like I only like face-to-face -face will like joke around with the people that I know about their equipment, whatever their equipment is, you know, like snow bikes, rollerblades, unicycles, telemark skiing like whatever it is like if they're my friends like you know that's like that's like how my siblings and i show each other love is to be right like, oh you're goofy i also love you hug you know <laughs> right and, six and feet so i think what's happening is probably yeah exactly masked vaccine uh i think what's happening which i didn't realize you know is like maybe some tease fatigue with people actually being like dicks on the mountain and like screaming at people they don't know uh you know so that's like you know that's a bummer to that to realize like maybe i i like poked at that but again like when i brought this idea up and and even you know like sent the article to my telly friends they're like oh my gosh this is like this is hilarious and i thought that the response like across the board was going to be like that so it was pretty shocking you know that it wasn't and it, i was bummed that there was a misunderstanding um you know but i guess like like one of the things I want to like ask you, you know, or, or maybe point out is like, you know, the thing I love about like ski culture is that like, I think we all recognize, right. That it's like, it's given all of us the sense of belonging and community and it's beautiful and soul enriching. And I write a, a lot about like how it can like reveal things about ourselves and life, but like at the core of it, like, you know, like Dexter Ratecki says in Aspen Extreme, like we're just sliding downhill on sticks, man. You know, like yeah, skiing's the easy part. Yeah, exactly. Skiing's the easy part, Carl. Like <laughs> it's it's like, I mean, it's it's inherently goofy. You know, the first time I got on skis, I was like, this, I did not have like a frowny face, like, this is very serious. I should take this serious for the rest of my life. You know, I was like, this is super fun. And I feel like a kid, you know, I'm I the that like zip of energy through my body from this is hilarious and funny and it's like i mean it's like why we wear neon and do spreadies and like wear jeans and jorts and stuff like that because it's goofy it's a way to like goof off and like it's a smile delivery system at um at its core and i think you know i think that a lot of times when ego is attached to something like skiing um it can put us in trouble when we take something very serious it can put us into trouble and i'm wondering kind of like if you think that you know like something harmful and toxic can come away from us taking skiing so seriously and like also like you know am i unaware of something like has the last year or the last handful of years kind of put the skiing world like back on its heels a little bit like feeling like we need to defend ourselves like do you think, I don't know, do you think, have we lost, have we lost our funny? Uh, I don't know. Cause that's a good point. Like I grew up playing basketball, like summer yeah. basketball, summer camps. Like that's what I did. And then I played all winter 
Like that was right. my sport. Um, I didn't, I, I was okay. I was good, but like, that was my life. Right. And then, right. you know, I played like varsity as like a sophomore. Like I was, I could play, but I was good. Uh, yeah. And then I found skiing. I didn't, I put a snowboard on first at like 16, 17. And that was like, holy, like, there's no, I don't have any coaches. I don't even tell me what to yeah. do. No one's telling me totally. like where to go or how to do it. And then I, you know, I, from snowboarding, I evolved into skiing and then eventually fell into telemark skiing somehow. But it was a freedom to me. It was like an open, I'm not a gamer, but I think I might've said this. Like, it was like an open world video game. It was like, holy, I can do whatever I want. And this is just fun. Totally. And I didn't totally. even, yeah. I didn't even know that like coaching and like, I knew there was like ski racing, but I thought people were just right. fast. Like I didn't know that world because right. I didn't grow up in that world. Same. Uh, yeah. Same. So to me, it was like this ultimate, just freedom, open world video game. And then as I got like good quote unquote, and like got like some sponsors and like, and I was, I'm still not good, but I'm just clever enough to get a free jacket every year, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but like, like that, but that's what it is right like yeah um yeah but it got really serious and like some of like my sponsors would like email me after i asked them for like free hats and they were like well what did you do last year and i was like dude if you think i like went and like tried to get hurt for you this jacket like you're you're so <laughs> wrong so yes and that's just me like i am not a pro skier uh i probably in some ways right. get a lot more free equipment than some pro skiers which is a little weird but yeah, like totally, there are people yeah. there that's what ski makes skiing and skiing as a general snowboarding whatever so rad that if you yeah, ask yeah if you ask me if i'm a skier i'm a skier if i ask my right. nephew who i just took skiing once this year he's five years old for the first time if I asked him right now, if he was a skier, he would say yes. And if I asked Cody Townsend, if he was a yeah, skier, he totally. would say yes. So I think there is a serious world, but I don't think I would say 99% of skiers, riders, whatever are not living in that, but they think they are. If that makes right. sense. I, I understand. I understand that. I, I, I can understand like that, you know, uh, point of view and and it, that's not to say that right like we don't do like serious cool shit when we're on skis uh you know it's like you know uh hilly nelson skiing the lotsi kular or like you know those dudes who skied half dome you know like yeah. that's like bonkers to me you know also when i read about that stuff i'm kind of like oh man that's pretty cool yeah, it's a okay. but like, you know, like I I'm can like, read about that, and that's as far as I have to go. I I spent last week at Tucks Mount Washington Tuckerman's Ravine, yeah, and and on our fourth lap, my eyes started burning, and I went fucking snow blind, and like here I am, like a thirty four oh year old, <laughs> yeah, I'm a thirty four year old blown out, like two knee surgeries, wedding photographer, and I'm like at the top of this mountain blind, like on a walkie talkie. <laughs> And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I, I suck. Like, I better get yeah. a free jacket next yeah. year. I'll tell you that. But, like, it's so funny because we, like, chase these things. And that was just, like, the perfect algorithm. Like, I had glasses on. You know, whatever. It just sometimes it happens. But it's like when you're in these right. situations with, like, crampons, ice axe. And I'm like, you know, 
wildcats across the street right <laughs> I yeah. just went skiing well and that's the thing i always i always joke around like no one ever has put like ski crampons on and has been like oh, i'm so glad i had those on we got to some great snow and some beautiful skiing <laughs> mostly it's like i put ski crampons on because i thought i was gonna die yeah you know and, like yeah and, <laughs> and so to me it's like stuff like that where i'm like wow like you know like and i've you know like i've done you know whatever stuff that like has been super puckering and uh, i think i'm kind of done with that part of my skiing life you know i can appreciate like when people are putting in uh you know uh, a first descents of of things you know but it's like when you've got like a nine hour descent or whatever of k2 i'm like that sounds kind of awful <laughs> you know like i'd right. rather you know like go like uh, put jorts on and like ski some like groomers and like try to like do uh, as many like spread eagles as possible, you know? And I think that like I, so what I was surprised about in terms of this article was that like um, it, uh, uh, an article I felt, felt was like inherently goofy pointing out the goofiness of skiing in an over-the-top way was taken so seriously and honestly like I was a little like kind of like there was like a small little tiny like um funeral I had in my heart a little <laughs> bit because like I've I've written some like really serious stuff about Community, the ski community stuff like you know climate change and alcoholism and drug addiction and mental health and like the insane suicide rates in mountain towns racism sexism homophobia like all these terrible forms of discrimination like these big ticket things that are really kind of like um you know devouring um our community from the outside in and from the inside out and and like I wish it those things had received such like a um, uh, an emotional response, and I would hope they'll change for like real issues, you know. And um, you know, again, you know, like I'm I'm a humorist, you know. Like, right. I try to inject humor in nearly everything I create. Mostly, it's like mostly I direct it at myself, you know, because I think I'm like the biggest target, you know. Like if I'm not laughing at myself, then like I'm kind of like missing out on like the world's biggest joke i think you know and sometimes <laughs> taking the piss out of myself is a great way for me to deal with something i'm scared about or whatever but you know sometimes i direct my humor like at a thing or at an idea and like very very rarely i direct it like at a person um and i think when it, it comes to humor there can be this like gray line right that you walk between like funny and sometimes like harmful or hurtful, but I, I typically see that in dealing with like um, serious subject matter, like when we are like gallows humor or something, like you're pushing like humor into um, like the dark parts of life. And uh, like, I just don't see skiing or telemark skiing or any part of sliding downhill as like serious sub subject matter, you know? But I understand that, you know, some folks do and they misunderstood like, my intention here and the intention of the piece, you know, um, but not everything that I create is gonna strike a positive chord with everyone. And that's not realistic. And ultimately like, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, 
again, we're just, you know, we're talking about sliding downhill on sticks and I hope I made some people laugh and um, I hope so. I made some people uh, uh, giggle and uh, uh, I'm, you know, uh, bummed that it, that wasn't like widespread. But yeah, and know. I think I think what you said earlier, it was kind of like the Chris, a Christmas story when like Ralphie gets pushed and he just snaps. I think it was just <laughs> yeah. like like we've been bullied enough and I think everyone just saw something that they could like let it out. And you your article and you were that person, unfortunately. And like, well, but also, unfortunately, like in that analogy, that makes me that like redheaded bully you know and that guy's such a dick in yeah that but <laughs> maybe a bad example but like you know it was just like i get it they never get any light and i made this joke prior but like powder magazine wrote the article that's telemark skiing is dead and then they right. died yeah. so like right totally walk yeah. on eggshells my friend i know no. yeah, you've been warned <laughs> yeah totally did Which, you, you know, go ahead go ahead well i was you know i was just gonna say like here's here's my like uh uh you know my my offering of of the sacrificial lamb or or offering of like the deer to you know the the right but so you you like telmark skiers i love you this is me saying it i love you you're worthy what you do is great and i'm i have found equipment i am becoming one of you you have one of us i'm doing it i am i have found equipment i'm gonna my friend hannah who i uh wrote about you know in in the piece is gonna take me out she taught all of her uh siblings how to uh uh bend a knee and i will i'm going to genuflect my way down a hill soon and i am very excited about it and i'm gonna be a telemark here you only need one turn are you ready so you alpine the whole way right like you just hang right. out and make right. really bad heel alpine turns, like backseat as much as you can. And then as soon the as backseat you backseat Jesus, yeah, right? as soon as you see okay. people or like the lift line, yeah. just drop that knee and make that turn and be like, uh, like give them like a the double backhand deuces. So everyone, uh, everyone knows, like, oh, yeah. dude, that guy ripped, but really, you just made Sick. like that's pretty much my telemark skiing. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm under the chairlift, check out these lunges. Like, yeah, oh, totally. oh, I'm in the woods. Backseat Jesus, just hanging on for the <laughs> Okay, good. I'm going to yeah. use that then. <laughs> or like, if you want to be a park skier, just like anything you want. Like hit a jump, land, and like bend a knee. People like, they lose it. It blows people's minds. Yeah, yeah like. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm like in the, the like, uh, I don't know, like. Uh, uh the in utero stage yeah you're thinking becoming about it. a telemark skier like i am i am i'm gonna blossom into a telemark butterfly i can't wait and i'm gonna take all your alpine equipment and yeah perfect yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no what i'll do is i'll send you like I'll send you some like touring equipment from like you know 2010 some like gigantic <laughs> like gigantic like plate you know yeah the Gar- solomon stuff. guardian oh just you know even way before then you know oh what were those things that like you could actually in an alpine day alpine set yes oh day those trackers. Things. yes those i'll be like these were. are so light these are great <laughs> 
yeah with a bunch uh, of skew it's like 118 underfoot with just like seven sheets of metal in it skis yeah. like that like oh that'll be sick yeah i can't wait for that yeah it'll be great did you this is this is a personal question did you gain followers from like this article or did you lose followers or did you just get uh, like a bunch of hate i you know um i don't think that i pay enough attention to yeah. like the total number of of like uh well you would know like if you jumped a thousand or lost a thousand. right i didn't like, like it, jump anything insane yeah. i think i think um uh i i don't know if i think anybody who probably follows me you know is like knows that i take the piss out of myself and pretty much everything that i, I write about until i'm like switch gears and i typically have like you know like serious like caption to follow like some type of like bold thing like that so uh i don't know if i did lose any i did i like but a lot of people found me on the internet and expressed their opinions to me you know which honestly it kind of made me feel like uh, the protagonist in like a 1980s ski flick i got it's the first time ever in my life i've felt like john cusack and better off dead so that was oh, kind of that's a dream of mine <laughs> and he's a chicago guy too so like i felt i felt really good <laughs> that's a dream of mine right there my yeah. favorite so do you want to hear my favorite you could say no but my favorite telemark like comparison to you because i think it's so absurd and i didn't send it to you and you might have seen oh. it okay okay but yeah oh now it's See you now, just or, yeah, yeah, this is a Mari. You but, are be great father. again. This will be this is this is the Mari. Yeah, you are the father moment that I was so nervous about. So this was like last. This was like last week. So that article, like, this is recent that this someone wrote this. Yeah. It says, how do you feel about people in the ski industry actively discriminating others in attempt to discredit people's careers, state of well-being, and happiness? Thanks for the hate at ski magazine and then to take this then this isn't to make you feel bad because i think this is insane and you're gonna yeah. hear why so then right. they screenshot ski magazine or at ski magazine and write hypocrites ski magazine i thought you said you were against discrimination and it's the black lives matter like logo like that like like guys this is not comparable. This yeah, is not. That's, I mean, I, so I, I don't like jump into, I think it's a dangerous thing to jump into the. Uh, For sure. And we're not going to die. Comment deep. section of, of like, uh, of, of, of anything like kind of negative, you know, I think that, um, you know, and, and again, people are entitled to their reactions and I don't want to like, you know, tell someone like, oh, you should be thinking this, but I think it's a pretty dangerous thing to try to draw a through line to, uh, um, you know, from Black Lives Matter to telemark skiing. Also, I would, uh, just as a word nerd, I would suggest that, um, you know, people uh, look up the word discriminate and uh see what that is uh actually about because uh i you know in this article uh and i and in every article i would never be a part of something um that um 
pulls the rug out in hatred of, of somebody because of their, um, you know, gender identity, their race, their religion, um, you know, uh, their uh, sexual orientation, anything like that. Like that to me is like, that's, that's pretty dangerous, I would say. And, and, and um, I think it's, it's one thing not to understand uh, or get the joke here and be like, hey, why are you picking on us? But like, that's, let's just, you know, be clear here. The Black Lives Matter movement and discrimination and racism and homophobia and transphobia uh, and white supremacy, like, like these are things that are really killing our ski community and and really othering people and we need to break down the barriers there and make people more like feel welcomed here but i think that like some some fun ribbing about equipment and how someone chooses um to to make a a turn you know um is a whole hell of a lot different i mean what what's your reaction to that i was like furious on every angle uh i actually sent it to jabber and was like dude what the like I just don't know. It's like comparing like a car to a potato. Like don't <laughs> like these are not the same thing. Like this is yeah. not even close. And don't try to yeah. like, don't try to bring that into this. Cause like, yeah, you're wrong. This shouldn't even be discussed. And I debated bringing yeah. it up, but I, had already, I wouldn't have brought it up if I didn't have already talked to you and I knew you would handle yeah. it correctly so thank you for handling that correctly and having an actual curate like well thought out response uh, i didn't mean to put you on the point because that's not or on the spot because that's not what i want to do here but i think it, that to me was something that like dude you went too far not you we went too far right. trying to like we're just sliding on snow having fun and that's all it should be right. and like when you're attacking people on the internet or brands or whatever there are people behind those brands and you and and we are no better and we are all learning but like let's continue to learn and like the proper response for me and exactly what i did because i have this platform when you wrote that article which didn't offend me but was to like reach out and be like i'm going to talk to this guy because i think it'll be a really exciting conversation and i think it has but yeah, it's apples to or it's cars to potatoes, which is like, <laughs> it's cars to potatoes. But and again, I think like for for something like that, it's like I I hope that people who are uh, who are who have passionate responses to the things they read, whatever they read, I hope that they get involved with things like Black Lives Matter and the destruction of all these like insidious forms of discrimination that are that are in. Our, uh, our our nation or our world and definitely within mountain life within the ski community um, you know and um, you know I've written a ton about that stuff and and you could check it out if you'd like or check out the other bajillion people who have written things uh, similarly and 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 I hope that that uh, that same kind of passion is brought to those issues um, because it could be really helpful in in shifting uh our community towards the positive i agree uh and it's people like you writing about these things that help shine light on oh. it because it's well, so well it's so easy for us to just ignore it right like 
it's just easy for like I'm blonde hair, blue eyed, white guy. I have no idea. Like, and I try and I'm learning right. and forever learning, and that's all we can do. And if I felt confident enough on the subjects to write about them, I would. Right. Um, and this is my subject. This is my writing form, is this. So having right. this conversation is awesome. Um, so thank you for that. Shifting, oh, shifting gears. Mm -hmm. We'll get away from uh telemark article <laughs> <laughs> you kind of do it all uh well some, i try you, i try to <laughs> but you do some podcasting stuff yes, uh, for I duct do. tape and beer uh, right dirtbag diaries if i'm not mm -hmm. wrong those are set those are dirtbag diaries is like part of the duct tape then beer right correct yeah so are you hosting are you recording are you helping these people write the stories are you how involved are you with that? And I mean, as much as you want to tell us about it, I guess. Well, I, I uh, you know, it's kind of all of those, those things. So yeah, like you said, duct tape and beer is the production house that um, uh, produces the dirtbag diaries. They also produced uh, a, uh, a podcast that I was the co-host and co-writer for, which is unfortunately no longer uh, a, a podcast called safety third. It's got four wonderful seasons. Uh, anybody can go check it out. Um, and, uh, they have like the original outdoor podcast, like the OG of podcasting to begin with really like not just in the outdoor space, but like just in podcasting in general, I think they're on their like 14th or 15th year of doing this, That's wild. Um, which is great because it has like an insane catalog of just so many great stories. Uh, and those folks over there, are like my family, I love them so much. And um, yeah, so I've, I've, um, I recently produced a, um, a piece for them uh, about kind of like life and skiing and what happens to life and skiing when everything kind of gets like um, upended. And then I produced a, um, a, uh, uh, an episode for the Outside Magazine podcast about uh, 80s ski flicks and how they shaped a generation of uh, skiers, which was a ton of fun uh, to do. And um, uh, hopefully we've got more stuff on, on the books with uh, both of them. And, and yeah, I do. I, I write for ski. I write for um, uh, free skier or men's journal. Um, I produce um, kind of like short, like video series for different brands. I, I work with brands on audience you know, capture. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I try to do as much as I can in different forms of, of media. Cause it's one, it's really fun and exciting for me. And two, I got to pay rent and, you know, pay the tab at the pizza bar. So, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so I try to, yeah, like I said, I try to be a Swiss army knife of, of creativity and do all the things. <laughs> But I think that's interesting because most people are like, I'm a writer, I'm a photographer, I'm a videographer, I'm, you know, like, and you seem to kind of do it all like you, you did a cross country film with Solomon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you're becoming a Nordork. Yeah. So I assume you like wrote it, like wrote the script and like helped film it. But you're also like the yeah. actor, which you're not acting necessarily, but like you're 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 the guy you're the main character like you're right you're becoming right. the nordork well because i think you know like one of um one of the things that i love to do is is like write the op-ed or the personal essay 
And what I really love about that, and this is something that I've always loved as a kid, you know, uh, who grew up as a, a, a storyteller and a consumer of stories, um, is like how this personal story could become universal given the right, um, you know, storytelling devices and the right set of circumstances. And I think the cool thing about something like uh, becoming a Nordork is one, it gives me a great opportunity to take the piss out of myself and continue to challenge myself to try new things and to try my damnedest not to take myself seriously when I'm just awful at something. Like I'm a terrible Nordic skier. It's so hard. And it's I really hard. It's like so hard. Like and anyone so, at like, home who hasn't done it, take a pair of like, low top converse and like duct tape yes. them to a piece of wood and just try to walk around. Right. It's, it's <laughs> like, it's like, the, it's like you have like six foot long clown shoes and you have like the, the, your boots have the structural integrity of a wet sneeze. And it's just so everything also, everything, you know, about like skiing downhill, just throw out because there's no edge control. There's no, it's just so hard. Like my legs, I, there's a line in one of the episodes where I'm like, I feel like my legs are doing so much and then nothing at the same time. Like it's, it's a great way to feel like a newborn deer on a frozen puddle, you know, cause you're just yeah, like, exactly. oh, my limbs are everywhere. Um, and then my favorite really part about cross country skiing, not to interrupt you, but like, Hey, cross country skiing is really hard. Let's add guns and make it an Olympic sport. I know. Like the last thing I want is to like have something like I'm supposed to shoot. The other thing too with those people, like how are they controlling their breath? I go like, I take one step and I'm like, I'm at this like aerobic output where I'm just like on fire. And these people are trying to like shoot stuff. It's insane. Totally yeah. insane. My so, body looks like, a, like, you know, when you exit a sauna and there's just like a cloud of steam, that's like yeah. the second I put Nordic stuff on, it's just like, rising oh, yeah. from me the full uh, the whole time yes uh, th uh, you are you are absolutely correct i mean it's like it is the hardest mountain sport that i've ever done and i think that like part of so part of the the um uh you know the series becoming a nordor that's kind of the point of it right is like it's it's just a personal essay that i catch on video um and uh, it was super fun to do. Salomon, um, you know, sponsored it, and then REI um, distributed it on their YouTube channel. Um, and it was just a way, you know, I kind of, I kind of knew that, um, or figured that that Nordic skiing was going to blow up this fall, um, you know, because we didn't know what was going to happen with ski resorts or the backcountry. Um, and I talked to my buddy Joe over at Solomon. And I was like, hey, have you guys sold out of all your like Nordic stuff? He's like, yeah, we like don't have anything. And I was like, okay, I have an idea. I'm going to write it up. And what I did is I wrote up a, uh, a script for it. And instead of sending the script over to him, uh, I sent, you know, I actually filmed it all. I filmed like oh, the- perfect. Like, so the first thing of the whole Becoming a Nordork series is this like series teaser. And I actually, that was what I sent over to Joe and was like, hey, this is the idea that I have. And he was like, I like this, Let's, there's something here. And so, uh, you know, again, it's just like, hey, watch me be a novice. Don't you worry about being stupid and looking silly in front of people. I'll be stupid for you. And we can all giggle and laugh and watch me fall down. Do you think is, that, do you think it helps sell? I have this debate often. Like, do you think that sells skis? Or do you think it makes 
people who already bought their equipment feel more comfortable that like this is hard not necessarily cross country everything but like everyone's got with your stuff specifically everyone's struggling so when you get to the trailhead it's okay to be like but do you think that directly helps sell product you know uh i think so right and well and this is like this is going to be like the the this is like the age-old like marketing versus sales like conversation you know like like you know it's like well how is x like sell my widget i need to see like the direct line and like you know marketing's like well you know people don't buy nikes because they're the greatest shoes people buy nikes because they're cool you know right and we need to sell the cool and so i i think uh i think yes you know like if if i if i see you know it my thought is that like the power of no is so strong in our in our heads that even if we get the new gear right it's like i don't want to feel stupid in front of someone who's really good at this. So like, I'm just not gonna do this thing. Uh, I think that, you know, it hopefully it inspired people to get out on trail and not take themselves seriously and just go out and enjoy the goofiness of trying something new uh, and the challenge of it. And um, if that sold some skis for the the people that I partnered with, you know, I hope it did. Uh, More than anything, I hope it sold the idea that like, you know, you're okay to do this. It doesn't really matter if you're good at it or you're bad at it. You can still be a Nordic skier or a mountain biker if you're quote unquote bad at it. If you just love to do it, that's enough. Yeah, I wish we could put that on billboards everywhere. If you love- <laughs> well, T-shirt but like, idea. Here's the like, second business idea of this conversation. Yeah, if you love to do it- level marketing and use this, yeah. Oh, and I already have another one. We're going to review Aspen Extreme on Christmas Eve every year for the next 10 years in a podcast. Oh, I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a podcast that's been doing that. This is a super side note. It's called My Brother, My Brother and Me. And they, yeah. re- every year, on I think it's Christmas Eve, they review Paul Blart Mall Cop. <laughs> but it's like, but like you put Paul Blart on and you put the podcast on and like, every year it's like amazing because it's just that's that's gonna be my new favorite it's podcast. brilliant it's brilliant <laughs> but i think if you love i don't even remember what you said anymore but uh if you love something then go do it i think is what it was yeah. but like god that's that i mean I'm if gonna- you if you love if you love the sport it doesn't matter if you're good at it or bad at it or uh, intermediate at it like you that you can identify with that thing yeah know? do you think like, ski go ahead I, I was going to say, like, I'm going to be an intermediate mountain biker for the rest of my life because rocks and dirt really hurt. Sticks and trees really hurt. I don't want to, like, send my tuna off of, like, some sick jump or anything. I don't want to get in the air at all. You know, like, <laughs> I just want to, like, go uphill, hate that my lungs are burning as much as they are, and then kind of go downhill like a sort of fast clip. But then if it gets too steep, I'm probably going to walk it, you know? <laughs> like, I'm still going to call myself a mountain biker, though. And that's the thing is like, I don't think that like you're like your gnarlier than thou attitude like makes you uh, like a, a skier or a biker, or like a, a trail runner, a fly fisher, whatever, you know, it's like, no, I love this thing. And that's enough for me to call myself that thing. Yeah, it's hard to get that, though. Like you go to some ski resorts and we I know you're not a big park skier, but like you go to some parks and like I'm a. I'm not a good park skier, but like in 2000, 
five, I was like, okay. And I still have all of those tricks. So like, that's where I'm at. Like, I'm not going to get better. I'm not, I hopefully don't get worse. I'm just going to keep yeah. those tricks. But like, I go to some resorts and some terrain parks and like, everyone's just pumped on you being there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People you don't know, they're like pumped. And then you go to some other parks and they're like, get off the lip. And they're like yelling at you. Yeah. And I always question like, how do we, as an industry, like, how do you, you can't create a vibe, but like, can brands like pick up slogans that like skiing's for everyone from me to Cody Townsend. Right. And, and like, I think, I think brands are like, you know, recognizing that and making that like shift uh you know when it comes oh to, shift buzzword there you go like into let's talk about the deliverables and the action items here of this yes. podcast yes uh you know like i i think like i think we as a community can create that vibe just like i'm out here having fun you know like i'm not a park skier a lot of stuff in the i don't want to ski around metal uh it scares me uh like those gigantic like uh you know, like 30 foot booters are just like, there's no way I'm hitting that, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll like hit the little side hit and do a safety grab or like a little mini tweak or my favorite, my spread Eagle. Well, right. Because I'm just like a gigantic six foot five, 230 pound X flying through the air. My favorite trick. That's the only real trick I have. You know? See, I'm if more of a, a trick. I know? think it's a Cossack when you put like yeah. your hand between that's, the legs. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, because then it shows my height between your legs. It shows yes. my height really well. Like, well, and that's, I think that to me, I, I would do that if I had any body control in the air. I feel like <laughs> my arms just instinctively go up, you know? Yeah, and it's I like a wee. Have them go up. Yeah, I think there's a wee factor. So I, think I don't we, know. I think. I Searching think that like you know, the, the is... whole kind of thing that like, uh, you know, uh, creating the vibe thing is like, I don't know, maybe it's calling out the things that are like, you know, not allowing people just to be goofy at this thing. All right. Fourth business idea, searching for we, and it'll just be the a searching for we. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it'll just be like a very serious documentary mockumentary about like us looking for that, that we, but that's, and that's the thing. Like, it's like the we like the hug the community we of like us yeah but also the we as in like the yahoo see multi-level i love this. onion i now love we got ooh, some purchase love see? onions love onions no i just it's always funny because i've there like i haven't been doing this podcast long but like it's been mostly like semi-pro skiers or like semi-pro something mm -hmm. and then last week I had Nicole from uh, mom trends and she's a mom blogger. Who's like got a, this giant following. Yeah. And she talked about how ski resorts are yeah. just like missing out on like probably their biggest cash grab opportunities, which is like families. Like if I go there, I'm a dirt bag. I probably like buy an icon pass right. at half off. Cause I know somebody in the industry and then everyone's mad at me, but I like, right. Right. Like, scan my icon through the thing real quick and put it in my pocket so no one like i'm not the problem <laughs> but like yeah, i don't spend yeah. a dime put it in your pocket next to your lunch your frozen pizza from yeah. last night that you brought you know because that you're i not stole going, yeah. like from you know <laughs> like but like park in their lot sleep in their yeah. lot didn't move my yeah. car even though i knew the snowplow was coming and i'm like i'm not right. i'm not moving but like right. they don't make any money off me and talking right. to cole it was like 
which is so simple and stupid, but I'm simple and stupid. So I was like, Oh, light bulb. Why aren't they, yeah. why aren't more resorts marketing to, to families, which right. obviously some are, but why aren't more resorts marketing the we factor of just like, Oh, it doesn't have to be a Potter day to have fun. Right. Uh, exactly. Skiing and snowboarding and sledding and tubing is fun. Water parks right. are fun. Why can't we just have fun anymore? I, you know, and I, I hope that like, that's, um, that's a takeaway from, you know, the stuff that I create, you know, is that again, it's like, I just want to make people think and I want to make people laugh. And if I'm, I, I'm hopefully adding to that, you know, we factor that we all want. Yeah. Searching for we, I was, I watched, I don't know. I was watching the news this morning and they were asking the older generation, what is an adult? And then they were asking like our generation, what is an adult? And then they were asking like kids, what is an adult? And like the older generation was like, you go to school, you get a job, you get married, you have kids and then you die. And like (laughs) our generation was like, uh, uh, I don't know. You gotta work sometimes and like, you gotta have a little fun. And then like kids were just like massive student loan debt. And you're thinking, how did my parents do this when they were my age? They didn't have what we had in the best ways possible. They didn't have, you know, they weren't looking at their phones and like feeling pressure to like keep up with Johnny or like, they just did their thing and they survived. And I think that's what we are all trying to do is survive in general. Right. Yeah. So I don't know where well, I'm going with that. Well, but. hopefully it's uh, thrive and not survive. Yeah. That's a no effects lyric, I think. Is it really? Yeah. Not just, uh, not just. I, I was really I, hoping that I had come up with something. Uh, no, I think it's a, you know, I'll find everything, it. Everything's stolen. Everything's stolen. Nothing's sacred. That's that. Like that's true. Do you Google like ideas before you write them? Because everything is stolen. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, mostly my career is just a hundred percent plagiarism. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I forget his name from Low Pressure Pod. Just interviewed Jabber, and is like they open and and he asks, "Have you ever had an original idea in your life?" And Adam was like, "No." Jabber was like, "No," <laughs> and then they talked, and I was like, "Man, that's deep. Like that's a deep cut." Well, there's, there's a, uh, there's a line in, in storytelling or in writing, right? There's, there's no new stories. There's just new ways to tell them, um, you know? And, and I think that, you know, any, anybody who creates any kind of story, you know, or, or something that people are going to consume is like, is trying to tell, um, you know, uh, something, you know, trying to tell a story that's worthy through a new and original way, you know, have I ever come up with an original idea? I mean, I would like to think so. What is that one? I don't know. I mean, no one's <laughs> no one's ever hated on telemark skiing, dude. That yeah, was like I was the super... first one. Yeah, the first one. You were the most say. hated one for sure. Uh, I know. What's I know. next? What do you got coming? What can you talk about that you have coming? What do you want to see? And yeah, what do you want to see happen well, in the ski industry? And what's next for Mister at Patty O'Connell? Rock. <laughs> well, uh, I would say that, um, you know, uh, now that hopefully, you know, the world is going to become vaccinated and COVID is going to become, uh, you know, a thing of the past. Uh, I do a lot of event work. So there's some events that 
I'm kind of like uh, hoping happen in the next uh, few months that can be done in a, in a safe way. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm actually next week going on my first uh, production shoot. Congratulations. With some more stuff in front of the camera and behind the camera and then you know hang on one second i lost okay. you after production shoot but we seem to oh, be okay. back on so you had your All first right. you had, next week you have your first production shoot i have my first production shoot in over a year which is kind of like an insane thing to say out loud and also it's a little like oh god do i remember how to do this you know so uh i'm excited about that um that's all i can say about that right now uh or you soon uh and then um you know the podcast world um i'm gonna be doing some stuff with uh dirtbag diaries and outside podcasts and hopefully some other folks um and uh you know some more stuff in front of behind the camera and i'm gonna continue to write for free skier and uh for ski magazine and and all the other folks that i write for and just i mean you know continue to do all the things and uh try to continue to come up with observational humor that will be put on the internet uh, and hopefully make people laugh and think. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate you being on. I'm sorry for throwing that uh, loophole, that Mari moment at you earlier. Uh, I, you I did well. think that it was going to be a, a, like a major you are the father moment, but yeah. I, I promised I wouldn't do that, but I kind of hit you later. Thank you for taking another hour of your life and chatting with me hopefully this one saves yeah uh, i yeah, i hope i hope you're oh, we're not doing this again i'm sorry uh, <laughs> or we'll have to do it live and we'll just like invite I'll everybody just, to, yeah it'll be a webinar yes yes um where can people follow you what's your website instagram well uh my website is pattyrock.com p-a-d-d-y-r-o-c uh dot com which i i think we talked about this last time like some people think like oh like what is that patty rocks and it's like no it's just my initials ryan o'connell uh and uh and that's the same handle for my instagram p-a-d-d-y r-o-c and that's where you can find uh the latest haps and um you know the latest goofy humor and what i'm working on great Thanks, Patty. Thank <laughs> thanks you. For, thanks, man. Thanks, this is thanks awesome. for doing this again, dude. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm excited to uh, become a Telmark skier, and I'm excited for you to, to be uh, an Alpine skier. I'm so Look excited at to Look rip at us. Who would have thought? I'm so excited to rip thought? again. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>Guys, there it is. Episode 10 of The Pursuit uh, on the Autobuns Network. Patty O'Connell at Patty Rock at P-A-D-D-Y-R-O-C. If you haven't figured it out by now, uh, Patty and I recorded last week and my computer crashed, so I lost everything. So a huge shout out to Patty for hopping on uh, the podcast again and getting out an episode. Uh, 
I feel like Patty and I are best friends now, and I hope he hears this and we can be best friends. Because I really like his mustache, and we had a really good talk, and we like Aspen Extreme, and skiing's stupid, and we both agree on it. So, Patty Rock, thanks again. Thanks for listening to Pursuit. Uh, leave a review, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>